0: Let me tell you something. This is Coach Wade, the Dragon Slayer, here. And these survivor historians, let me tell you about these guys. They are breakable, bending, yielding, measurable, movable, and definitely vincible. But you know what, guys? I expect you to slay it. Welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that can bench press more than coach.
1: As always, I'm Mario Lanza.
2: I'm Jay Fisher, and I'm ready to hit mute on my mic for the next three and a half hours.
1: Uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm going to take the monastic approach to podcasting for the next several hours. Uh, Not the muting of the mic like Jay, but uh, no water, no bathroom breaks. I'm really going to stay devout.
3: I'm Paul Osleson, and I won't really mute my mic, because I actually, uh, as much as I've been poo-pooing this season, I enjoyed the finish of this, so I'll try to talk, you know, more than the 2% that I normally talk on this podcast. I'm going to try to bump it up to 4% of the conversation.
2: Well, I want to clarify, I'm not muting my microphone because of any disdain or dislike for the season. I've really enjoyed the end of this season very much, but this is, <laughs> gentlemen... Mario Lanza is a Survivor personality, and if there's one thing that we know about him, is that he loves him some Coach Ben Wade. And we're going to be very Ben Wade heavy in this episode, especially because we have the Coach episode. And so I figure, what's the point of talking? Because he's got it covered.
0: Yeah, that's actually going to be Jay's homage to Mike Bloom leaving the podcast. For uh, those of you who don't know, this is Mike's last episode. He is going off to... Uh... Join the world of the grown-ups and leave us. So we are just in preparation for Mike leaving. I have asked Paul and Jay to step up. So that's if you're hoping for a lot of that, then it would be good. Um, of course, Jay is going counter to my wishes by opting not to speak. So it's I'm not sure. It's just going to be a huge cluster.
3: Basically. And if I do mute my mic, it's just because I'm really sad that, oh, Mike's leaving. Uh, Paul, we know
1: that sarcasm has not come to Montana yet, so I'm assuming that was said in pure sincerity. But counter to your point, Jay, uh, in between our parts two and three recording here, I found the uh, Entertainment Weekly blog post that Jeff Probst used to write during, I think he wrote them during Survivor Gabon and Token Sheens as well, and I think I may have found, if Mario is, you know, the number one person, number one Ben Wade fan out there, I feel like Jeff Probst might be number one A. He might have been the only person outside of Mario at the time that Token Sheets aired to actually have an appreciation for the man. So Mario, you and Jeff might be two sides of the same coin here. We are sort of
0: spirit animals. I've often said that over the years. Jeff Probst and I, just like brothers, blood brothers, we agree on everything.
3: People you both have a tattoo that says big moves on your back? We do. Yeah. Does it have a
2: Z? Big moves?
3: Exactly.
0: But uh, I should point out that you call me the number one coach fan. I am not the number one coach fan. The number one coach fan is the man who gave us an intro to this, this episode. Coach himself would be the number one coach fan. I could only be number two with that we will wrap up we have a lot to get through and we started a little late today so we are going to try to jump right into this uh to the last what's five six episodes here of token chains and i will say as uh both paul and jay have alluded to earlier that as much as we've kind of poo-pooed the first start of this season i really love the last five episodes i know shock you're shocked that i love the coach episodes but i do think I found myself with a smile almost the entire way through these last couple episodes, and it's really not even just about Coach. I love the Stephen and JT thing at the end. I just love how dark it gets all of a sudden. But uh, I really do think this is one of the better ends of any season, and I think it really disguises how weak the first part of the season is. And it's one of those things, would you rather have a strong start or a strong finish? I, I happen to think Token Sheens ends very strong to the point that I do think it becomes an above-average season, but only because of the strong ending.
2: Well, and I think that what they do is they, they create something compelling out of something that on paper isn't very compelling. Because if you stare at the ending of the season, you look you look at the final vote and you look at the final outcome of the vote, you would sit there and say, well, that's as slam dunk of a slam dunk as you could ever think. So how could this possibly be compelling? And the answer is, nay, nay, it is. Because they, they focus on coach. You know, Tyson gets an exit here. And then they really play up the nice Steven and JT stuff at the end to where, you know, I mean – we're going to talk about it when we get there, but I, I think that, you know, the editors actually did a good job of showing you what was going to happen, but also kind of putting a little bit of doubt in your head mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of making it a little bit of a, you know, not so, you know, giving you that maybe just maybe sort of kernel in your head. I, I think it was really well done.
1: Yeah, nay, nay. Great Katrina Kimmel tribute there, Jay. I got that one. Uh Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think... As always on The Historians, we always advocate to rewatch seasons for one reason or another, but this one's really interesting because JT was a pretty universally loved winner at the time, but I feel like there was still some people saying, you know, Stephen had this really complex edit, Stephen was making all the decisions, and so one of the reasons to really look back on this final group of episodes, which I'm totally in agreement with all you guys, I... I've been a little higher on the season i than I think the three of you, but I love this stretch of episodes, especially the first one we 're going to talk to a talk about, which is the Tyson episode, which might be up there with the Coach episode as my favorite one of the season, just from a pure storytelling perspective, but I feel like you can really see on a rewatch. From JT's perspective, all the little machinations that he's doing to really put himself out as a figurehead in front of Steven, so that when this final tribal council comes around and JT pulls the biggest snow job of it all and completely throws his partner in crime under the bus, all the seeds would have been planted there to get to that point. Yep.
0: Agreed 100%. It's, I mean, even I, the one who sits here and says this is the coach season and nobody else is important, even I will admit on this latest rewatch, I just realized, you know what, this whole season is about JT and how everyone falls in love with him, even to the point that coach just throws his game away at the merge because he's in love with JT and wants to work with him. Like, it's just absolutely everyone is in love with JT. That's the theme of the season. All right, with that, let's jump into it. We left off with Episode 9, Brendan, a.k.a. The Dragon, was just slayed, and so uh, Coach has finally won. He topped, he knocked off his nemesis, and really, Coach is in the control now. So we're going to start here with episode 10, which is the Tyson episode, and I uh, absolutely agree with Mike when I was watching the last couple episodes of the season. This is the one that stood out to me. I mean, I love the Coach one for comic stuff and comic relief. This Tyson one is one of the better episodes in Survivor History. It's fantastic. Okay, so here we go. We've, uh, Brendan has just been voted off. Coach and Tyson and Steven and JT have their warrior alliance and they just took out Brendan and it's all exciting and coaches dancing around, you know, Dragon Slade, I did it, blah, blah, blah. And really it's everybody against Sierra at this point. And this is where we're going to start off with basically let's just crap on
1: Sierra for the next hour.
2: Uh, Brace yourselves, folks. Uh, Sierra is unpopular in this game.
1: But not uh, but not outside of the show, considering that, as Jeff says, the reunion in A, the surprise of the season, she'll be one of the three people in contention, though I feel like JT was much further out in the lead for that award. But yeah, you say this is sort of, especially throughout the course of this episode, from Tyson's perspective... It's a lot of crapping all over Sierra, which is an ingrained to what he said before. I believe this was the last episode when he said, you know, I'm, I'm going to make Sierra cry. It's my job to make him miserable out here. I know that I'll probably not get her vote on the jury, but I'll probably get a bunch of other people's in responses. But the Sierra coach dynamic is really interesting to me because from what I remembered from the season, I had the image of where Sierra and coach kind of end their relationship in the next episode where they are definitely at odds. But they're much more amicable than I remember them being, and it's sort of prevalent here in this beginning where, you know, they're talking to each other, and, you know, Coach, I actually think, sees something in Sierra. Again, As sort of inspirational as Coach may be sometimes. I do think throughout the course of the game, he really, uh, ha- like, s- thought he could take Sierra under his wing, and that's why he has more respect for her than somebody like Aaron, to the point where even when Sierra does this, you're going to get... This whole diatribe throughout the whole episode of Sierra betrayed the Alliance's trust, you know, she voted against, uh, she voted against us, that's ridiculous, but Coach, I feel like, it has to do more of a pas de deux with Sierra than maybe someone like Tyson, just because the two of them seem to have much more of a, a chummy, or at least a more involved relationship than what's initially thought.
0: Yeah. Well, you, again, it's one of the things you have to point out what coach does for a living. He's a women's soccer coach at the collegiate level. So these are the people he coaches and mentors for a living. And again, you make fun of him all you want, but he is a very successful coach in real life. You look at some of the records he's set as a coach and he's like his his track record is amazing. So I can see why he would kind of pull Sierra aside because she probably reminds him of some of the girls that he coaches, just the age kind of. She's an outsider against older people. She's kind of an underdog. He, I'm sure. Despite all his bravado, he still has a little bit of that in him that he wants to kind of help the underdogs. All right, so what do we have here? Yeah, we uh, Sierra says, "Oh, that was the worst night of my life." They voted out Brendan. It's just me now. And coach pulls her aside, and like Mike said, it's it's not as mean a talk as you would hope, would you would think it would be. Although there is some stuff where where a uh, coach says you made a bad decision. Why would you write my name down last night? Nobody has the honor that I do. Uh, you've pitted yourself against me and war it's killer be killed, but he's not flat out like an asshole to her like Tyson's going to be really relatively quickly here.
3: Well and I, I think this scene like is best when you then compare what happens like one episode from now yeah. and just how like like you have to really view these two scenes side by side of just like how when that power shifts and the dynamics and then what, you know, how Debbie And Coach are talking to her here and telling her that this was out of your character, Sierra, to do this. And how could you do this? And then when, you know, next episode when things are flipped and then they're looking for her to... It just It's very, very funny to think about what happens in the span of just one episode with the Sierra versus uh, Coach Debbie dynamic.
1: And we're going to quote Coach a lot over the course of this podcast, suffice it to say. But I will uh, point out one here. Mario, I know you mentioned before that he says, in war, it's killer be killed. He actually says, in war, well, actually, in love and war, it's killer be killed. Which we're going to meet the uh, temporary female dragon slayer at the reunion. So I, I can only imagine how that mentality carries over into the bedroom, to quote Natalie Bolton. <laughs>
0: There's a lot of death going on in that house. All right, so enough about Sierra. Let's go to Coach here. All right, so the next morning we cut. There's Coach in the morning doing his hataichi in the water to celebrate his majestic victory over Brendan. And I have to say, I wrote this in my notes. I just circled it. have to talk about this. That I love, you know, this is something I've written about over the years many, many times. This is the one thing I always try to get through when I'm writing about Survivor, that there's not one storyline in Survivor. And we've said it so many times here on Historian. There's 16 storylines going on everyone always thinks how oh, the story of the season is this but it's not really there's 16 stories they can diverge in certain ways sometimes people are seeing things the same way sometimes they're seeing things different way but again there's 16 people 16 independent stories unless you're coach and this is the thing i've always loved the most about a coach he has one story the story of token teens is me how i defeated the dragon and how i've changed the game and made it all about with honor and the other 15 people have no Interest whatsoever in Coach's story They're all playing Survivor and they're just kind of humoring Coach Oh yeah, Coach is doing his little Tai Chi thing He's doing his Dragon Slayer thing So I just wrote wrote here I just love how Coach has his own independent storyline Independent of everyone else like everyone else, JT and others are sitting around going, oh, yeah, that was a good blindside last night. Coach is down there, you know, writing poems about himself and talking about how amazing it was. No one, no one else cares. They're just like, yeah, that was great. All right, who do we get out next? And, and they have – like when the other people talk, they have no mention of Coach's story. They have no interest whatsoever in whatever he's talking about. So I just wanted to point that out. One of the many things I love about Coach and the different levels of delusion he has, the fact that he can only see his story. He has no idea that there's 15 other stories going on that have nothing to do with him. Or do
2: you think, Mario, uh, this is a question, this is a question about the self-awareness and just, yes. you know, how much into coach coach is going in the sense that, okay, Brendan, you know, he, he was a player out there. I, I get that. I think we've all sort of said in, in a way that to label him as the dragon to be slayed is perhaps a bit hyperbolic, you know, <laughs> a, 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 a little bit, right? Okay. But yet he's gone, Right. And so my question is, is you're like coach is only listening to coach, which I agree 100 percent to. But my other question is, is that is coach so aware of himself, so hyper aware of like what he's trying to do with the camera now where he's like, I have to sell it. I have I have this gimmick. I'm going to sell it as much as possible. That's your question. That's my question.
0: My question, well, my answer to that is I think Coach is a much savvier player than he gets credit for. Like, yeah, he's going off doing crazy stuff and making up these stories about dragons. But at heart, I think he's doing that to kind of sway people into playing his type of game that would be beneficial for him. Like, I don't think it's just for the cameras. I think there's a lot of strategy there, and he's trying to get everyone to buy into his story. And then if they get into this warrior alliance, obviously it's better for him. So I think a lot of it is strategy. I mean, just with his eccentricities on top, does that answer your question? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't I don't think it's all purely show just for the cameras. I think there's a lot of calculated strategy in there and it, it's kind of hard to see because he's so colorful, but I do, do believe he's doing it to get people to buy into his story and to play along with it.
3: Well, we have four hours to uh, you know, mold this question over, so uh, keep thinking about this as we move along.
1: Yeah, I, I do okay. want to point out one thing about this scene here. Really interesting cinematography, which I feel like we point out a couple times, but not really in the Teen Survivor seasons, but there's this really cool helicopter shot that carries over from Coach in the Water. This goes back to your point, Mario, about Coach being in his own little world. Carries over from Coach in the Water to the other Forza members at camp. And I feel like it's very rare that you get to see that in one single take. So props to the Survivor Helicopter crew for doing that one.
3: I'm glad There's that a- you noticed that Mike, because my notes on that scene was coach goes to water, makes noise, makes oh what did I write here? <laughs> Let's uh, dive into Paul Oson's notes here. Uh Uh, Coach's victory meditation post-Brendan sounds like he had a big O. So uh, that's what I was paying attention to.
0: (laughs) Okay. Let's not gloss over this too much because I do want to point this out again.
3: If you like Coach, this is
0: one of the better Coach moments where Coach, as always, will turn the narrative about himself where he starts a speech where he's talking about Brendan. You know, I took out Brendan last night and, you know, and to pit myself against someone who's stronger and faster and younger. And then Coach midway through the sentence decides he has to brag about himself. So he's like, yeah, to pit myself against someone who's younger and faster and stronger. Although I live, I bench press 300 pounds and he doesn't do that. I asked him once how much he benched and he doesn't do 300 pounds. So just one of those coach has to one up everything and make it about himself. And I've always loved that, that uh, part of his personality where he, he must tell you something amazing about himself, even though that wasn't how the sentence started.
1: Are we sure coach didn't confuse or Brendan didn't confuse that answer with the bench building contest they did in the recap? <laughs> I mean, bench is a very <laughs> ubiquitous term, I would say.
0: <laughs> yes, and then then the big uh, ah!
1: noise that Paul
0: was alluding to. The since big they can't say the It can't say the O word in Montana yet. Yeah.
3: M-O-N-T-A-N-A
0: <laughs> And then Coach calls it the piece de resistance. Over. The battle has already been won. And again, nobody else in this game cares. They're like, okay, well, that was a good vote. What are we doing now? Okay, now it's time to go from Tyson bagging on Sierra. Here's a fun part. Okay, so we get to the back to camp, and Ty, Tyson is now laughing at Sierra. She's moping around camp. She has no allies anymore, and he just loves it. He just laughs. He's like, i never liked her. I think this is great. You know, she's crying. It's, ter- it's She's in tears. I think it's hilarious. And then he gives one of the meaner, even by Tyson standards, one of the meaner confessionals, where he says, to me, Sierra has no worth. I mean, her parents probably like her. Or, I mean, her parents probably love her. I can't imagine her boyfriend is that cool. <laughs> and he just... Bags. Up. This is good five minutes of Tyson just bagging on Sierra behind her back and confessionals, and then right to her face. We're going to get a scene coming up, but uh, before we get to that, would you guys care to weigh in on Tyson and Sierra here?
1: I mean, this is one reason why the episode is so good, and I don't know if this is like a stockpile of Sierra bashing confessionals that Tyson had built up, or if he just felt like this was an opportune moment to really pile on all the feelings he had had over the past several days, but they really painted on thick. With Tyson in this episode, but it really makes the downfall that much sweeter. There's going to be a point later on in the episode where Tyson even says like, oh yeah, it was so funny to watch someone celebrate before they get the win only to end up losing in the end, which is what Tyson's doing essentially the entire episode. So this that's one big reason why this episode works is... While you said, again, we, we might talk about Coach in the edit perspective, I feel like this episode is really about Tyson and how Tyson sort of has his own fall from grace because he thinks he can automatically count out Sierra when there are four other people that are definitely not counting her out at this moment.
3: Just to further your point, he ends this little segment here saying she's gone next. There's nothing she can do to change it. So it's just the classic survivor. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to work out for you too great, bud.
0: Yeah, and there's even the quote here where he's just, he's just bagging on her right to her face. And he pulls her aside. You're not good. You're terrible. We're going to vote you out. I don't know why you, you even showed up here. You're a waste of space or whatever. And then she's like, I'm not scrambling. I'm not trying to do anything, Tyson. I'm not like, It's not like I'm some kind of mastermind. And he says, no, I don't think you, I don't think so. You're not smart enough to be the mastermind, <laughs> which is kind of be one of the most cold-blooded things I've ever heard on Survivor. And it does lead me into my, our first discussion question here on Tyson. If Tyson did not have his downfall at the end of this episode— Would he still be seen as so fun and comic? And the reason I ask that is because that's not much different than what Dan and Rodney did in Worlds Apart, and everyone hates those guys with a passion, yet Tyson says stuff that's just as bad as they were saying. And because Tyson's fun, everyone's like, oh, yeah, it was funny. Good job, Tyson. But, like, what's the difference between Tyson and Dan and Rodney? Charm. Well. Okay, I mean that's a good answer. That's a fair answer. Or or, or
1: or per- targets, I would say. In that, uh, you know, at least from a perception, I think a lot of people dislike Sierra, uh, even from a public perception, more than someone like Shireen. I wasn't exactly a Sierra fan at the time. I think Sierra's fine. Uh, we'll definitely be talking about her over the course of this episode, but. I would say that it's a different situation in that the people that you know they're talking about uh, might be perceived a little differently both in and out of the game as some of those people that were talked about in Worlds Apart.
3: Well, and I guess the question I have is, because I can't remember this too well, um, You know, one of the few times I can't um, distinctly remember something happening in Survivor history, but what was exactly the reaction to Tyson at the time? Because I know from people that I knew and interacted with, I had like one friend who was like really into Tyson, but I remember him being way more of like an actual villain. Like you did not like, like you knew Tyson was an a-hole And that was his thing. And I think as he's come back, he's kind of softened and we really have gotten this funny side. But I can remember people at the time like not being that into it, maybe not always just to Sierra's defense that he was, you know, picking on this girl and saying these things, but just that he just kind of was a dick. So Mm -hmm. what do you what do you guys remember about that time period? I I remember that.
0: Yeah, I I think you're correct. I was going to agree with that as well, that I don't think Tyson was especially popular at the time. I think he was seen very much as a Dan or a Rodney, as we'd seen in Worlds Apart. And the big difference for me is always social media, that the players can talk about this stuff to the fans as it happens. And like Tyson and Sierra, probably didn't have that option at the time. It was it's like it's something you watched on the show, and there's no like interaction with the players right after. It's just something you see on TV. But I will agree with you that yes, at the time, this Tyson was not super popular. Name Coach wasn't, and Tyson wasn't, and for different reasons. Like Coach for just being a selfish, uh, you know, hypocritical buffoon, and Tyson for just being a straight out asshole. So I will agree with you, with Paul, that I do remember that it was like that. Although Jay, with your charm brings up a different point is that tyson is kind of fun and funny and perhaps the other ones aren't and maybe he can get away with it a little more but my argument is always that i don't know why those other guys take so much heat for really the same type of thing that tyson was doing and he doesn't I seem to it, get any heat for it i don't know i, I think that
2: i'm not going to say hypocritical because that's not that's not correct but again we've talked about sandra many many times on this show and, and the fact that that sandra holds um sort of uh she sandra can flat out tell people what she thinks of them, whether it's good or bad. And it never really comes back to harm her in any way for the most part, you know? And, and, and that's a, uh, you can't Mm -hmm. even quantify that skill. And I think that Tyson is such where I don't necessarily think that he was liked or loved. I I agree with you that he was seen more as a villain or just kind of a dick, but that's, that, that's, that's okay. Right. To be just kind of like, ah, he's a funny, but like, I think that people sort of saw Tyson. I mean, we're going to sit here and go, Oh, maybe he's, Dangerous, you know. Com- comparing as as what we've seen from him coming back with with future seasons, but I, I don't know if anyone looked at Tyson and goes, "Man, that guy's gonna win this season," yep. you know. And I think that he was he was seen as somewhat, I mean, not not totally harmless, but kind of harmless, right? So like he's he's there. he's 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 decent at challenges. He's decent at the game, but ultimately he's he. You could tell that he was probably not gonna win this thing. And so I think when you sort of look at a character and go, he's just here. And his time's going to run out soon at some point. The venom kind of goes away. And I also agree with Mike in the sense that, you know, not that, you know, Sierra was like this fun underdog, but it's like she was an underdog. And I I, I feel like a lot of the fan base, like I remember being just kind of whatever about Sierra at the time. Yeah. Not, not that I hated her, but not that I loved her either. So it was one of those things where if Tyson is bagging on Sierra, it's like I'm not really necessarily coming to Sierra's aid over this. You know, so it's like you can look at it and go, wow, Tyson's really pouring it on. And it's, it, it, you know, w- what an absolute dick for saying these things. Ah, but it's Sierra. And so yeah. it's kind of like a, you know, it, it's sort of like a B plot or a C plot, you know, so you can sort of look at it slightly detached as, as opposed to anything else.
0: Okay. Not, oh, These are all fair answers. I just wanted to bring up some discussion. And when, again, one of the things that people uh, criticize us on historians is you guys just agree on everything. That's no fun. You just agree. So I'm like, let's throw some discussion questions out there. Give people something to listen to because I agree I agree with you for the most part. Um, obviously, we're going to save this more for when we get up to Worlds Apart because I want to defend Dan. I really don't think Dan was ever that bad. And that's, it always bugs me that he gets so much hate and someone like Tyson, who was much meaner, gets almost no
1: hate. But again, that's for a future podcast. I
2: think that's tone. I think that's target. I I think, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm glad you have,
1: you have adopted Dan much like Dan was adopted on his own as you're sort (laughs) of like, we have, we have Mario lands like school of people who are better than you think they were. We have Chris Doherty's probably the oldest son coaches, the middle child, Dan's the youngest at this point, who knows what's to come.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, admittedly, that's 12 seasons down the road. So that's a good, what, 15, 16 years before we get to that on Historians. So I'm just throwing that out there now that I, someday I will defend Dan because I don't think Dan was that bad. But back to token genes. All right. Let's get to the reward challenge. This is a one that I actually thought I kind of forgot about this when we were watching this episode. I'm like, oh, that was kind of a cool challenge. I don't remember this one where they take the puzzle boards and you have to line them up and look through the holes and spell out the letter.
3: And this, I think this one was kind of cool. Every time, like, it came on, and I didn't even, like, I don't know Token Chains as well as, you know, some of the really old school ones, but the one image that stuck in my mind is, like, Tosh having it around her neck, and Jeff's yeah. like, don't snap your neck. And so every time I just see that challenge, I kind of, like, kind of, you know, crack my neck a little bit. I'm like, uh, that kind of creeps me out. And also, we should
1: know that, you know, Token Chains did a couple of things in the water, but I feel like the post-merge especially, they've done basically everything in the land, in some sort of field, doing something. So this is another example for it, where they're, gonna, they're in two teams of four, they're going to run out there, Steven especially, to gather these sort of like Swiss cheese boards. And like Mario said, they have to line them up in a particular configuration to be able to look through the holes down the course, to see the letters, and then they're going to fill in a phrase. The phrase is, you've won a feast, which is appropriate, because the reward is not only a feast in a local village, but a performance of capoeira dance fighting.
0: Okay. I got to bring this up as the funny one fifteen guy, obviously I'm the guy I need to, I, I'm kind of responsible in a way for bringing some of this more subtle comedy TV to the, to the survival world. And this is something I didn't write about. There's actually a coach joke here that I did not write about in the funny 115, and it kills me that I missed it. And that is how these rewards start basically trolling coach. <laughs> how basically every reward at this point is something he's dying to do because it's what he does in real life. Like the last one was him, you know, you know, kayaking. We're going to go kayaking down the rapids and coach is like visibly owing at that. He's so excited in this one. We're going to go watch a special form of Brazilian martial art that only a few people know, like. Now they're just trolling coach at this point. Like, like, what else they can do? Like, next up, a famous uh, a trumpet performance from the world's most famous trumpet player. Yeah, like
1: a... You're going to con- conduct the Brazilian symphony on uh, <laughs> Beethoven's latest piece. Could you imagine, like, JT and Steven having to do that?
0: Next day, yeah, the winner gets to go to a judge, a bench pressing contest or an Adam Sandler marathon or like a, <laughs> a factory where they make kimonos. It's just hilarious because they're going to keep throwing rewards that Coach, you know, Coach wants to do, and he never wins any of them. To the point that Jeff is going to start mock openly mocking him. So anyway, I just pointed out that's one gimme slam dunk on the Funny One Fifty, I completely missed at the time trolling Coach with the awesome rewards. All right, yeah. So Capoeira, it's a famous Brazilian martial art. They're going to go get to see a performance, and uh, this is one of those challenges. They compete in teams of four. You have the red team, which is JT, Aaron, Debbie, and Tyson, a.k.a. the really good team. And then you have the black team, which is Sierra, Taj, Coach, and Steven, a.k.a. the team that's not going to win ever. So Coach is <laughs> kind of screwed here right at the start. He's not going to get to see his martial arts reward.
1: Yeah, And this it's also noteworthy here that uh, this is Aaron's first and I believe only reward that she goes on throughout the course of token genes because she missed out on the only reward that timbira won because she was on exile she goes on one here but then you know the Jollipows are going to win all the next rewards and take each other so Aaron has one appearance to see capoeira and she might as well uh i would say that she takes it all in but then she pretty much throws it all back up quite literally at the feast <laughs> all
0: right all right so here we have uh, another instance of steven running the very famous fishback fishback run shows up here and uh, let's see. Yeah. So it's a cool challenge. They're just lining up the holes. And uh, at the end, they have to spell out a puzzle, right? And it's like you won a feast or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then, sorry, coach. So <laughs> you good know, to the...
2: see you were paying attention to when Mike was describing it earlier. So, oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here thinking of coach jokes. I'm not listening to you guys. I'm sorry. So, anyway, yeah. So coach doesn't get the reward. And <laughs> this is where, this is where you know, they, uh, Probes openly starts mocking coach. Like, coach is all bummed. He doesn't win the, the uh, reward, and props is like, uh, Coach, you continue to lose these great cultural rewards. All that life experience not helping you? <laughs> Just one of the great Jeff Probst dick lines, and Coach is like, well, you know, I didn't line up boards like this in the Amazon.
1: Yeah, he's thinking, he was thinking about some different holes when he was going through the Amazon.
0: <laughs> exactly. So Coach doesn't uh, win the reward, and which is a shame, because the next reward is going to be they get to go in a, a, a dunk tank where they're throwing balls and sinking Brendan in the water, so he doesn't get to do that one either. All right. So here we go. The reward challenge where they all get to visit this Brazilian village and see the capoeira. And it's JT, Aaron, Debbie and Tyson. And this is one, I think, where they just sit there and pig out. Right.
3: Yeah. And I think this a scene that comes up in here is um, kind of some more backstory on Debbie and what and what she's doing. And she talks about being a principal and stuff. And I think that leads to something that I think is that the end of the season does really well is pretty much everyone of these final eight contestants gets at one point or another some segment if not multiple segments really kind of highlighting their backstory and kind of an old school feeling you really get to hear about where they come from and what they do which you know is something that as we've talked about as we move towards modern survivor uh not everyone gets usually it's a select few so i think it just adds to the point that if if i were to rewatch token chains it's like I just want to start at this episode like forget the beginning of it these eight people left in the game they're very well developed we get to hear stories about their professions even the people who are going to finish in seventh or or sixth or fifth place are obviously really big big parts of the season so I just really enjoyed watching this last bunch of episodes and it starts here with uh, Debbie talking about her, her middle school experience and how she's seeing the kids and it's reminding her of of her job back at home. So uh, I enjoyed watching this reward challenge. It was more than just picking out and uh, trolling tr- uh coach for me. And to yeah.
1: that point, I will also say that I feel like of those eight, because I do agree with you, Paul, I do feel like Debbie of those eight up to this point had by far the least amount of character development. She was very under the radar. The only significant thing was, again, people nicknaming her Hag before the season started due to her appearance in the the Token Sheen's preview that aired at the end of Gabon. But I agree. I, I feel like... This episode and the next two, obviously, are really where we're going to see Debbie come to light. And we get a lot about, you know, the, the the social game in particular that Debbie was playing, that she was sort of the camp mom in a way, even though she was not the only mother there. And I feel like we really start to get to see that there. And as someone who really enjoys Debbie in the few episodes we see her on Token Sheens, uh, I, I really enjoyed this scene, too, for what it was worth.
0: Yeah, this is one of those scenes I don't think they would have included in the episode about seven, eight seasons later than this. Where you get to see all of Debbie's life and how it's important to her. It's not, and Also, we learned that she can do a back handspring, which is kind of cool. Not many people can do that. She must have been a gymnast at one point.
1: I was going to say, that's another Debbie you're thinking of, Mario. That's like 12 seasons down the line. <laughs> now, what was that, Paul? You actually had something interesting
0: to say. Uh, Mention that again. Thank you. <laughs> um,
3: and some of my research, thanks. Uh, Trying to go for that 3% uh, airtime. Uh, Debbie was actually a, uh, a PE teacher, much like Heidi, before she was a principal. So. Exactly like Heidi.
0: <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, back, back handsprings, obviously, people who haven't done gymnastics, that's a tough move. Again, I was, when I was a kid, I, would, I tried to teach myself those, and I could do a handspring, but back handsprings are very tough to do because you, you have to have a lot of faith that you're not going to crack your skull on the back of the ground. So I, I would give full props to anybody who can do those.
2: I would say that when Paul saw Debbie do a back handspring, he instantly knew that she was what Heidi was.
3: <laughs> she was a uh former gym teacher instantly this is the
0: first time in recorded history debbie and heidi have ever been compared so i guess we just gave debbie some character one in
1: brazil <laughs>
0: Right. all right so yeah they all get sick because they ate too much and it was it was a fun it's a good scene again like paul said it's it's really adds a little depth to the season that was sorely lacking up to this point so i really do think if you kind of started from this scene this would be a good place to watch token teens teens sorry all right, so we cut to Exile Island. Stephen has been sent there. He's like, "Hey, there's no idol any here anymore. So I'm here for no reason." So
1: okay, so now that'll be the last time that Exile Island will be interesting this season, right? <laughs> we won't I w- see it again. I will say, I think there's, a, I, I think Stephen is a very underrated uh, comic persona. I know, obviously, with the stuff that he's done outside of the show on podcast specifically, I feel like his humor comes off more there. But I, I do like this scene just because Steven's specific line of, "Yeah, I mean, who needs a feast when you have." sand and it just caused him like literally screaming in agony and frustration which as Mario said will probably be the last time that ever happens on this season about the fact that he had to miss out on a feast to get sent to this island only to find out that he's here for no reason whatsoever <laughs> yes
0: all right so we go back to camp after the reward everyone is back at camp now and you know Aaron, or uh, Sierra is still bitching. She's like, you guys all act like you're your best friend. You're going to have to turn on each other. This is so stupid. Everyone acts like it's seven against one. And, and Debbie's just like, shut up, Sierra. You just <laughs> Again, as Paul said, it this is going to become very funny next episode when Debbie and Coach are reversed here. And then Aaron even points out, she's like, you know, Sierra's right. She's annoying, but she's right. Like, everyone else is hypocritical here. Sierra's the only one pointing it out. She's like, we're all going to turn on each other, and I'll be the first one to do it. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so here's sierra she's still complaining still whining and and here comes coach he's going to come down to cheer her up because you know that's going to help and this is where this is, i think the scene mike was alluding alluding to earlier where this is where coach really kind of gets pep talky with her a little bit she's like i'm not going to give up i'll fight i want a second chance and, and coach is like well you know you you probably should get a second chance i'm not going to give it to her but he he's torn he's like torn i see this girl she's struggling and he goes, it's, it, there's a little bit of humanity in here in coach for one of these few scenes.
1: I, would, I, I, I like how you said that He said he was going to give her a pep talk, and then he proceeds to say, essentially, go kill yourself like the samurai would be honorable.
0: <laughs> how is that not a pep talk? That's samurai honor. He even says the honorable thing is to accept your fate and to slice open your guts and have them slowly pour out as you die slowly. I mean, that's honor. That's the acceptable thing to do here.
1: I will, I will, I'll, I'll give Sierra credit in this scene as well for really playing into Coach's head when she says how do you save the kind enemy? It's just like such. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure Coach threw that term out at some point on like day 15 and Sierra kept that in her pocket to finally pull out and use against him granted again it's not going to work well here considering that him and Tyson and Debbie vote against Sierra but good on her for at least trying to use his logic against him one of the many times she'll try this yeah I do appreciate that I, I completely forgot about that but yeah that's if you're going to
0: appeal to Coach, just start using his own analogies and words and see if it's some, something, maybe click somewhere. All right, so Sierra's screwed. It's seven against one. They all know it. And now we're going to go into the immunity challenge, which is a very odd one. It's the uh, shuffleboard in the rain.
1: I, I do want to point out, as much as, you know, I'm sure Jay is already grinding his gears up, though Mario doesn't know how those work at the moment, to talk about Survivor's <laughs> shuffleboard for the umpteenth time. I do want to go to... Um, something that Probst said in his blog entry for Entertainment Weekly for this uh, episode in particular, uh, because he talks about how this season in particular dealt with a lot of rain, and you would think that would be cumbersome, especially next season. There will definitely be some moments featuring rain that might literally almost end someone's life, but Probst loves the rain. In fact, he says he has a reality show host program orgasm over it. He drops a hard O whenever the rain comes pouring down, even if it's just shuffleboard.
3: Wow. Wow.
1: An exciting game of shuffleboard.
3: <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a lot of O's this
0: season. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, I know shuffleboard is the state sport of Montana, right?
3: Correct, it is. Uh, it's all, right. all about getting it in that big O, but be careful if you put the big O board around your head, not to snap your neck when you're trying to achieve the big O.
0: Yeah, Paul doesn't play sports, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyway, so yeah, the shuffleboard in the rain, and it's all cold and miserable. And this this whole scene just looks miserable. Everyone's cold and shivering, and and then it gets even worse when Probe says, okay, well, you only have to compete if you want to. Otherwise, you can have pizza, and he pulls out the pizza, and, and you know, the noble warrior coach opts for pizza instead mm-hmm. of competing.
3: <laughs> Seriously. It's just like, like, that is like sums up coach. Like, we just get from a segment where he is going about honor and integrity and, you know, (laughs) Sierra, fall on your sword and blah, 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 blah. And then cut to, uh, actually, you guys, I'm going to sit out of this challenge because I really want this pizza.
1: (laughs) And and why this pizza? This pizza has much been talked about in survivors' discussion, but this is Uh, by far the worst looking survivor, which again is like a very low bar to clear, but this is a, I mean I think the rain definitely contributes to it. I, I'm sure Steven would have taken anything at that point considering he just spent the, the night on exile for no particular reason, but that pizza does not look good.
0: Yeah, this is like Brazilian Little Caesars, basically. They just get two for like five bucks, one of those things.
2: That like that like this, that like besmirches little Caesars. I way. know.
0: It's... I hate to say it's... that because I know Little Caesars is known as Detroit-style pizza, so I, I don't want to. No, piss
2: off Jay. no, that's not Detroit-style pizza.
0: <laughs> I know Detroit's deep dish. I know. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to mess with you. We no, I but... don't. We don't make enough Michigan jokes. It's all Montana. We got to go for some Michigan stuff.
2: Okay, that's fine. Well, we'll take our licks. Um, I, I don't know. Little Caesars pizza has a time and a place, and it's like for the most part I'll, I'll turn my nose up at a Little Caesars, but every once in a while you look at it and you're like, hey, that looks halfway decent. Has there ever been a pizza on Survivor where you're like, yeah, that, right there. That's the thing I need to eat right now.
0: Yeah, well, we haven't had a Survivor Italy yet, so one day my people will step in. And we'll <laughs> We'll show you how it's done. All right, so yeah, so Stephen, coach, and the noble, or Stephen, JT, and the noble dragon slayer coach, all sit out of the challenge so they can eat pizza, and Tyson gets annoyed. He's like, you know, we can kind of win these challenges to keep Sierra out of here. I'm, where are you assholes sitting out? So, yeah, little one, a rare moment of uh, emotion from Tyson where he kind of gets annoyed, and uh, yeah, so it's one of those weird challenges in the rain. It's kind of weird to do shuffleboard in the rain because the, the the viscosity or the the uh, whatever the, the term is the, the 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 board is not a, a, a regulation shuffle ball board. It's uh, the frictions off a little bit. So, yeah, it just looks miserable. And then Sierra, it's kind of a little F you Sierra moment here at the end where Sierra, you know, it's everybody against her. And at the end, she finally wins the challenge. She hits the shot that knocks Tyson out. And she starts celebrating. She does her little victory dance. And then there's one person left to shoot, Debbie, and Debbie knocks Sierra out and steals her win and takes immunity. And poor Sierra. She says, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And obviously uh, Tyson won't comment on that later. Alright, so yeah, so we go after the challenge, and then Tyson's laughing, he's like, yeah, you see Sierra, that idiot, she was celebrating, thinking she won. He's like, there's nothing awesomer than seeing somebody celebrate before it's over.
2: Good old editor irony. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's a good one. And we're going to set up Tyson's downfall real well here. So yeah, so then Tyson tells us, you know, Sierra just lost immunity, it's going to be seven against one. He's like, I hope she cries tonight at Tribal Council. And again, much worse stuff than Rodney or Dan were doing, but never mind. Alright. So who wants to take over here after the challenge?
1: Go for it.
3: Do you need a break or something? You gotta you know keep your uh keep your stamina up here, cause the good coach moments are uh, yet to come.
1: Yeah, is about to go, he's he's gonna go stand in his bathtub for fifteen minutes and do do some coach chi while we finish out the episode. He's gotta, you know, get everything honed in because we've got four more episodes to go of him. Or three and a half really.
3: Ah! <laughs> Well, b- well, back at camp here, you know, it, it kind of, it just is kind of this scene that just goes on and on into the next episode with the Sierra and Coach and the Debbie mixed in here, and so we get more of the Sierra to Coach. Uh, dynamic and like I just love like Sierra just like giving it her all here like when she looks coach in the eye and says here like would I be strong Sierra if I didn't have this conversation and I love that she's just really trying to like hit him where you know hit him where she knows he's going to react with the honor thing and then I love that it actually does give coach something at least in his interviews where he's kind of acting like you know he is kind of torn by this poor little girl who's trying to do what's best and how it's tugging at his heart
1: but on the other hand Paul he named his alliance, so you can't go
3: back on that. Right, but then it's it's also been here now we start, you know, where this talk of Tyson just, we kind of have this whole ominous thing of like the whole episode about something's going to go wrong for Tyson, but it's not really until after this challenge where we really like, you know, where it really comes to fruition.
0: Let's dissect this a little bit for people who haven't seen it in a while, because you might kind of might, might be surprised who did all this, how the Tyson thing exactly comes down. So we go back right. to camp and it's Aaron and Steven are the two talking about it. And they're like, you know, Tyson doesn't have immunity tonight. He's won every single immunity up to tonight. And all of a sudden he doesn't have it. They're like, why not get out Tyson? And Taj is there. And she's like, yeah, that'd be great. So all of a sudden, then Steven suggested to JT. And all of a sudden there's all this undercurrent, like, you know, Tyson is like the huge threat. Why isn't anybody voting him out? And Steven goes over to JT and says a quote, which will absolutely <laughs> yes. not haunt him later in the season. I know this this one made me cringe when I hear it, when Steven says, you know what happens every season, JT? Somebody goes on an immunity run.
1: Let's make it you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. That, that That's, again, one reason why to rewatch these seasons, is because little things stick out like that, where you could tell, obviously they knew where things were going to go when JT wins the last three immunities, much to Steven's chagrin. But th- this is such a fun thing as well, because... Again, from what I remembered about the episode, I thought it was, okay, these four join up with Sierra to vote out Tyson. They, you know, pull the old Rob Sesternino, they scoop up from the bottom, and they use it to blindside the people. But no, (laughs) nobody likes Sierra at this point. That They just decide, they pull like the Toggy Four with Dr. Sean. They say, oh, well, you know what? Sierra's already voting for Tyson. We might as well pile our votes onto hers to get a clear-cut majority.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's one instance of anybody saying we should save Sierra. It's all, let's just vote Tyson. <laughs> so yeah, Ty, isn't told about all this. And the only thing is JT. JT is worried. He's like, you know, this is going to crush Coach. I absolutely will crush Coach if we bail on the Warrior Alliance. And this is the, the thing leading into Tribal Council. Will they all turn on Tyson? Can't JT go against Coach's wishes in the Warrior Alliance? And so here we go. One of the better Tribal Councils, not just, I would say, of this season, but of any season. This is a really good one. Oh, God,
2: it's so good.
1: No, Jay's here. Hi, Jay. What's up? <laughs> I mean, this 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 is, this is like maximum douche chills for Tyson here. There's just, again, and it leads such into such a fantastic downfall because you can tell from the moment he says he feels comfortable, he really doesn't see this coming. And he really just says, decides that, okay, this is the moment where I'm really just going to tar and feather Sierra, not only in front of everybody, but in front of Jeff Probst as well to really show how worthless she is. Yeah. Okay.
0: So for people who don't remember it, this is the scene where, Where Probes is asking, you know, were you happy? Were you sad you didn't win immunity tonight at Tribal Council? And Tyson's like, well, if I didn't win immunity, I'm just happy someone I loved did. And he like reaches over and hugs Debbie. And uh, Probes is like, JT, does that make you feel bad? He's saying he loves Debbie. And Tyson's like, I didn't say she's the only person I loved. And Probst is like, well, who do you love, Tyson? And Tyson basically goes and names every single person in the game except Sierra. It's like Coach and Debbie and JT and Steven. And then he pauses and looks at Brendan in the jury and says, and Brendan, and does a little sexy wink at him. <laughs> it's one of my favorite little Tyson moments. And then Coach does this little knockout punch, like pantomimes knockout punch, as if that, that's the nail in the coffin that's going to you know, kick Sierra while she's down. The one last time she gets bagged on before
1: they vote her out. Uh, It's really interesting as well to see, like, Sierra has definitely had her tail between her legs this entire episode to really kowtow to everyone being like, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to go against you, I still like you, but you get this moment of genuine anger and frustration from her where Sierra's trying to explain why she voted with Brendan to Jeff, and Jeff just says flat out to Sierra, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. And Tyson says, well, nobody does. And Sierra just snaps at that moment. She's like, you know what, Tyson? And it's just this rare moment where, again, for someone who is so sullen the past two days, she is genuinely furious at him in this moment, which makes things so much fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's just talking over her. He's correcting her when she makes a mistake. He's just interrupting her. He's finishing her sentences. I mean, he's just being a straight out dick. And then he says, you know, when I'm done listening to Sierra talk, I'm done. That's just, It's my turn to talk now. Yeah, it's just it's an absolute asshole moment. He's going straight Cobra Kai here, 80s movie villain. He looked per- perfect Cobra Kai. And, and this is where probes kind of suggest, uh, guys, why not take out Tyson tonight? You know, he's a big physical threat. And coach, of course, as well. I wanted to walk the walk of the path of the noble warrior. And there's a great sh- shot of Taj crossing her eyes and ridiculousness, <laughs> and how just her laughing at coach. And then this is another again. Probes is just slamming uh, coach left and right here, where coach is like, "Well, you know, we're the we're the noble warriors. We don't vote out the strong." And Probes like, "Well, you took out Brendan. <laughs> it's a great move, and <laughs> yeah, and so. And uh, Coach, is like, Coach is like, well, I can explain explain. And probe's like, yeah, I'd love to hear it. Please do. It's like, it's just more fun little probes than Coach interplay.
1: Is this also, is this the first time that Coach wears the feathers in his hair? Because I definitely noticed it this episode, but I can't remember if any of the past tribal councils he does it as well. That's a Paul
0: question. I hate to say I know a lot about Coach, but that's a Paul question.
3: I, I do admit that. How is that, that I, a uh, Paul question? Paul knows the minutia. Everything. That's Kind of like, like zone out, like when you know Coach was doing these things. So I uh, I don't have a good uh, uh, memory for that.
0: I don't remember to be honest. I never paid attention to the feather. I really didn't even notice it until halfway through the season. So I, I'm sure someone can write in and explain, but I do not know when the feather first showed up. So here you go. So here's Coach's explanation of why voting out Brendan was not, was not taking out taking the honorable way or how it's different from being the honorable way and taking the strong to the end. So Coach is like, well, I can explain. And probes is like, oh, I'm sure you will. And Coach is saying, well, Brendan pitted himself against me. And Coach is like, or probes is like, I thought that's what you wanted, Coach. And Coach is exactly. And I won. Exactly. Thank you. Which doesn't answer the question at all, but they're all just laughing. And I'm like, that's, that's not an answer, Lil. That's not how deals work. So Probes just laughs at Coach or whatever. And says, Coach, I, Coach says, uh, everyone here will battle with honor. It's honorable. And JT, of course, pipes right in by kissing Coach's butt. Again, which they're all kind of doing at this point. JT's like, Coach said he's changing the game. And he is. And then coach like, I totally trust JT. JT is a warrior. So it's one of those things. I, I always wonder when I'm watching scenes like this, does Coach actually believe all this stuff? Or is is just like mind control, like South Pacific? Because again... Again, we shouldn't be spoiling future seasons, but we will. Why not? And that coach does this religion stuff where he's controlling everyone's thoughts, and we're a family, and I'm trying to make sure I change the way you see this tribe and game. And I think, in my opinion, he's doing it here, too. Just I I think it gets overshadowed because it's so over the top. I don't think people realize there's there's actually some strategy behind this, but I don't know. What do you guys think?
1: Mm, I don't know. I I don't want to necessarily compare the, you know, Coach's Timbira alliance with the Upolus from Survivor South Pacific, but considering everyone else's reactions to Coach, including Tyson and Debbie, who were his number one and two, I have to feel like they're just sort of buying into his BS. Not purposefully, they're saying, like, they're smiling and nodding, knowing that, like, there's no way he's actually changing the game. He's a complete loon, but we'll go along with it, because if he really is... Being the honorable guy that he wants to I know he's going to do some ridiculous Things that'll hopefully help me In the path to eventually winning a million dollars
0: Yeah I think you're probably right but my argument has always been in, When you get to South Pacific people say oh he changed And I'm like I don't think he changed that much at all I think he just he throws in a religion A little more but I think it's the, pretty much the same stuff He's doing in token genes
2: um, Yes and no I I, I think that I don't think that he completely changed, but I think that when you say, well, he threw in some religious stuff, blah, 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 well, he changed his message. You know, he ultimately what Coach is trying to do is he's trying to get people to sell, you know, or to buy what he's selling, you know. And and I think that in this first go around in token genes, they're not like they're 100 percent not. And they're so not on. Survivor Heroes versus Villains, he actually becomes more under the radar in the fact that, you know, he's sort of a joke walking in. So then they're all just treat him as a joke. And then he sort of gets legit through all of that. And then when he gets into South Pacific, he's a grizzled vet, right? Like he's one of the the two people that actually has some survivor experience and he changes his tactics, you know, and, and he sort of, instead of just reading himself and reading his narrative, I think he reads the room in survivor South Pacific and sees what they need. And he sort of changes his message to cater to them. And then they're buying what he's selling.
1: I think the grizzled bet thing is the main reason why I think there's a difference personally. I yeah. think it's honestly that, In South Pacific, quite honestly, Coach came into the position that he wanted to be in Token Chains. He wanted to be the one from day one. People were saying, oh, let's look to you. You know what to do. You can lead us. You've done this before, which everyone was pointing and laughing at him behind his back for trying to declare that in Token Chains. But by position alone, he was able to do that in South Pacific.
0: Yes.
3: That's actually a very great
0: uh, description. I like that. That's good.
3: Yeah. We're going to miss your insight, Mike, so much.
2: It, it's it's true. I mean, it's it's true. I mean, I, I think that that Mike's hit it on the head. It, it's the fact that, you know, not only is he in the position that he wants to be in, but like I said, he he's because he's there, he's able to relax a bit. Right. Because I think coach sort of figures it out at this point. Like, you know, he's he's you know, he he's off in his own little world. And we we're we're making fun of that and, and talking about that as well. But I think coach also knows that in a weird way, like his message isn't totally, you know, landing all the way. But he's just, you know, he's grasping and trying. And it's like in South Pacific, I think at some point, like, you know, like you said, he's a a decent coach, you know, Mm -hmm. in real life. You know, it's not like he's, you know, a joke at that and, and things like that. So he knows when, you know, if you're a coach or a director or some sort of person in charge of other people, you have to know when your message is getting through and not. And I think that, you know, when your message isn't getting through, you're going to press, you're going to try, you're going to try different things and, and really try to sell it. But if your message is getting through, you can sort of relax and sort of modify it and, 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 and sort of shape it even, even better. Like, like fine tune it. You know what I mean?
0: Nope. Yep, I think those are all, those are all excellent answers. Well done.
1: And then coach, you know, encounter <laughs> to that, uh, going to his vote for a second, as to go to the voting booth shows, how uh, literary he truly is by saying, last week I had to slay the dragon, this week I had to take care of his bride. Farewell, sweet princess. Which has so many mixed metaphors in it, considering that, I think it was even the last episode, he said that essentially Sierra is dragon dookie. But now, she's not only a princess, but she's also married to the dragon. There, there's a, a weird sort of narrative the Coach has set up around this whole dragon thing. It, it spun out much more than I think he initially thought.
0: It's like Tyson getting uh, promoted to assistant coach or, like, the head coach. semara C- has been promoted at some point. Now she's the dragon's bride, which I don't remember a whole lot of myths where the dragon has a bride. It seems like a little bestiality going on there. I'm not sure what exactly is going on there. It seems kind of odd. It's
3: even weird for Montana folk, I agree. <laughs> That's right.
0: You're just straight horse, straight horse sex there. And no we mystery. have the Kimmel effect up here, so yeah.
1: Yeah, I wonder what the, what the medieval Kimmels were doing yeah
0: reptiles no that's completely off mammals only
3: god stick to the mammals how (laughs) dare you deal with that reptilia shit
0: i know that's from north dakota that's north dakota (laughs) crap
3: yeah that's like the root of a bunch of north dakota jokes
0: (laughs) it's all all people having sex with dragons
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh you must be in north dakota well that that
2: really that really kills the mystique for me like are there dragons? Is there the one dragon left? Yeah, yeah, it's in North Dakota.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> at this point, it's like some sort of like weird inbred dragon because, you know, they had to keep it in the family. So there's, like, someone somewhere in some remote corner of North Dakota who is the last dragon, but uh, he might not necessarily be all there, if you get my drift.
0: I'm totally convinced now, Mike, when you leave, we have to bring in a replacement, and I got to get someone from North Dakota just for the North Dakota jokes. Now, we got to have North Dakota versus Montana. I'm already getting this all set up.
2: And then someone's just like, I can't believe that the last dragon was hiding all this time in North Dakota. And someone's like, no, it's, it's here. It's public. There's signs. Just no <laughs> one's here, you know,
0: like no one
2: bothered to look here.
0: Yeah. There's a dragon in it. It's hot. Oh man. That's one sexy dragon. All right. So enough of that. So yeah. Coach votes for Sierra with the dragon princess analogy. And then Sierra votes for Tyson with a much more, uh, down to earth Tyson, you're a jerk. <laughs> Just pretty fitting. And then, uh, I'm just watching the scene and coach is all noble and he's got his nose in the air. He's all cocky and his whole world is about to collapse onto him. It's going to be, it's going to be quite funny. I mean, it's going to be bad for Tyson. This downfall for coach is going to be even funnier. So here we go. So uh, I even wrote, this is the greatest episode of the season. I just circled. it. This is so fun to watch. All right. So here come all the votes and surprise. It's not Sierra. It's Tyson. And it's what's as Mike pointed out earlier, even Sierra is surprised. She's like, what the hell? I wasn't even involved in this. (laughs) So. Tyson, it was five to three, and without goodbye, sweet prince, goodbye, assistant coach Tyson.
1: Uh, and I think we've already done, you know, a pretty good job of talking about Tyson specifically in Token Sheen, so we can move on from here. The one thing I do want to point out is apparently, in Tyson's Myriad podcast he's done after his time on the show, he did say that behind the scenes, uh, him and Brendan decided to bring chocolate and peanut butter to the next tribal council to try to taunt everyone left in the final seven, and apparently they, like, ate it behind Propes back. You know what, what that says about me? That I think Brendan was probably very underrated as a fun character. If he's already scamming with
0: Tyson three days into their uh, ponderosa visit yeah no tyson's awesome one of my favorites just pure entertainment value i mean he he went in there he's going to play the villain role he did everything that i would argue corinne tried to do but tyson just did it a little better he's like you know what i'm i'm just me i'm awesome i'm the big blonde cocky villain from karate kid and i'm just going to own it and he does every minute of the season even all the way up to his final words where he gets voted out and he's like you sneaky bastards now i know how brendan felt he's like it's a little weird being outfoxed by an idiot. Even in his final words, he's taken digs at Sierra. So I got to give credit to Tyson, one of my favorites of the season. And admittedly, even though you love a character, it's, sometimes it's awesome to see them get a downfall. And like Tyson's story would not have been even half as good without the downfall he got at Sierra's hands of all people. So well, I think nothing, bad argue, to, nothing bad to say.
2: I think you have to argue that that most great villains have to have a downfall, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. They have to. They're also not villains. They become right. antiheroes at a certain point.
2: Yeah. Or it becomes messy and weird. And I know that we're not at the season yet, um, but like I think I feel like you know you 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 meant you, you talked about it. You know the fall of Russell Hansen Samoa and stuff like that. But I feel like the end of Samoa with 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 Natalie White and stuff like that. Like it's there and like yeah. you can see it, but at the same time it's a little sort of undefined. And so it got messy. And I think that that was a problem is because they didn't give you this definitive punctuation mark to that story. Just like they did here with Tyson, like this whole episode and it 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 crescendos and then it ends with the with with the with with a period on his on his story. And I think it's very complete, and I think it's very nice and tidy. And I think that's why we remember Tyson fondly is because it wrapped up and it ended in a logical way, and we were with it.
0: Yep. No, I I will fully admit it's a secret I don't like to admit, but you're absolutely dead on that. Russell never has a fall never has a downfall
2: yeah and
0: it's a secret and I tried to lie and pretend he did because I thought it'd be funnier and I thought that Russell would hate it when he read it but he never has a downfall that's the problem yeah No, that's what's perfect about Tyson. Again, he's Johnny Fairplay. I always say Johnny Fairplay, absolute template of a survivor villain. Just unabashed asshole, left and right, talking crap about everyone, making fun of people, pulling dead grandma jokes, and then he gets humiliated at the end by his mortal enemy, the girl who cries all the time and he hates and has no respect for I mean, that's a perfect villain story arc, and Tyson maybe is number two. I mean, if you're looking at just straight villain, that's a perfect arc. He loses to Sierra when he's been mocking her and trying to make her cry. It's just, it's perfect, so... You can say that and still love Tyson, and I love Tyson. I'm sure you guys probably agree with that, too. I thought he was fantastic.
1: Uh, and as we move into this next episode, I do want to point out, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the previously on segment, no dialogue by Jeff Probst. It's super interesting. Yes. But yeah, they they just keep cutting together all of these clips to show exactly the sequence of what happened, which, again, I think just really shows how fantastic of a contained arc that episode alone was. It really just explained everything we got some small moments as paul mentioned from people like debbie who we don't hear too much from so i felt like that was it's just such a, a really great episode of survivor in general jeff said at the time it might have been one of his favorite episodes ever and i i might put it in there as well there's a lot of episodes to choose from but this is a really really good episode of the show
2: is the fact that jeff probst wasn't narrating the the previously on is there just like is is it kind of like you know in the next season where they have like the um the bocce ball challenge without him like is there like an hour in jeff's life where he's like no i'm not working like this is my time off like this is my break no one bother me
0: like ramadan he doesn't eat that day or something yeah it's like probes version of that
2: and they're like jeffy come on you got to do the little promo for this episode And he's like no i'm on break you just you just air that thing like i am not talking
0: (laughs) all right (laughs) So here we go into a fun uh, Sierra gets voted out episode. But, you know, she had her storyline, so it's going to wrap up here. So anyway, yeah, Sierra gets a huge revenge underdog push in the previously on segment. And then we start the next episode with, of course, JT and Coach, where JT's, you know, like, Coach, you know, we, we had to leave you out of the loop. We couldn't tell you. We were voting out Tyson because you would have been conflicted. It would have been at odds with the Warrior Alliance. And Coach, of course, is like, oh, thank you. I really appreciate you looking out for me. <laughs> So
1: anyway, this is the last time Coach is ever going to have any
0: control on this game, I should point
1: out. Well, this is really fun because, again, it signifies what we're going to see down the line with Steven and JT in that the two of them in particular are navigating a really tricky tightrope with these alliances, particularly when you're dealing with someone like Coach who—I think like the double-edged sword when it comes to the whole honor and integrity thing is that if you cross someone like that, you have a very, very good chance of pissing them off permanently so much so that you lose a jury vote, but— they, even in this episode, they could have said on paper, screw off Debbie and Coach. Like, we're going to stick with this group until the end, which they end up doing. But they end up really currying favor with these people, which I feel like actually does them a really good service, especially in the face of these two people. You know, Coach is completely back in with the Warrior Alliance, despite the fact that Steven and JT completely lied to him, to his face, and voted out his, like, number one ally.
3: Who and would I gotta- you say,
2: though? Know, who would you say was uh, between Steven and JT was the one to basically say, we need to vote out Tyson last episode.
0: Steven, that was Steven. Absolutely. Steven and Aaron. Mm -hmm.
2: Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, it's something that, you know, I think that Steven's stock, Togentines is a funny season because we, we talk about the, you know, in, in all the previous seasons that we've talked about people who've returned to play the game again, we've talked about, you know, how perhaps sometimes people's opinions of them, on, on their open seasons, tile changes depends on, you know, what's happening in, in subsequent seasons and things like that. I think that something, I think that it was an, even an undercurrent at the time at token chains was that, you know, Steven was like the brains behind the JT and Steven Alliance. And then JT was the execution. And then they get, you know, they it, it, it's all these sorts of things. And, I think that when you I look back, I remember sort of disagreeing with it, but then I feel like I've come full circle on that. And I feel like more than anything, with, with JT's subsequent forays into Survivor, he needed Steven to call shots for him. Like, because I don't know if JT would have gone against that because, you know, he had such a problem with it. He's like, I don't know. I don't want to go against Coach. And, and Steven's like, we're doing it. It, it's... figure out a way to justify it
0: steven had other allies that's always the thing you forget his social game jt wasn't yeah. his only card
1: yeah J- steven has said that he had multiple final two alliances which will definitely work against him and yeah th- you bring up a really interesting point jay and it was something that i've been thinking about as well as to like the perception you know why is steven really perceived as the brains behind the operation and JT's more of the muscle or the enforcer if you will the face of it and I'm wondering, it's actually comparable to when we were talking in Vanuatu about Amy yeah. versus Leanne. I honestly mm-hmm. think it might come down to confessionals. I think it might come down to the fact that Steven gives a really great confessional. He's very insightful. Uh probably more so than somebody like JT, who admittedly, uh, for all of his great, you know, social acumen, is a little marble mouthed and might not necessarily make for the the best conversationalist. And I wonder if it's just a matter of the edit decided to really you know, hear things from Steven's perspective because he was just so well-spoken. And as a result, we almost have a narrative built in our head of, oh, yeah, Steven's the one making the decisions because he's the one we see talking about these decisions specifically.
0: Yeah. No, that's a very good point. It's always been one of those things, like how much of that alliance is JT, how much of it is Steven. And I've always thought, I mean, they— it's not as simple. People often, even yeah. back in the time, would say, well, Steven was the smart one. He made the decisions. JT was the muscle. But it's really, I mean, it's like like a, a dyad. I used that term before, yeah. just two minds working together. They, Together, they form something great. And by themselves, they both have obvious weaknesses. But yeah, just for some reason, they just click together as a pair to the point that they're much stronger than the sum of their parts, I think.
2: Well I, I yes and and I think that one of the things is that I think that JT's very good uh very reactionary in, in a good way and I think it's because he's so affable and so likable right and so the thing with JT is you could throw him into a pit of snakes per se and he can talk his way out of it right Mhm And so that's the whole thing is that and and what we've seen from subsequent seasons is that when JT has to make decisions by himself, he does not make the right decision and then he gets into trouble. Whereas with Steven and JT, and I think you're right, I think they bounced ideas off each other. It's not, I don't think it was some sort of thing like Steven's like, we're doing this, now do this, or something like that. I think they talked about it, but I think that for the most part, JT listened to Steven because Steven could probably argue his point to JT very, very eloquently. And and I think that we all know that Steven's got a pretty decent head for this game. And I think that Steven's problem in a lot of ways is that Steven can't, verbally navigate his way out of a pit of vipers or you know sort of maybe even co- convince a whole ton of people like i know i, I hear what you guys are saying and, and i agree with you that steven had other options other than jt but he's stuck with jt because i think the fact is is that jt was able to navigate these things sort of for them right where like they can make these hard calls and then jt can kind of talk their way out of trouble
0: I'm not sure if this is 100% accurate, but just my impression of the two of them watching is that JT is a little more of a ballsy player where he maybe might not think something through. He's just going to go for it. And if it doesn't work, you know, F it. I'm charming. I can get my way out of it later. And Steven might be a little more cautious because he doesn't have that charm, that natural skill to talk things out like JT could. So Steven won't get himself in as much trouble because he knows that's one of his weaknesses. That's kind of the one thing that I see that when Steven's not there, JT just goes all balls out and goes into something without even thinking about it, thinking he can get out of it later. And maybe when Steven's there, there's a little more forethought there.
1: And I mean, there are two more JT appearances to talk about, but you also have to wonder if it's a little bit results-oriented from this season. You know, I wonder if JT does not win this season and he happens to come back, would he adopt the same attitude? Probably not. He would probably play a little more cautiously. I think it's because he was able to be... A little brazen with this stuff, with his relationships especially, and really handling this coach dynamic and the fact that he won because of it. I think he's then able to say, Oh, yeah, this is what I'm good at. Let me bring this into my other two appearances. And through a a variety of reasons, it doesn't work out for him.
0: Yeah. One other thing I want to mention, it really has nothing to do with this discussion, but it's just something over the years, like even back at the time, it was very, you'd see it very much on the internet that, well, Stephen was the smart one, JT wasn't that smart and i i i know there's some a little bit in there that people with southern accents tend to everyone's got to think they're an idiot and i know that's not fair and i know jt's probably been been painted by a lot of that over the years well steven doesn't have the southern accent he's went to the good school he's got the glasses he's the smart one and jt's the southern one he's not smart and i know it's got to be a lot more complicated than that so it's just something no one's mentioned yet but i i'm sure i'm sure it'll come up in the finale once they go up against each other here all right so uh just to steven's point here even pointing out how insightful he is like you know, we had this big blind side last night. Tyson got voted out and, and Stephen's worried the next morning. Everyone else is like, that was amazing. We got Tyson out. And Stephen, to his credit, thinks Debbie and Coach are not angry enough. They should be angry, but they're not. They're walking around like, this was great. What a great move. He's like, I don't trust that reaction. That's not normal human behavior. And he's right. He's absolutely right. And it's one of those things I will give Stephen 100% credit for because he's the first one to catch on right there. And that's such a good read of human psychology right there that not even JT catches that. Stephen's like... That is not a natural response that they're having right now. Watch out for them.
1: Yes, and I mean, he is able to sort of forecast what Debbie and Coach are sort of alluding to here with Debbie in particular saying, hey, uh, there's a good chance that, you know, the Jalap are already in the midst of taking out taking out us Timberas. They could keep doing it, but we have the numbers as of this moment. Though, of course, this is a conversation that never happened, right, guys? They, they never actually talked about this with anybody. They're too honorable for that.
0: Of course, never. <laughs> Number one, coach hypocrisy coming up right here. But yeah, this will become a major subplot for the next couple episodes that I'd forgotten about. Yeah. So Debbie says we need to get Timbira back together. Dun, dun dun dun. Here from there, that's going to be the story of this episode. We we can get this power back. We'll just reform with Sierra. Of course, Sierra would love to be back in with us. So anyway, let's go to the reward challenge. Burn book. Yeah, the burn book, which let's talk mean about people and say mean things about them and smash people's faces with the the wooden log. Always a fun challenge.
1: I mean, it's good that Sierra was in this because she was a great butt monkey for it. I can only imagine if she had been voted out like the plan was, who exactly would get some of these more negative questions thrown at them.
0: Can you imagine if all the negative ones were about Coach, how hilarious that would have been?
3: I feel like maybe Courtney Merritt would have just taken the brunt of it, even though it's been, whatever, six seasons.
1: And also I should point out here, uh, Jeff even says in his Entertainment Weekly blog that he feels like at this point, this challenge is a little broken. Uh, This is definitely one of those challenges where if you're seeing it ahead of time, you're like, okay, four people, let's get together and all vote for somebody, which I think is why, you know, the Jellopows all end up pretty much in the top three at that point. So it's going to be retired. I think the next time it comes up in Survivor 1 world, but I think Survivor in general sees this challenge and says, well, it can be fun to sort of throw these questions at people i think people are trying to break the challenge a bit too much that we might need to put it out to pasture for a bit
0: all right so for people don't remember this one, yeah the slam book challenge then the reward is uh the winner gets a book by marcus aurelius if i recall (laughs) yeah you get a chance to coach the the brazilian women's soccer team for one game no it's they get to go to a natural spring and go to a brazilian family's house for a home cooked meal so it's it's a cute little cultural reward
3: i thought it was a skype call with nietzsche (laughs)
0: Yes, it was with Nietzsche. <laughs> All right. So here we go. The slam books, who has not lived up to their potential? And uh, the answer is coach, of course. What I love is that coach not only is the answer, but he also got it right. He answered himself. He fist pumps, knowing that everyone thinks he has not lived up to his potential. So way <laughs> to go, coach. And then who would squander the million dollars? It's Sierra. And of course, Sierra is the first one out at this point. Everyone just bashes her little face in because that's what you do to Sierra. And then uh, who would never survive on their own? Debbie. And this is where we lose Coach and Debbie. So, yeah, like you said, it's right down to the Jala left here and Aaron. Uh, who would you trust with your life? Gee, having watched the edit for this season, who is everyone going to trust with their life? Surprisingly, JT ends up being the answer. And we lose Aaron and JT at this point. So, basically, it's, uh, what is it, Taj and Steven in the final two of this challenge? Mm-hmm. And who is most likely to stab you in the back? Sierra. Who would you least like to see win? Sierra. Who do you want to be crushed by a falling piano? Sierra. All the answers are Sierra at this point. And then Steven ends up winning. Steven wins his very first survivor individual reward challenge.
1: I will say, uh, I think maybe they responded to Amanda Kimmel taking so much umbrage with the burning of the personalized dolls during Micronesia that they, they took a step back and just went to like generic clay pots. To get smashed so unfortunately we did not get to see you know a coach statue with feathers in its hair and a big black blazer on
0: <laughs> a jacket slung over its shoulder all right so yeah so steven wins. steven sends aaron to exile island and steven gets to pick someone to join him on the reward to the family's house and he picks taj again always point out that steven and taj are super close it's really not the steven and jt show 100 percent yet he picks Taj first. Then he gets to pick one more person. And then he's like, all right, JT can come too. So it will be Steven, Taj, and JT going on a reward. And then going back to camp, we got Coach Debbie and Sierra. And they're going to have a smashing time together back in camp. They're going to have fun. <laughs> all right. So let's see. What's going on with the reward here? It's just a Brazilian family. There's some very skinny
1: cows, I wrote. Uh, there, there's another second great mommy moment in a row in the episode where they're sitting around. They're having little feasts, and like the little three-year-old baby falls off the bench and hurts itself. And Taj just quickly goes into mommy mode and you know cradles the child. And then she almost like doesn't realize what she did. And again, it's a, a really cool moment from Taj. We even said at the end of last podcast, the post-merge isn't really Taj's big moment to shine. She's gonna get this and she's gonna get obviously the Eddie George stuff next episode, but surprisingly for being such a big part of everything pre-merge, for some reason for being a fourth placer, there isn't too much of Taj, but I really love this moment here because it's such an interesting comparison to Debbie as well, in that, you know, Debbie has kids, but they seem to be of a pretty good age, whereas I'm pretty sure Taj left like not necessarily A a yeah, like a newborn or like a very young child behind, which is seems like a completely different situation. You can see Taj legitimately break down over it. So it was, again, I was, I was happy to see Taj back for a number of reasons, but one of them is you get this really emotional moment from her connected back to the reward.
0: Yeah, it was also much nicer that Taj was there during the kid falling moment as opposed to someone like Tyson, who would have just started bagging on the kid's center of balance <laughs> or something. Or like Coach, who would have won up the kid, and Coach would be like, well, that kid has a concussion. One time in Brazil, I got two concussions when the pygmies came after me, so it was probably best you had the mom there and not those two. Tyson's like, I guess that kid's not going to be a brain surgeon now.
1: Because <laughs> brains are all over the floor. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. So yeah, then they get to go to the hot spring, which is a cool... Uh, Jeff says it's like a one-of-a-kind hot spring, and it really is. There's so much sulfur there, and like all the, the 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 wa- the hot uh, water is being pushed up from inside the earth that they basically just bob like a cork. They can't actually go down in the water. That's kind of cool. And then, have you guys ever been to hot springs before like that? No. All right. Well, I have some personal experience. I've been I to. I bet you do. <laughs> There's a. Uh... <laughs> There's a hot spring just like that in Port Angeles, Washington, I've been to many times, where it's just naturally heated by the earth. And I've also been to one in uh, Iceland. I'm starting to sound like coach here. But in Iceland, I've been to a couple. And if you've ever been to a hot springs, just imagine the worst fart you've ever smelled, magnified by about 100, and that's all you smell. It's like the strongest egg sulfur smell, and I cannot stand it. I can't spend more than like five minutes at a hot springs. I'll throw up. And so that's – they're talking about, oh, yeah, even in the episode – I forget who, if it's JT or Steven – says, oh, it's kind of an odd smell. And I'm like, I know exactly what that smell is. That's a rotten egg fart, and it's the worst smell you'll ever smell in life, and you only get them at hot springs.
2: Well, I've, so been, to, the, I've, I've been to a place where there are sulfur springs, but I, I, not, they weren't hot springs in the sense that you could go in them. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went,
0: so you've smelled sulfur.
2: I've smelled sulfur. Yes, it's not I've good. Smelled, no, that, rot, that rotten egg smell. I know exactly. And
3: I do have Yellowstone so National Park uh, around the corner, yeah. so
0: we
2: do have. That's those.
3: right. Yeah, Montana is
0: basically just all sulfur, right?
3: Yeah. Like the thing is, we're just used to the smell. Like it just smells like a bad fart all the time, so you just kind of get used to it. So I'm um, think of it as that.
1: Aren't those the farts coming from the Dragon Kid next door in North Dakota?
3: <laughs> right, mixed with horse farts too. <laughs>
0: Doing a lot for the tourism in the uh, northern U.S. Here. <laughs> All right, so we uh, talked to Taj, Stephen, and JT on reward, and they're like, "Let's take out Sierra next. She's tough in the challenges." And then they're worried that Debbie's tough too, so they're kind of conflicted who they're going to vote out. Which is funny because apparently no one wants to get rid of Coach because he's not tough in anything, and they don't care. <laughs> like, ah, we could leave him around, whatever. <laughs> All right, so anyway, yeah, uh, Erin goes to Exile Island, and she just has a miserable time at camp. There's no food. She can't start a fire. It's raining. It's just horrible. And we're going to hear about this when Coach goes to Exile in a couple episodes. I'd kind of forgotten that Aaron goes right before him, so it, there's some foreshadowing here.
1: There, there's also, like, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Aaron in the next couple of episodes, but I feel like there's also, like, a mini-growth arc with Aaron as well. I feel like it's more apparent with Sierra, which is one of the reasons why she's in the, you know, the running to win the Fan Favorite Award at the end of the day. But she even admits here on Exile Island, like, I'm usually a girly girl. She's going to mention it a bunch more times, especially in the secret scenes over the next few episodes, but... I think, you know, she has an interesting arc as well, going from someone who was, had it not been for Jerry's digestive tract, might have left on day nine, to someone who makes it all the way to third place and actually survives out in the wilderness when she really hasn't camped a day in her life. So there, there are some really interesting Aaron moments. We talked about it last episode, but a fun little, you know, growth character moment from her on Exile this episode as well.
3: Right. And that's, you know, going to that point that we started talking about how they give everyone the time. I mean, Aaron is not that is not particularly interesting, but, uh, you know, she gives some good one liners with things. But if she was on Survivor today, we she would be purple Aaron. I mean, really, you might get a couple lines from her, but there's no way the show now would invest kind of her backstory and give us these little chunks about you know how hard it is for her to adjust to this new kind of world and earlier in the season we get that little bit about her and the bad breakup she had so um i really do appreciate the season really taking care of these final um, seven contestants
0: all right now let's go to what will become a very pivotal moment in the rest of the season you don't really realize it at the time and it's one i didn't remember until i watched this again is where uh coach debbie and sierra are back at camp which bound to be fun times with these three now so right off the bat debbie and coach start to sway sierra they're like you need to come back and vote with us we need to get back to timbira together we've always been a family you know we need to do what's right and sierra's like no you voted for me why would i go back with you guys and then sierra and debbie you know they start getting into it and sierra tells debbie you go you, you guys are screwed you made your bed you aligned with the wrong people you were mean to me you voted for me why would i go back with you i'm not going against my new friends anymore just, it's you and Coach. It's you against the other five. And so Debbie and Sierra have a big fight. And then uh, Coach knows he's in trouble. He's like, oh, we're screwed. I better go back to JT. I have to find out where we stand. And again, you don't think this is a significant scene, but it will be referenced many, many times the rest of the season starting in the next scene.
1: It's fun because we talked before about Sierra using Coach's words sort of against him to try to curry favor with him. She's doing it now in almost a weaponized way, where she's really using the same argument that they used the last episode, where Sierra was coming to them saying, I'll vote with you guys, and Coach said, well, you wrote my name down. Sierra does the exact same thing here, but what Sierra doesn't realize is that Coach and Debbie are not necessarily... Um, <laughs> Uh, They they might be uh, some of the more hypocritical people on on the (laughs) spectrum, so they won't necessarily respond to that as well as you responded to that argument three days prior.
0: Yeah, this is the one. I
1: I I will defend Coach.
0: He's one of my favorites, and even when he was maybe the most unpopular character of his era, I would defend him. I can't defend him on this scene. There's no way you can spin what he's doing is right. Where he goes right to JT, he's like, "Do we still have the warrior line? Do we still all together?" And JT's like, "Yeah, of course. It's uh, it's me, Stephen, uh, you, and who's the other one? I forget. Debbie. I forget the four. But yeah, we're Debbie. Yeah, we're still all four together. And Coach says." Well, that's good because, you know, Sierra was just up at camp trying to turn us against you. She wanted to form a Timbura together. I said we weren't going to do it. He's absolutely just making this up, pulling it out of his butt, throwing Sierra under the bus. We saw the evidence of how that happened. It was absolutely Coach and Debbie trying to sway Sierra. Coach turns it around, says Sierra is the one doing, the, doing all the mischief. And again, this is going <laughs> to lead to no end of problems for Coach down the road where people calling him a hypocrite. And. It's funny because he doesn't seem to see it, but it's 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 clear as crystal. He is absolutely a hypocrite here. He's selling Sierra out, and he's going to lie about it later.
1: I I just love as well him like I'm going to call it backtracking. But you know when this confrontation really comes to a head, he says like Yeah, you know what? Uh, Did I did I entertain the notion to vote out the Jalapows? Yeah, yeah, maybe for 15 seconds. But I just felt so sick to my stomach. At betraying the warrior alliance, that I just couldn't do it. So this is like, this is the most coachable admit fault. He will admit that yes, maybe he heard the idea and might have discussed it, but he was just so uh, had such a visceral reaction to that idea that he was just so <laughs> sick at the notion that he decided to stave it away and then throw Sierra under the bus because she, uh, you know, she propagated such a, a nefarious notion.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's horrible. But it's horrible what they do to Sierra here and they're like Sierra's lying, she's pulling all this mischief and meanwhile Sierra's like coach is the one doing that. I'm not doing anything. Coach started that with Debbie and this is where Steven and JT put their heads together and they're like, you know, I wonder if coach is maybe just a pathological liar. <laughs> it's like yeah, think, I don't know. So anyway, yeah, that's uh this is uh, this is a big scene. Again, I'm not over I'm not overemphasizing it or exaggerating it. This will be referenced, you know, every 15 minutes for the every scene in the rest of the uh, season. It's going to be show up a lot. All right. So we go to the immunity challenge here. This is basically, it should be everyone against Debbie and Coach, but it's going to get swung around to Sierra because now they're raising all these doubts about her. And uh, this is one where they have to toss a grappling hook and get three bags and then uh, navigate a table maze, which will soon be known as the Coach Wade Memorial Challenge here. All right. So, yeah, this is the one. It's, I'm, not, I'm just going to skim through it a little bit. They they have throw these grappling hooks. They retrieve these bags of balls, I think. And three people move on to the final round. It's going to be Coach, JT, and Debbie. And they have to put the ball in and navigate this little uh, table maze. And for really the first time ever and only time in the season, Coach is going to come through with flying colors here. And he's going to be dominant and dominate a challenge. And he... You know, he puts his ball through the maze, his steady focus gets the ball, and it goes to the end. And at the end, he, he even has a little prepared catchphrase, which is nice, because of course Coach does. You better believe it, baby! Dragon Slayer! And then the ball drops into this net, and he goes and does a little Coach Warrior pose at the end. And it's a it's a very nice uh, fitting scene for a character that the audience hates at this point.
1: Now, do we think that Coach, in his mind, has now lived up to his potential? Is he no longer the answer to that question?
0: He has because he did do the tabletop ball maze in Amazon. So it was good that he lived up to the potential. He had, you know, eight or nine life or death experiences that relied on him solving a table maze. And this is the, one of my little underrated coach moments where Probes walks up to put the necklace on Coach. He's going to give him with his very first immunity necklace. And he has a hard time because Coach is like doing his little bowing shit where he's bowing to all the other players. Probes is trying to reach over and grab it. Just a funny little scene. Probes like, stop bowing. So anyway. They go back to camp. Coach has won immunity. You're never going to hear the end of this. Oh, Coach is just talking about it. He's like, hey, JT, did you hear me when I won? Did you hear me yell Dragon Slayer? And JT's like, yeah, Coach, LOL. We heard you. We heard it. Everyone heard it. We got it. And so it looks like it's going to be with Coach immune. It will be Debbie or Sierra tonight. And uh, just throwing this out there, do you guys think Coach would have been at all in any danger had he
3: not been immune tonight? Mm-mm. No. Yeah, I don't think so. I no, think they thought- I think JT wanted him around especially, so
2: yeah coaches he's he's starting to become um not not usable you know but he's not quite there yet he you know they can still control his vote pretty easily and i think that it's it's funny you you talked about the earlier scene where they were like his coach coach pathological liar i mean that's always the one thing is the coach in this at this point is pretty easily manipulated you just kind of stroke his ego and he's willing to go with you right you stroke his ego you talk about the warrior alliance and you know he he's all with you right but it's like you know, the the bad part about having Coach on your alliance block is that you have to deal with Coach. Yeah,
1: yeah, and yeah It's 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 just like quintessential Survivor question that comes up with people like Coach, or you know, we get in Survivor Philippines with Abby Maria, especially where sometimes the best strategic move butts up with this idea of getting just getting rid of the most annoying person at camp, and you know, sometimes it can be really tough. Where especially, you know, in Coach's final episode, especially, it seems like everyone is just up they've had it. They've had it with all the stuff that he's been doing throughout the entire the month that he's spent in the game, but at this point, I think they're sort of a seeing the bigger picture and saying that, yeah, Coach won immunity here, but I mean, there's a good chance that we can just sort of string him along. Like you said, JT especially. Uh, JT's relationship with Coach is something that he's going to keep in his pocket the entire time. It's going to be something that he really holds over Steven in particular and saying, you know, Steven might have all these other relationships, but JT is pretty much going to keep coach strung along until the very last second. And so this is really a killer move for JT here by saying, yeah, you know what? Coach is annoying, but we need to keep him around for, you know, reasons. And those reasons in his mind being, oh, yeah, I can. He's basically a guaranteed jury vote as long as I don't piss him off and spin out the sort of narrative that it was for an honorific reason that I had to keep him around.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can make the argument. Yeah, coach is really Steven insurance. As long as JT coaches there, JT has someone who thinks that JT walks on water. He thinks JT is the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, yeah, I in a way, you could say he's really Steven insurance. He keeps Steven honest. JT keeps Steven from getting too powerful. All right. So, yeah, so it's going to be Debbie or Sierra tonight, and this is where we just have more endless fights. They had the fight earlier in the episode where they were kind of screaming at each other, and now uh, Sierra starts warning everyone. She's like, you know – Debbie and Coach are liars. They've been lying. They're not. They have no interest in getting back together with you. They're just trying to, to make me look bad. He's after you guys, and so Sierra's stirring all this up. And so this is where Sierra goes after Coach. She starts to have a fight with him, and then Debbie and Sierra have another fight. It's just really kind of an unpleasant episode. It gets really mean spirited here. Where at one point I think Debbie and Sierra are both in tears. They both have to kind of walk off and and uh, just take themselves out of the situation for a while. It's just a little, a little too much drama for everyone. So yeah, it's just. This is kind of a mean-spirited scene, and this whole episode is going to be kind of a downer after the Tyson one.
3: Yeah, Vesepio would not have been living for this drama. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So, yeah, so Steven and JT, they think Coach is lying. They're not 100% sure. They think, well, I think it's Coach and Debbie are just making stories up, so they want to take out Debbie. Debbie's dangerous, and then they have the other thing. Well, But then again, with Sierra, there's always drama. That's always a big fight, so who knows who to take out, and this is going to be... <laughs> Who's it going to be, dun-dun-dun, as we go to Tribal Council, Debbie or Sierra? Do we take out the threat, or do we take out the one who just makes life a little unpleasant around here?
1: I mean, Taj describes this at Tribal Council as a soap opera, and this latter half of the episode pretty much is a soap opera, because, again, the, the storyline gets rehashed once more at Tribal Council when things you know, come to the forefront with Jeff, particularly when Sierra decides to do a, like a full 360 eye roll in front of him whenever Coach <laughs> says something.
0: Yeah. Again, Sierra's just done with Coach. She knows he's just the devil incarnate. She's like, he's lying. He's making all this stuff up. He says he never lies. He's incapable of lying. He's too honorable. And then she's just trying to tell everyone. And Coach is like, in Sierra's warped mind, she thinks she's telling the truth. And Sierra's like, oh my God, I'm going to punch you, basically. Yeah, and then, and this is where Coach pulls out some Bible verse, right?
1: Uh, yeah, he forg- compares himself to sto- Stephen being stoned to death in the temple. Well, forgive them for they know, what, know not what they do.
0: Yeah, and that—that's where Sierra does the whole eye roll, if I recall, or something. But of course, Coach has a prepared Bible verse already to explain his situation, how he's being—he's uh, being maligned and people are attacking his character. So, so they, okay, so everyone goes to vote. There's a little cute little moment where, as Coach is walk going up to vote, he looks at Brendan, and Brendan just cracks up because he can't even look at Coach and take him seriously anymore. Just a cute little moment of Brendan and the Jerry just giggling when he sees Coach. And. With that, we see the end of Sierra, and in the end, everyone decides to get rid of the drama. They want to make things a little quieter and nicer around camp, and they just end Sierra, take her out back, and put a bullet in her head like Old Yeller, because she's really... Her story has not gone well. And let's just finish this once and for all. To the point that my wife even laughed. uh, We watched this episode. My wife's like, How the hell
3: did Sierra last so long? Well, and, you know, I I look back on Sierra, and I actually was someone who kind of rooted for Sierra more than most people did. And I look back at her. She's not an interesting character. She just has a really interesting. Like story arc, mm. like what happens with her. It's it's really interesting, not necessarily her, but just kind of like what she has to go through and, and how everything works around her. Like, it's just interesting. Like Jeff Probst brings up at the reunion about how it's been a while since there has been someone that's been so despised in a way that didn't really make sense to him. So I think Sierra was a very interesting, um, Uh, Not an interesting character An interesting character story
1: Yeah I think that totally makes sense I I think essentially when they do this day one vote To say hey these two people You're going to get essentially exiled for your tribe but you get the head start at camp I feel like this is the arc that they were going for this person who, like, starts off at the bottom of the totem pole, but they work their way through. Now, maybe in a perfect world, it would, like, g- lead to an eventual win at the end. But the fact that Sierra was go- made it pretty far, I mean, as we mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, she was able to sort of nestle herself among the majority at Timbira pretty early after that Candice vote to-, to the point of where she was earning a-, a bit of coach's respect. Of course, that completely turns once the Exile Alliance ends up blowing up but yeah i agree with you paul i I don't necessarily see sierra as a really captivating character or even as a player i mean uh you know she the only vote that she was on the right side of post-merge was purely by accident as we mentioned before Uh, i i think that you know she definitely played a part in the season which again is why she was in contention for that fan favorite vote but i would not say that sierra reed is necessarily a great survivor player or character on her own what strikes me the most about Sierra watching the season is that you never
0: see that many reasons why people don't like her. They just say they do. Oh, she's horrible. But you don't actually see too many examples of why she's horrible. Just repeatedly, everyone says she's horrible. I don't like her. Oh, I can't stand her. But you, it's one of those things, like her arc is more interesting than she is. And maybe maybe she would have been. They just didn't give her a lot. Like there's not there's not a lot of exposition to show why she's why she's treated that way. That's the one thing that stands out to me about her.
2: Usually when you have a character that, People sort of, you know, band up and hate at the beginning of a season. Sometimes they last a bit of into the season and and sometimes they don't. But a lot of times, you know, I, I think of Eliza in Vanuatu as sort of a, a character like this where, you know, Eliza ran, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way sort of when Vanuatu started. But the thing about Eliza was that she nestled herself into a decent alliance and she was never there. But like, even though people necessarily didn't didn't totally like her, um, She sort of, you know, a lot of times these characters, these Eliza type characters, the pressure goes off them because people shift their attention somewhere else or someone does something and they shift their hate towards that person. Not that they don't hate the the Eliza ish type character, but they're they're all of a sudden like less second fiddle in some way. And I feel like Sierra impossibly went so far in the game being like the number one hated person the entire time.
0: Yeah. It's impressive what she did for how little power she ever had or about anything. It's
2: like it's like it's like after the tribal council, they all get back from tribal council and they're all like, "God, Sierra sucks. God, I hate Sierra." And then it (laughs) goes and they're like, "Yeah." And then they're like, "All right, who are we gonna vote out? Well, we can vote out Sierra. Well, but we can get this person out right now. Okay, let's get this person out right now." And then they vote them out, and then they get back from tribal council and they're like, "God, Sierra, you're still here. You suck."
1: Something interesting to point out, though, even though you said that, you know, she might be the most universally despised contestant on the season, we get this really weird vote because you would expect it to be, you know, six to one. And this comes uh, to a head at the beginning of the next episode where Coach is furious at Aaron and Taj I guess it's it seems like they sort of made a deal with Sierra. They bonded with Sierra, even though, again, she was not the most well-liked tribe member. And they promised they would never vote for her. And possibly seeing a path to the end, you know, Taj throws a vote onto Debbie. Aaron literally writes down, Steven, sorry, I won't ever do this again. Uh, so she even professes out there that it's basically a throwaway vote. But it's interesting that while she may have been, you know, despised at the Forza camp, she was still a jury vote at the end of the day. And it's interesting comparing their attitudes with someone like Tyson, who did not give a shit whatsoever how he treated this person that was going to go to the jury. Because he knew, eh, 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 I'll lose her vote, but, you know, everyone else likes me, so I'm sure I'll be fine winning 6-1. All right, here's something I have to say. I've said this
0: before, and I always get yelled at for it, and I'm hoping I have a little more receptive audience from you guys. I'm, let's see how fast before you guys yell at me. I have said Boo. for years, shut up. I've said for years, Sierra looks like someone in Survivor history. And it's funny because it's maybe the most beloved Survivor in Survivor history. And am I the only one who thinks she looks like Colleen Haskell?
1: I i mean, she's not covered yes. in bug bites, so it's a tough distinction.
0: Yeah, they have a very similar looking face, to the point, especially from side views, there's many scenes in Token Cheens where I'm watching them like, she looks a lot like Colleen. <laughs> I heard a Paul. I heard a tentative yes from Paul.
3: Yeah. All right. Oh, you know, I am uh, I just did a Google search, and I can see it. You're not crazy. Like, I don't think I would jump to that. But as I scroll through yeah. some of this, there is some similarity here. You're not crazy, Mario. All right. I'm just waiting
0: for someone to validate me over the years. I know people don't want to say that because Colleen's so beloved, and Sierra was just such a block character. But I'm yeah, like, there's... physically, they look a lot alike. And again, Sierra's a model. Colleen did some modeling, too, after she was on the show. They don't look that dissimilar. They have very similar yeah, features. Yeah.
3: There's a picture, of, yeah, it's like something after the show of Colleen and her hair is kind of pulled back like Sierra has it. I definitely can see it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I'm glad someone agrees
0: with me. Now, if Sierra just m- spoke in a little made-up French accent, maybe the comparison would be better. but Okay, thank you. I just needed some validation in my life. Cowards. Everyone else was cowards all around me. Finally, you guys. I had some warriors around me. Speaking of that, let's go to the next episode where Coach calls everyone cowards. There's cowards all around me. Yeah, so we start the next episode, and Coach is furious that the vote was supposed to be for Sierra last night, and Aaron and Taj wouldn't do it. They wouldn't. It was supposed to be unanimous. They didn't go along. He's like he calls them cowards. He says they're not half as honorable as me, which is hilarious after what he did last episode, which was not honorable at all. Anyway, so then Coach tells us again, I don't even care about the money. I only care about honor and integrity, and this is where we all do the Sierra eye roll 360. It's like all I care about is changing the game and honor and integrity and not lying and all this stuff, so blah, blah, blah. All
1: right. Well, there's and this this is where we get to see the narrative of this episode, which is Debbie turns on Coach, and it's really interesting. Where I know you were talking about like the the telling about Sarah being annoying. I feel like these past two episodes we get a little bit of telling that Debbie is all of a sudden this big strategic threat, uh, and I feel like you know maybe in a different world if Debbie had done better, we'd get more of a. You know, one of those uh, underdog older woman edits, your, your, you know, Kathy Fabric O'Brien's, your Holly Hoffman's of how, how Debbie could really be a powerhouse in a different environment. But it even shows here where she realizes that maybe a little too late that Coach is a sinking ship that she needs to bail out of as soon as possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she really goes hardcore into anti-coach. She starts trying to distance herself from him. She goes to JT and Steven. She goes, I'm fully low with you guys now. Coach is, he's not, he's yesterday's news. I have no loyalty to him, which JT and Steven are now not idiots. They're like, well, I'm very wary of Debbie now. She's a lot more hardcore than I thought she was. So yeah, so uh, Debbie's going to all of a sudden be on people's radar here where she might not have been earlier, where, whoa, this chick's playing pretty hard all of a sudden. All right. And with that, we go to the, reward challenge which is the survivor auction all right what happened i'm just kind of skimming through my notes in here we still have a lot of stuff to talk about okay so uh this is the scene where they have to bid in 20 dollars increments and debbie can't figure out what 20 dollars increments were she goes 50 then 70 <laughs> and then uh jeff also says no sharing money no sharing food and i always wonder how the hell does he enforce that what if i gave someone a fry what are you gonna do throw me out of the game i always wondered about that Okay, so we get fries and ketchup, Debbie wins that. Chicken palm goes to coach. Uh mystery item to JT, gets some nachos. And then uh, another mystery item to Steven. Steven gets the womp womp award. He gets the chicken hearts. And this is where uh the next item up for bit is a Samsung Instinct with a it's a phone and there's loved ones from their uh messages from their loved ones on there. And uh, this is very really nice because everyone gives their money to Taj so she can see her loved one. And it's, very, again, a very nice humanizing mom scene. Kind of the third episode in a row we're going to see that where they're like, you know, Taj just left a baby at home. She deserves to see her kid. So they all donate the money so Taj can see an update on her baby. And it's a very sweet moment.
1: Uh, but no, but it's so much fun because it could have gone a lot smoother. I'll say it that because first you have Taj walking up with the money. She walks up with, like... What at least like a thousand dollars at this point, right? Because everyone pretty much gives the rest of their money over to Taj. Uh, Jeff's like, well, okay, you, uh, you're the only one that bids. So, like, you don't need to, you don't need to give me all that money. But she's like, teary eyed, just throwing all these fistfuls of twenties in Jeff's face. Uh, and so she gets the phone message from Eddie George and her family sitting on the couch. And Eddie drops this little thing at the end of the message and says, "See you back at the camp." Uh, but Taj obviously is so forclamped that she doesn't get that. And so Jeff is like. Uh, okay, Taj. There was a there, there was a message at the end. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't uh, I, I don't know if you caught it. And then just this moment where Taj goes aggro. For one second, and just yells, "See you at the camp!" And she's manhandling Jeff. It even gets shown in the slow motion shot at the end of the challenge that is usually, uh, you know, designated for like the big epic win. Is Taj just furiously shaking Jeff because she's so excited? But I always imagine what would have happened if like they glossed over that line and like nobody acknowledged it—that Jeff didn't point it out or that Taj didn't take the bait. Did they just like? Like okay, family members, we're going to Plan B. Uh, get on the plane. Sorry, you won't be seeing your loved ones because Taj did not decipher the message on the Samsung Instinct, unfortunately.
2: And it would be great if Eddie George told them that. Like they went back to camp, and, and Taj was like, "Oh my God, Eddie, you're here!" And she goes crazy, and Eddie's like, "Yeah, um, you were supposed to like take <laughs> me to exile, and the other people were here, but uh, you didn't catch that sentence <laughs> at the end of the message. So Taj, this is on you." you know, that no one else has their loved one here.
0: Paul, were you a big Eddie George fan prior to Survivor?
3: Well, I actually was impressed with myself that I actually knew who that was. Like I go and probably be able to give you any stats, but like, I actually didn't know who that was. So this was like a situation of like a real, you know, NFL celebrity, not just someone who had played football at some point that I'm supposed to think is a big deal.
0: Uh, I had no idea that Eddie George would ever on RuPaul's drag race. So I'm surprised that you knew him.
3: Right. I, never mind.
0: <laughs> All right, so, yeah, this is where they have to make a choice, right, where Jeff says there's a catch with this with this twist. Your husband, Eddie, can go back to camp with you, and you can bang him there in front of everyone else, or you can go to Exile Island with him and bang him in private, and everyone else gets their loved ones. And she's like, gee, let me think about that
1: one. Yeah, this is the equivalent to, like, in Survivor Guatemala, if Jeff said, okay, Cindy, you won this card. Now, you could get everyone else cars." And you have to park your car about 200 feet away from the other cars, but you still get a car. Yeah, it's it's a twist. It's like there's like no downside whatsoever.
2: Right. I mean, even less than that, Mike. Like, I know you're trying to like, you know, parallel like the, the choice here in this thing, but it's almost just like, okay, Cindy, you won this car. You could also choose to give everyone else cars.
0: <laughs> do you want to be the top scientist in your field or do you want to get mad cow? Uh,
2: I would want to be the top scientist in my field. Oh, good. I thought you'd say Mad Cow.
1: (laughs) Hope we have some SNL fans. I know Coach did eat the moon because it was made of cheese. That's what he told us right in his next book.
2: Why would you think (laughs) I'd choose Mad Cow? I'm just a worrier. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: why they call me Whiskers. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I mean, this also makes sense from a a show perspective, right? You have six loved ones out there. You want to utilize them all. And I'm so glad we did because we have some fantastic Eddie George stuff here on Exile. But I mean assistant coach he's no Come assistant on. coach
0: oh yeah all right here we go here's the note here's the list of all the loved ones yeah. we have steven's brother we have debbie's husband we have jt's little sister aaron's dad and then coach's assistant
1: coach but like it's i think this is, might be the first time that someone's loved one was their coworker. like could you imagine working in your office and you're like hey you know like the guy that works in accounting that like you're sort of friendly with you like you got invited to his wedding and you politely declined. Yeah, you're gonna go. You're gonna go out and be his loved one on Survivor, and uh, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be his source of comfort after he's been out there for a month. Yeah, as my wife late. pointed out, I said I said, "Hey, it's coach's assistant coach," and my wife said, "No,
0: he's the assistant to the Dragon Slayer, not assistant Dragon Slayer." <laughs>
2: It's like, you know, you, you like share the news with your family and friends. You're like, "Dude, I'm going to go on Survivor." And they're like, "Cool." And they're like, "So, I'm going to have to pick a loved one if I go in further in the game." And they're like, "Oh, are you going to choose your wife or are you going to choose, you know, your brother, or your dad?" "No, I'm going to choose John. He's three <laughs> cubicles down."
0: <laughs> Again, the legend of coach just growing. Now.
2: I chose Doesn't have because... a loved one. I chose him because his Dilbert comic is, like, on point. You know what I'm saying? Like, right up there in the cubicle.
1: Could you imagine? Because Jeff does, like, a good dialogue with every group of loved ones nowadays. Could you imagine if they did this assistant coach thing now? Like, hey, uh, assistant coach, uh, what's, what's coach like during the 9 to 5? Uh, how's, how's his workplace habits? He got a, uh, a,
0: a successful performance review last year. He did a good job. And and my wife's like, I thought Tyson was the assistant coach. He's cheating on Tyson. (laughs) So, yeah, coach's assistant comes out. And this is one of my favorite coach moments, again, where coach pulls him aside and says, guess what they call me? They call me the dragon slayer. No, they do Nobody oh calls you that. You
1: call yourself that. Nobody has called you that but you. But I just love, I think my favorite part is not even the assistant coach, but the fact that like, again, usually you're embracing your loved one. Everyone else, they're regaling each other with stories back home. No, assistant coach, his instructions are to go out there and stretch coach out. That's his <laughs> only role as a loved one, it seems. Yeah, it's a, it's a great scene that kind of undercuts the
0: drama and, and majesticness of the loved one visit when Coach and his assistant coach are sharpening
1: each other on the beach
0: doing leg stretches.
1: Well, that's the best part, too, is that Coach also does like a, a very – again, I know I made a Michael Scott comparison so many times through this season. But there's this great moment where Coach looks into the camera and he's like, "Uh, these, these are not sexual positions. Like, just so you're aware, it's not that type of loved one's visit.
0: <laughs> a conjugal visit. <laughs> so, yes. One of the legends, one of the tears in the legend of Coach, the assistant to the Dragon Slayer, showing up as his loved one. <sighs> they all get sharpened. Oh, yeah, so we go to Exile Island. Eddie George is getting freaked out by spiders and scorpions. He's going, wow, Taj is is hot. I can't believe she's doing all this by herself. This is amazing. And Yeah, just overall a very nice scene, punctuated by some goofiness with Coach's assistant co-worker coming to visit him. And I will say I will say at the end of the scene they they pull out the old school Borneo music. they pull out yeah. some really uh sentimental borneo music, which I love It's a kind of a neat scene,
1: as Debbie says goodbye to her husband who's wearing like a tony soprano shirt uh yeah the the Eddie George scene I really like first of all, another nice cinematography shot. there's like this shot at exile of an owl sitting on a perch, and then another owl flies up next to it, and they sort of like. Nestle with each other I thought that was really nice But yeah, I feel like when the blood versus water talks were happening Especially for the first iteration When it was, you know, returning players and their loved ones Not assistant coaches uh, I feel like, you know, Eddie George was also in the conversation Because at least to me, he he seemed like a lot of fun here He was the perfect sounding board for the typical loved one You know, confessional of Wow, this is a lot harder than it seems You know, we got that even back from Patrick uh, Kathy's son back in Survivor Marquesas but I feel like in another universe, we could have had Taj on our screen once more if Eddie George, Eddie George could have been, you know, the Brad and Monica Culpepper in another universe yeah. of Survivor Blood vs. Water.
0: I was just going to say that. Do you think Brad and Monica Culpepper stole their thunder? Like, do you think Taj and Eddie George would be bigger names in Survivor history if there had not been a Peppers?
2: Yeah, but I also feel like, this is, this is hard for me to say, and please, Survivor community, don't, don't kill me for this, but I feel like Eddie George wouldn't go no. on Survivor.
0: That's possible like, like, I mean it was like he
2: deal. like he like he clearly did i I get the fact that he was there for Taj, but he, he did it for Taj, I feel you know what I mean, yeah, but like Eddie George is like I mean Eddie George is a big freaking yeah, deal he's like too, you said
3: he's too big yeah no, I don't I think they would have loved I'm sure that Taj and um him have got the call for blood versus water I'm sure there would have been ways I think Taj is honestly like you know would never come back, I think she's had it, and she's done it, and she's you're not going to go back, and neither is her husband. Yeah, I think the
1: only reason why Taj would have gone back would have been a blood versus water scenario. Would have been, oh, I get to play the game with Eddie, even though she finds out that she's not necessarily playing with Eddie. I think that would be the only reason that she'd come back to the game at this point.
0: Yeah, Nope, you're probably right. So thank God we have Brad Culpepper and his antiquing. So we go back to camp now, and Debbie's still scheming to get Coach out. She's with JT. She's like, yeah, we gotta get him out. He's no good. He's trouble. And JT, I guess, once again, to his credit, he's like, well, you got to watch out for people like that. She's just turn on someone on a whim. Look at this. She has no loyalty to anybody at all. And uh, this is where uh, everyone thinks coach should go next. And Debbie's like, yeah, we have to blindside him. We have to get rid of him. And She's going hardcore schemer. And I just wrote in my notes here. This is something I wonder at this point in the game. Why is nobody targeting JT? I don't see one discussion at any point where someone says, hey, we could get JT out. He's kind of like Tyson. He's kind of like a threat too, but they never do. I'm just curious. I mean, admittedly, we've talked about that. We've already answered the questions because everyone loves him, and they're bending over backwards to do whatever he wants and be friends with him. But it's like, why is nobody targeting JT? Seems like it's pretty obvious
1: at this point, but whatever. Well, I think it's interesting you know, reading some stuff that Steven had said after the season where I feel like... He had, he still felt like he had to keep around JT at this point, because you would say I think the only person that might have turned on JT at this point would have been someone like Steven, and he probably could have gotten Taj and Aaron on board, and maybe they blindsided JT there. But for some reason, Steven felt like he had to still utilize JT's connection to people like Coach and Debbie to sort of maintain those relationships down the road. Obviously, it's going to bite him significantly in the next few days. But I think looking into his mind, that's the reason why he felt like he still had to keep JT around at this point.
0: No, I agree. You're right. It's just one of those things you hear a defense for Steven. People always say, well, he couldn't get rid of JT because JT goes on an immunity run. I'm like, nah, he could have right here. It would have worked out pretty well here. So you can't completely give him a pass on this one. He had a chance and JT's immunity run will come later. But yeah, it's just odd watching this that nobody seems to target JT. T when he clearly he's the strongest one out there well I
2: think the problem is is that like you said JT is useful to Steven and and that's that's the problem you know you, I think that people get kind of caught up in the numbers and just the the chess pieces because I think you're exactly right Mario like here's a chance to get rid of JT who's like the biggest threat to win the game In things like that, and and I get it, but at the same time, Steven's got to get to the end of the game. Like his path isn't super clear. Like I know that he can ditch maybe ditch JT, and he's got other paths. I'm not saying that you know JT is his only path to the end, but it gets more difficult because JT is very good at talking to people and smoothing things out, and people have great relationships with JT. And it's like if you have Uh, uh, a good relationship with a guy who has good relationships with everyone else like that makes your path easier right and so it's really it's really hard because you're like man i need to get rid of jt but god he's like a swiss army knife like i could just use him in any situation and it's gonna be good
0: yeah and not to fully put it all on steven it's not like anybody else was trying to target jt either so it's like you can't just say it's all him
2: well yeah why is nobody going after him there's that. It's 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 always tough for me when 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 we get into this point in Survivor editing where you have such a dominant player, and not dominant in the sense that I'm saying that JT is like absolutely schooling everyone in this game. Because I think we've made the case that he's he's clearly not. He's very socially uh, tuned into this game, and he's you know he he's up for taking risks, and he's you know very physical threat, and you know he, but he and, he and he's doing everything sort of there with everyone. But I think the problem is is that you know. Take Survivor One World, and I know that we're you know, going in there as well. Kim Spradlin you know, had a dominating chokehold on that game as well. And every once in a while, you get these confessionals from Kat or from Alicia or from you know, uh, Chelsea or Sabrina every once in a while where they're like, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should look at Kim, and then they never do. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, you it's know? right. It's... Although it, I will and, say yeah, – And that always, had... that always annoyed me. <laughs> I will say, had I been doing like power rankings of and writing a column at this point in the season, the person I would have picked to win is Taj. I think she was super dangerous. She was very well-liked. She had a good end with a lot of people. And they really, had she got to the end, they would have wanted her to win. If you saw that, everyone chipping in to give her the reward so she could talk to her kid. She's the one I probably thought would have been the most dangerous at this point. So maybe it wasn't that obvious that JT was this big threat when you had other people that were just as dangerous as he was.
1: And to your point, even though you said that JT could be just like Tyson and he goes on this immunity run, we should point out cuz we're about to get to a point where Steven actually wins an immunity challenge before JT does in this season.
0: Again, I will admit that JT has not won an immunity challenge yet. All right. So let's uh let's let's go to Steven's little moment of glory here.
1: Yeah, this is this is this is probably like the most genius like moment in Survivor history, right? Where Steven kind of breaks this challenge. Yeah, pretty much. This is a great one. This is good. All right. Episode 12 is an obstacle course.
0: We got to run across a balance beam. You got to go over these things or under these things. And at the end, you have to memorize all these uh, math symbols, which is a really unique challenge. I've never seen something like this on Survivor. I don't know if they did something like this after, but this is definitely a first. And they have to memorize like, was it 15, 16 symbols, math symbols? Ten. It was only ten. Okay, there's 10 math symbols. Then you got to run back and you got to put the math symbols in order between a bunch of numbers and solve the equation. And it's one of those things that. As Stephen correctly points out, people, humans can't memorize 10 numbers at once. It's almost impossible. That's why phone numbers were seven years for so many, for so many years, seven digits for so many years, because humans can only memorize seven digits at a time. So,
3: yes, yeah, design. Or for in Montana, where there's only one area code, you only have to memorize seven digits.
0: Very very good. Very good, Paul. Thank you.
3: So, yeah, so it's one of those things
0: that's clearly intended. They're supposed to take numerous trips out to the the math symbols and back to memorize them. And. And it's funny because at the start of this challenge, Stephen is completely hapless. He can't do the balance beam. He still runs like someone who just read in a book how to run. He has no idea how to run. And then he's way behind everyone else. But when he gets out to the math symbols, he somehow devises a little formula in his head how he can memorize all 10 of them at once. So while everybody else going back and forth, taking three, four trips to memorize these symbols, Stephen does it all at once. And he basically pulls a tortoise in the hair here. He sneaks into the end, solves the math problem all at once, just dusts everyone, and everyone's just amazed. Like, how the hell did you do that?
1: And I, I love this moment as well, is because, you know, Jeff oftentimes in his challenge commentary, it happens with, again, spoiler alert for Survivor Kagayan, but when Cass wins at the Final Four, it's a very similar thing where Jeff's like, This person's out of it. They have no chance of winning. And in both of those cases, someone completely comes from behind to dust people here. And yeah, you you see this one moment where Steven writes all the symbols out and Jeff almost does a double take. He has to like look down at his card to make sure that Steven actually was able to get this all in one try because yeah, he was able to outsmart the challenge a little bit. and was able to, you know, not have to necessarily rely on his lackluster running to get out there again. He just had to make it out there in one, memorize it all and then come back.
0: And he it's funny because even like, like you will do later or earlier in Cook Islands, he throws out these obscure facts that other people doesn't know. Steven just knows that the human brain can only handle seven digits at once, which, again, it's a known psychological thing. I, I remember we learned about it in school that that's why phone numbers were that in length. So he just he figures out a way to, to get, sneak around and outsmart the human brain by developing a little symbol formula he can use or like a mnemonic device. So it's really cool. And like you said, he completely breaks the challenge and. It's the ultimate survivor nerd triumph, triumphing over survivor here. It's really Steve's his golden moment in the game here. All right, so with Steven immune, we go back to camp, and this is where JT and Steven are like, how the hell do we have so much power right now? Like, we control every vote. No one's ever targeting us. We control everything that's going on. How did this happen? We came into the merge under man. They're like, I don't know. So they're just happy to be here at this point, and they control everything. And and I will say, I even wrote in my notes here, this is where JT, Taj, and Steven officially become JT and Steven. It will always be JT and Steven from here on out. It's starting in episode 12. All right. So, uh, yeah, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to skim through this because we got a coach episode coming up. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So uh, really, who's the vote going to be? Is it going to be for Debbie tonight? Is it going to be for Coach? jt is like you know i'm just tired of coaches neediness but i also hate lying to him like i i told him i wouldn't vote for him so should we just keep him around for one more time and yeah so this is a even it's a little foreshadowing here where steven says nobody ever wants to vote us out and jt's like and i don't know why not neither <laughs> yeah so uh <laughs> just like well you a like little
1: said moment. yeah triple triple negatives are always great exactly Okay, so uh, there's a cute
0: little moment here at Tribal Council where, as all the jurors come in, they're all doing a tribute to Coach, and this is something I wrote about in the Phoney one 115, one of my prouder entries, where they're all doing Coach's little jacket sling with his jacket slung over his shoulder. They just do it a little tribute as they walk in, except Tyson, of course, couldn't give, bother to give a crap. <laughs> doesn't have a jacket, so he just has a pair of sweatpants over his shoulder, which I appreciate.
1: Well, if you don't have chocolate and peanut butter, you've got to do something else with your hands, right, while you're sitting there as a while <laughs> at his jury member? <laughs>
0: so admittedly they're just doing these random tributes and jokes as the jury that seems to be the token sheen's thing although it seems to me like they think it's going to be coach tonight this is coach's you know farewell so they come in doing his little signature move and uh, and let's see what happens here another uh, Jeff Probst being a dick moment at tribal council where coach says you know I didn't come up with the name dragon slayer and then probe says let me guess it was a chief in some village <laughs> everyone just laughs at coach again one more probst moment And then Coach is like, yeah, sure, cut me down, Jeff. And then this is uh, the other thing, JT, we have a thing here at Tribal Council where JT is just puffing up Coach, as we saw many years ago in in, Van Marquesis, where JT's like, Coach will never lie. That's the one thing we know about him, Jeff. Coach will never lie. (laughs) He's just puffing Coach up or whatever and so uh it's got the little moment where coach goes up to vote for Debbie. He slings the jacket over his shoulder. Oh, no, no, no coach, coach by...
1: votes coach votes for Taj it 's this weird dynamic where it's almost like a, a weird version of like the three to two to one vote where this power four of stephen j t Aaron and Taj are able to convince Coach that, oh, no, yeah, we're going for Taj. We're, we're still sticking to the Warrior Alliance. Debbie is convinced that it's Coach going tonight, and they're so dead set on each of these plans. that They're not communicating with each other so much so that it's, it's this weird four to one to one vote at the final six where idols are not even in the question.
0: Wow. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, the moment I was talking about is when Coach walks by the jury doing his little jacket sling and everyone just kind of laughs. And they share a little moment, Coach and Sierra. It's one of those things, after the game, maybe we'll be cool with each other, just a cute little moment. But yeah, at the end of the day, all the machinations don't really matter because Debbie is voted out four to one to one. And with that, we lose, some would say, maybe one of the more underrated players in Token Sheen's. hard to say since we didn't see that much of her, but they seemed relatively wary of her and she seemed... Like she had pretty good uh, relationships with a lot of people there. She she probably was more dangerous than she gets credit for. That's my opinion of Debbie.
3: I have a Debbie story that I forgot to uh, talk about when, when it actually happened during the show. So I want to make sure I get it in now. So we all know that my brother who watched Survivor and gave us great moments like taking a Cecilia – and Susie Black, but oh no, it was Susie Black, it was your brother. That's or was it mom. A, that was your mom. That's my mom. So, I mean, everyone in the office and clan, you know, they provide entertainment, but uh, my, one of my favorite stories from what my brother did is so, especially when he was younger, because at this point I was a, a freshman in college. So he was like still like middle school age. And his like favorite thing to do would be to like really push my mom's buttons, like say something really inappropriate and then walk it back right away and act like innocent. And then she always would kind of like, Half believe him, but half not. Well, during the um, the challenge that Tyson wins, where they are on the poles at the beginning of the of the merge, they're up on there, and it, it shows a shot of Debbie up on there. And Jeff says something about you, Debbie's still holding on. And so my brother says that loud in front of me and my mom, and he says, "Oh, I bet Debbie does know how to climb a pole." <laughs> and um and and starts so making this joke like this, and my mom goes. Darren and just kind of like, you know, just gives him the look and gets so mad. And Darren says, oh, what? I thought she was a firefighter. And then my mom just kind of stares at him. Luckily, my mom being super casual has not picked up on the fact that like the only thing we learn about Debbie is that she's a middle school principal, just kind of gives him the look. And then he's like, I thought that's what she did. Isn't Isn't that her job? My mom like didn't know enough about the show to actually like defend it, so she just kinda of backs down and later on I'm like, Oh, you are such <laughs> you're such a little crapper, like yeah, uh the only thing we know about Debbie is her occupation and uh, trust me, it's not a firefighter.
1: Wait, also how do firefighters climb poles? That
3: sounds so counterintuitive. <laughs> right. <laughs> the whole thing was bad, so that's always what I think about with Debbie and her profession.
1: Alright.
0: Petition to get Darren on here as the new temp.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's gonna have to beat out Dragon Boy. <laughs>
0: It's the classic battle of Montana versus North Dakota. All right. Thank you, though. That's a good story.
2: Okay. Debbie, you're gone. Get out of here. Let's get to the coach episode.
1: We can can skip to the finale, right? There's nothing else that happens. Guys, there's some good stuff in this
3: one.
0: There's some good stuff in this one. People forget this episode.
2: (sighs) All right. Here we go. Uh, I am hitting mute on my mic. Uh, I'm going to go get a snack, maybe a, a coffee uh or something like that and uh gentlemen let me know when he's done
0: He's off to do some blood stuff all right here we go so the the opening this is the coach episode we're down to the final five he's pretty much toast he knows that everyone knows that his time is pretty much done so he is going to go out with a bang and right from the start we go to the previously on segment which is surprisingly a tribute to coach right off the bat just probes to goes over coach's entire narrative goes over the amazon story goes over everything it's just amazing they show him stretching they show him doing tai chi they show him doing everything but the bench pressing 300 pounds which he claims he can do because brendan can't do it because brendan talked to him once and brendan said to him how, how much he could bench it it's not 300 all right so go back to camp and coach is just shocked he's like i survived that vote how the hell did they vote debbie out over me i'm the dragon slayer and they left me here and he just it, he it doesn't compute he, he can't fathom in his mind why they would leave him there. And then he realizes they saved me because they love me.
1: Mm-hmm. They
0: love me. They love the dragon slayer. The game is still being played with truth. And I love that. That's the message he got from that.
1: vote. Yeah. And that's the thing as well. Is that, and that's why the Debbie vote is so convenient to Steven and Tyson. It sort of falls into their lap in the previous episode where, you know, if Debbie had not been targeting coach, they'd probably still vote her out, but they have a much harder job of explaining things to coach. They already have things set up of like, Oh, Great. Debbie's targeting Coach. That's an excuse to get rid of her and then tell Coach, hey, we still want to believe in the Warrior Alliance, but we were protecting you. (laughs) Debbie was the mole. She was trying to kill you from within, but we protected you, Coach. We love you.
0: (laughs) And he buys it. He's like, for the first time in the game, I'm almost speechless. Dot, dot, dot. Almost. (sighs) Classic Coachism. All right. So here we go. So the rest of this episode, Coach is just basically contrite now. He's penitent. He's uh uh learn the indiana jones riddles how to get to the the holy grail the penitent man will pass so he's just deferring now to steven and jt He just sucks up to them he goes you guys are great oh what do you think we should do like kind of the bravado is all gone the dragon slayer is kind of broken at this point he knows it and then this is where he floats the question hey guys what do you think we should do about exile island And, and jt's like you know coach has never been to Exile. I don't think he knows how to start a fire. He doesn't know how to do anything. He's scared crapless he's going to have to go to Exile Island. And JT's like, well, Coach, you know, I don't want to send the girls there anymore. I feel kind of bad we keep sending Taj and Aaron. Like, One of us might have to take the hit. And you can see Coach like biting his nails. He's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know, guys. It seems risky. (laughs) Coach, of course, suddenly starts getting sick. He's like, oh, my lungs. Oh, my. I forgot my lungs have been acting up lately, JT. This asthma, it would be very very dangerous to send a man in my condition out to exile
3: <laughs> i feel like this is just like such a relatable like people you know in the workplace or i don't know just or someone that you know is just like they, they want to get out of something like they're about to be sick and all of a sudden like hmm they start really talking about like all these symptoms they have and then they call in sick to work the next day that was super convenient yeah
1: sucks to your <laughs> ass mar that's what i say
3: it's so
0: obvious and he coach keeps going on about it he's like you know i scarred my lungs yesterday and i just hope my asthma doesn't play up. and then oh yeah my back i got these back issues i'm like 70 i'm like 30 years old with a 40 with a 70 year old back it's just horrible
1: no no steve i i won't undermine coach necessarily here because you do see from his physical state i mean coach lost like 30 something pounds out there he did not look like he's in a good condition now again That might be him bringing stuff upon himself, considering this monastic approach he ends up taking. But I can understand why he is, like, severely malnutrition. That might be one reason why he decided to take the pizza, for example, a couple episodes ago. But, yeah, he totally becomes a hypochondriac in these next few (laughs) minutes of, oh, my back, oh, my asthma, oh, I had a traumatic childhood experience involving sand, I did the whole Anakin Skywalker thing before it was cool. Like, suddenly, Coach has a laundry list of things that's wrong with him, and that's why you can't send him to exile. You know what I think of uh, when I see this whole scene with coaches? You know those monks that train themselves
0: for years by taking a flail and like, whipping themselves with it, and, like flagellating themselves? And then coaches like this, it hurts when I flagellate myself. I'm like, well, stop hitting yourself with a flail and maybe you'll stop being injured. That's the coaches' things. So yeah. And then Stephen, of course just giddy you see him just giggling in the confessional and then steven's like you know coach has been going around left and right throwing everyone else under the bus i think it's his turn <laughs> and so dun, 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 here we go here we go the coachiest coach moment of them all jay i hope jay is listening wherever he is right now Oh, i'm i'm
2: here man i'm here the whole time
0: excellent all right so the reward challenge you go to the reward challenge and this is where you have to run through a maze and knock over these three targets with sandbags and also, for some reason, your feet are shackled together. I'm not sure why you had to do that in this one, but we'll just do that for no reason.
1: Well, the, these, these challenges are also, also we're going to get this in the final immunity challenge as well. It's like, oh, okay, we're going to make this a little tough by handicapping you in some way, shape, or form. Maybe they feel like they need to put them on an even playing field with someone like Coach, who obviously is severely handicapped at this point. But yeah, a little bit of an, an interesting addendum to it, but it doesn't really matter because shackles are not, JT crushes them all. I think he knocks all three sandbags over before anyone else can even get to them.
0: Yeah, and no, once again, the reward for this one is asthma medicine and a back brace. So once again, <laughs> Coach is out of luck. No, the reward for this one is you get to go to an overnight retreat at the governor's re- – overnight reward at the governor's retreat. You get a feast, a shower, and a bed. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> there's Steven running in this one again. And then, yeah, people just follow JT in this challenge, and JT just dusts everyone. And he just – it's JT versus Coach at the end. JT wins easy. It's not even close. And with that, get ready for the last stand of Coach – Benjamin Wade. JT wins the reward and he's like, he gets to pick one person to go to exile and there's Coach biting his nails looking like a little girl at a dance wants to get asked to dance. You and have then, to like, love yeah.
2: the fact that they just milked this. Like, you could just tell that oh, yeah. they were enjoying this.
0: Oh yeah, no, the producers, this was, they were dying for the set episode. They loved it. And the editors, producers, every they're milking every single moment of the scene. The players are milking it. Just everyone knows what's going to happen. And then yeah, JT says, let's be noble, Coach. So Coach, uh, Coach gets picked to go to Exile Island, and right off the bat, he's decided you know, he can't start a fire, he doesn't know how to find food, so he's going to take the monastic approach. I will choose not to build a fire, I will choose not to eat, I'm just going to sit out there and meditate the whole time. Aaron, not a fan of Coach, of course, points out, no, he's going to take the murder approach. And coach shoots her a look and she's like, you know, when he gets back, then he's going to say, well, my exile Island stay was harder than everyone else's, And it was so tough. And I'm just a tough warrior. And she's like, he's going to minimize our experiences, which she's absolutely dead on. Correct. And coach hates when she's correct. He just shoots her a look. And yeah. So Aaron's going off. She's sorry. Go ahead. Such an evil look. I was about to say. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Evil. It's a the evil, the, the, the stare equivalent of the evil smile. So, yeah. So, uh, so she's like, I think he just wants the toughest experience. And this is where Coach starts laying out his list of all the diseases he has and why this is going to be so hard for him. What does he say? He's like, you know, my body is this close to shutting down. I got ruptured disc, asthma, back. It's like, oh, fucking, I got sickle cell anemia. I got uterus infection. I got yeast infection, HIV. I got creutzfeldt jakob disease. I got mad cow.
3: Starts naming stuff. Mean and and hearing this now and just knowing coach and how ridiculous the whole thing is and he's been back so many times like you can just sit here and laugh at that but i remember watching that scene and wanting to punch him oh, through yeah. my television, it was so infuriating. The first time you're watching this, he was—he's oh, he's just so aggravating.
1: Oh, absolutely, and this is this is like the reason why Coach is such a polarizing figure, right? This entire episode is that either you buy into all of this tomfoolery and you love it, or you behave like the vast majority of the audience at the time, and you absolutely despise it. And, you know, much like Tyson had his big downfall, the, they build a much bigger hill for Coach to die upon, quite literally, the size of an exile island sand dune. But, of course, he punctuates his list of medical conditions by saying, hit me with your best shot, Pat Benatar. Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> He's the only person that can quote Nietzsche, Marcus Aurelius, and Pat
0: Benatar in succession. It's very impressive. So, anyway, yeah, so Coach still going. Got coal miner's lung. I've got radiation sickness from Hiroshima. I have polio, sudden infant death syndrome. I have that. Jaundice, wobbly hedgehog syndrome, my neur- neurological syndrome. Just going left and right.
2: It reminds I'm, me of, and I'm going to make another literary reference um, the poet, Shel Silverstein.
1: Yes. Mm, all right, poem, like I'm not going sick. to school today. Yeah, that thing. Yes.
2: I cannot go to school today," said little Peggy Ann McKay. And then the rest of the poem is just like every ailment under the sun.
0: Does somebody want to look that up real quick and read it? I bet a lot of our listeners don't know that poem. It's very funny. I, I remember will... that from his. Yeah, I remember that from when I was a kid. I will
2: look it up. It's it's All a right. while. So keep going. Keep going right, yeah. on his exile.
0: Coach still has kennel cough. He's got. What else does he? Have?
1: <laughs> well, well, maybe... can't donate
0: blood. He's traveled to India. Sorry.
1: <laughs> well, maybe while Jay's looking that up, we can sort of talk about the Aaron response to this because yeah I mean I think obviously what she says is true and I don't know how much was spun in the edit of JT and Steven being like oh you know Aaron was pretty mouthy towards coach I don't necessarily like that attitude but even she admits I believe in confessionals that it was not the best idea again this is going back to what I said before about how maybe six days prior people would shut their mouths about it but I think people are just so tired in their own right and also just fed up with Coach at this point. I mean, Aaron's been with Coach for an entire month. She's the only person left who really has. That she is just spouting out at the mouth anytime he's spouting out any sort of BS, which might not necessarily work in her favor when it comes to the game.
0: No, I totally agree. Aaron, she's like, I probably shouldn't have done that. And she is correct. But for the sake of comedy and making the episodes better, thank you for doing that, Aaron. I love you for that. Even if Coach had bird flu. All right, so yeah, so JT gets to, as Coach hobbles off to his his adventure on exile with his myriad of diseases, uh, Coach JT gets to pick one person to go with him on his reward. Of course, he picks Steven, because you could see that coming. And uh, there's a great scene here where they go back to camp, and Taj and Aaron are just laughing at Coach. And again, during that whole where Coach is naming all his diseases, Taj is doing the most majestic eye roll, just big, slow eye roll the whole
3: time. I... and she. I was going to say, I just love, like, Taj's reactions. one of my, like, probably my favorite Taj moment of this whole thing is her reaction to uh, Coach's whole thing. And the scenario she presents that, you know, I, I just, it, she's just great. And, and this whole episode, how she reacts to Coach, it's great.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's she, interesting because I know we talked about Brendan as a great foil to Coach, but... Taj absolutely steps up in his place. I completely agree from even in the Tyson episode where she's giving that cross-eyed look to here. I don't think she gets the moment until the end of the episode when she says what, like any 34 year old man who calls himself a dragon slayer belongs in a mental institution. Like that's just such a fantastic (laughs) line.
0: And here's another one from Taj right here where she says, you know, coach is such an idiot. He was perfectly fine in the challenge. He wasn't broken down. She's like, had coach won that challenge, the warrior would have been back.
3: (laughs) So true. So (laughs) true. All
0: right, Jay, you got the poem? Oh, yeah. All right. So this is, again, uh, the very famous poet, Shel Silverstein. He wrote a book called Where the Sidewalk Ends. And when I was a kid, 79, 1980, back in kindergarten, first grade, this was the book that every teacher loved. They'd always read this to kids. This was like the funniest children's poet around. Everyone in my era knew this poet. And there's a poem Jay quoted and immediately Without, I haven't heard this poem in 30 years. I knew exactly what he was talking about because it was that big a deal to kids my age. So,
3: For the please... record, I read this in my first grade classroom during poetry unit. Same. So, so completely... it, made, it made its way
1: into the 90s as well.
3: Like, not, I, I taught it like three years ago in my first grade class. Oh, so it made its way into the 2010s. All right. So yes. yeah, universally loved, and, and this, is, this
0: is Coach in a nutshell, a dramatic reading from Jay Fisher. Sick
2: by Shel Silverstein. I cannot go to school today said little peggy ann mckay i have the measles and the mumps a gash a rash and purple bumps my mouth is wet my throat is dry i'm going blind in my right eye My tonsils are as big as rocks. I've counted 16 chicken pox. Oh, and there's one more. That's 17. And don't you think my face looks green? My leg is cut. My eyes are blue. It might be instamatic flu. I cough and sneeze and gasp and choke. I'm sure that my left leg is broke. My hip hurts when I move my chin. My belly button's caving in. My back is wrenched. My ankle's sprained. My appendix pains each time it rains. My nose is cold. My toes are numb. I have a sliver in my thumb. My neck is stiff, my voice is weak, I hardly whisper when I speak, my tongue is filling up my mouth, I think my hair is falling out, my elbows bent, my spine ain't straight, my temperature is 108, my brain is shrunk, I cannot hear, there is a hole inside my ear, I have a hangnail, and my heart is, what? What's that? What's that you say? You say today is Saturday? Oh, goodbye, I'm going out to play.
0: Thank
1: you. Uh, very good, Jay. Pulse. Very good. So essentially, Saturday is like what Taj mentioned, right? If Coach had won, all those afflictions would be out the door, and he would totally pull out the warrior pose? Absolutely. Yeah, that's Saturday.
0: <laughs> so yes, that is Coach. Just, you know, he's, uh, something bad's about to happen to him, and he just wants everyone to know that his situation is way worse than everyone else's, and here we go. We are about to go to Coach's oh.
1: famous trip to Exile Island. I mean, Moment of silence. Far and above the best. I mean, I'm trying to remember. So they bring back Exile Island one more time for Survivor 29. And even that sort of came due to uh, Mike White, the writer-director, bringing it up to Jeff Probst. But it would make sense if Survivor ended Exile Island on this trip. Because from a production perspective, it's stunning from all perspectives.
0: It really is. And this is something I'm hoping we can get an interview with Coach. I don't know, I have to talk to his people, but he has told me this before. He is when the first time I ever talked to him, he said, you know, when I was on the show, there was certain different editors do different episodes. And there's one editor that really he goes, there's one episode the editor that really understood me. And you can see there's three episodes in the show where they really get Coach Wade and he says, But my finale episode on Exile Island, that's the guy who got I mean, he understood me. And I've always wondered. Does he realize they were kind of making fun of him on Exile (laughs) Island? It's one of those things, but he was really complimentary of the editors in this episode. He thinks, they understood me. That's not a Coach answer. I don't know what is. All right. So, yeah, Coach is going to Exile Island, and it's great because right off the bat, there's this big music, big heroic music, like a man facing nature, a big struggle. and And we got Coach giving a confessional over it where he's like Coach Wade's foundation and it is built on a rock unbreakable unbendable unyielding immeasurable immovable invincible and i just wrote in
1: my notes love the music here they're just oh. mocking the crap well, but here's the best part though so this this big heroic music comes in and he talks about like i'm going to channel my native american ancestors you know the indians of the land to commune with the creator of the universe to become a man then the music just drops out and coach says well i mean I already am a man, so I guess this will make me more of a man. It's just ah, oh, such a fantastic piece of comedy to have the music cut. Out. It's like a, it's like a, uh, a Daily Show, like one of those yeah. correspondent pieces where they bring in the big over-the-top heroic music and then cut it out right before the punchline. It happens exactly here, and it's just so so good. All they're missing is the record scratch.
0: <laughs> now I wonder, is Coach actually Native American? I mean, admittedly, Philip forded this river even more even deeper than Coach did, but was coach really do you think he really has native american ancestors
1: i can imagine coach today taking one of those like swab the inside of your mouth like mail away ancestry.com tests and he got like 12.5 percent native american and decides to like really imbibe himself in the culture that's sort of what it feels like but in you know a 2009 setting (laughs) yeah
0: isn't he a white kid from tennessee that played the trumpet all right, never mind. So yeah, so so many coach shots, and he's out there stretching in the sun, and they're playing this big heroic music, and then, then he asks God. This is where we go into the Jesus imagery, where he has the the cane, he finds a dragon staff, he holds it up over his shoulders, and it looks like Jesus on the cross. <laughs> it's so so over the top and ridiculous. I cannot believe there was something like this on Survivor. And he starts talking to God, please forgive Aaron for what she did. At least I got the last word in, because that's how you pray to God, by pointing out that you got the last word in with your enemies. But yeah, then the the, the dragon cane and the Jesus imagery, and he's like, you cannot keep me down, period, paragraph.
1: Yeah, why is Coach dictating a telegram to somebody in the confessional booth? <laughs> <laughs> please come to santa poco
0: stop el guapo <laughs> yeah so i i feel like i'm maybe monopolizing the coach talk paul jay would you like to pay tribute to the coach scene here i nope. want
2: to talk about how you slipped a three amigos reference in just now
0: yeah one of my favorite movies i love i three love amigos.
2: that movie that movie's like the best
0: absolutely <laughs> all right good i glad we the three amigos fans and our new audience here come and join us paul how about you how you how do you where do you stand on the three amigos?
3: Um, I know a lot about it. So um, that's another podcast <laughs> Yeah, K- Kara Mowen's
0: a-, a while down the Y, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so what did you guys think of the scene? I mean, obviously I was just laughing my ass off when the scene aired on TV. I know some people must have hated it. again, Coach was Oh, I,
3: I hated it point. when it aired. Like, now I can look back. It's kind of a piece of art, and I love the way they, you know, they work in so much old-school Survivor stuff to make it feel even more epic than it, like, ever should be. So I can really appreciate it now as just being, like, yeah. just ridiculous. But I remember being pissed. I was pissed, pissed, pissed. Especially because <laughs> you don't know that he's going to go home at the end of the episode. You're like, oh my god, this idiot's going to sneak his way into the end like kill me
1: now well, i mean there was a lot of sand around that's why paul was so pissed
2: i don't like <laughs> the sand it's coarse it gets everywhere
1: <laughs> hey i already made an Anakin reference <laughs> exactly There's two two equally good
0: girls you're both pretty
2: <laughs> I get, i'm gonna be honest mario and you're probably gonna hate me for this um i didn't appreciate this scene at the time what i appreciate it now for all the reasons that paul said i mean it's literally a work of art and 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 all that sort of stuff i was kind of out on coach at this point i was not on the coach bandwagon like you were i didn't hate him i didn't have like a visceral hate reaction to coach i was just kind of over him at this point and I mean, so you're not, you're not
0: you're not breaking my heart by saying that because that's everybody everybody yeah. hated this guy at the start
2: and so i'm gonna be honest with you when we had this exile i don't think this was literally the time where i believe i got up and made myself a snack or something <laughs> Like, I'm not saying, like, I watched it, but I didn't watch it. Like, I wasn't sitting glued to the TV mm. watching the scene. It was just one of those, oh, they're doing bullshit with Coach. I'm going to go do something else for a moment.
1: That's a good point. Yeah. I know, because I feel like at this point, we've had growing on 13 episodes of Coach. And I think if people are fed up to the level that I think the three of us were, Mario being the exception, I think you're like, in the moment, you're saying, oh, of another Coach thing uh, this doesn't matter. I'll, I It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter how over the top it is. I'm going to just hopefully we'll get through it and he'll be gone by the end of it. Where, again, another great reason to rewatch it is you take your feelings out of where you were in the moment and you can really see how, just what a fantastic piece of filmmaking and reality television this is overall.
0: And mockery. It's just they're fucking mocking him. <laughs> Yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, the reality of my situation is I'm I'm kind of half in on Survivor at this point. I've been watching it for 18 seasons. You know, there's been good, there's been bad. I haven't really been that jazzed about it for the last couple seasons. I thought China was pretty cool. There's stuff about Gabon I liked. This season I thought was kind of flat. But, oh, my God, this scene, and I'm the guy who writes the funny 115, and this just fell in my lap. That's, that's how I look at it. That's, again, it's absolutely not the way that most people looked at it and since we always put these seasons in historical context everyone hated coach he was just this big laughing stock hypocrite people laughed at him mocked him people checked out on this scene this is oh my god this is so gratuitous and just crap it's just crap why is this crap on survivor but if you watch it now with the years of wisdom and seeing what Coach's journey was through the years and kind of if you just learn to check your take yourself out of the moment and what you're thinking at the time if something airs this is a really ridiculously over the top uh, scene in general that the Survivor editors have rarely even come close to topping. They put so much work into the scene just to mock this guy Coach in his last episode, and it's just glorious.
2: Yeah, and, and I would even say go back and watch it, even if even if your opinion on Coach is still you hate Coach, then that's fine. Go back and watch the scene, watch how they do it, and just bear in mind as you're watching it that they are literally making fun of the guy all the way. Yeah. like this is not this is they play it straight but it's not straight it is it is absolutely you know one of those christopher guest mockumentaries going on right now with this thing and it's impeccably done yeah
0: and again even if you don't like mockumentaries even if you hate coach watch it for the cinematography it's just beautiful and some of the imagery they're throwing in there and stuff and again the jesus stuff there's like christ images left and right it's crazy
1: yeah, I'm surprised they didn't write like, I don't know, the what was it wasn't the dog who didn't bark. What was the name of the article when it was written about Ethan about comparing him to a Christ-like figure? It's the first oh, time follow it Follow the
2: Star. Yeah, follow the Star.
1: Fifteen yeah. seasons since Follow the Star. Now we finally have a sequel, the penultimate episode of the season. Yeah.
0: I'm shocked Coach wasn't like stabbing his hands to have stigmata and holding them up to the camera and falling down. Like, that would not have been out of character for this scene. <laughs> Alright, so we have more coach coming up, but first we gotta get JT and Stevens section out of the way. <laughs>
1: This, this this is the part of Brazilian culture that I do have experience with uh, the Brazilian barbecue, which is essentially in our Westernized culture, it's essentially all you could eat meat buffet. Okay, I thought fogo you were saying. You,
0: I thought you were saying you've stayed at a governor's mansion before. I'm like, what the hell?
1: No, that's in a past life. Uh, yeah, so essentially <laughs> Brazilian barbecue, at least again in the Westernized concept, Jay brings up fogo de chao, which is like probably the biggest, uh, more franchised version of it. Is essentially they bring out a bunch of meat on sabers or swords or pointy sticks, and they saw off a bunch of give it to you and you essentially just keep getting meat until you can have no more and it seems like they get a version there with their uh, nice fluffy robes. Yeah. And they
0: have to yeah. share a bed which is nice. They get to cuddle.
2: Oh, the meat sweats you get from going <laughs> oh. to a place like that.
0: They, uh, for people who are in Los Angeles, Jay may be aware of this place, the farmer's market in downtown yeah. LA. Oh, Yeah one of the greatest places in LA and it's funny because not a lot of people know about it it's kind of a locals only type place but uh they have just all sorts of food stands and fruit and fresh fruit and all sorts of of food of restaurants from around the world and my favorite place there is the Brazilian barbecue exactly what they were talking about just as much meat as you can on a stick and there's always a line out the door and it's crazy it's uh like like uh Mike said if there's one Part of Brazilian culture. You should know. Well, it is the barbecue because it is hands-down fantastic
2: There is something like when you go to like a photo at a shower or something like that It's literally like I tell you you just you pay a price yep. you know, you, you just you just pay money like like a fixed money and then they give you a card, and one side of the card is green, and one side of the card is red. And you just turn it over to green, and they just drop meat on your plate until you can take snowmores and you turn it to red. Like, as long as your card's green, they're going to drop meat on your plate. It's fantastic.
0: I imagine that's how Rupert approaches every meal at a restaurant. He just brings in a red and green card. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: give me more 2% cow's milk. <laughs> Did I, I say want stop?
0: Tongue. Give me tongue.
1: So, yes, yeah, so JT and
0: Steven get this huge feast. It's a really nice day in the governor's mansion, and they decide, uh, you know, we're a final two now. It's us until the end, which we kind of knew was coming, but now it's official. So they're like, yeah, hey, let's take Aaron out next. <laughs> now let's go back to Exile Island. <laughs> we Coach is dead. <laughs> yeah, Coach is dead. So, so <laughs> we... we look. I can barely get through the scene without laughing Coach has been talking about how he's unbreakable and unstoppable How he's a warrior And the scene opens with vultures circling (laughs) And we cut down to a shot of Coach looking dead in the water (laughs) And he's just laying there relaxing But the image is that they're circling a dead man Because he couldn't handle it And it's so funny the transition from what we heard him saying earlier My favorite part of this whole scene And then the sad music starts playing (laughs) Uh, Come on, Paul. You had to appreciate that one, at least. The vulture joke.
3: Yeah, but the that sad music, that's that one that and they play all the time in Australia, right? I believe it is. I think you're actually correct.
1: Or is it the Jenna's mom, Bruce
3: can't poop music? <laughs> yeah. No, not that one. Different sad music. Different sad music.
0: What's nice is that this is actually, you can think, could this adds on to Coach's 8 to 10 near-death experiences? So it's actually 9 to 11 now. Because he almost died and the vultures almost Does
1: him. it count if he purposely put himself in that situation? Like, <laughs> oh, near-death experience. I starved myself and nearly died from it.
0: I nearly killed myself when I stabbed these scissors into my heart. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> so this is where Coach, you know, the sad music's playing. And now he starts up with the, it might take me a little longer to get to the challenge today. My back is acting up. And you know... Marcus Aurelius once said, through our greatest adversities come our greatest successes. I plan on winning immunity today. And I should point out, we we have a lot of foreign viewers, foreign listeners. People have asked this before. Like, uh, I forget when the when people say certain things or do certain things, I, we, we get emails from people like, is that a typical American phrase? Is that a typical thing? Just for our foreign listeners, coach is not your typical American. I'm just pointing that out right now. I do not know any coaches. I had to clear my throat there. I've been talking so much my throat's...
1: <laughs> what's yeah. going? Let's hold on for a little longer much like they hold on to the sides of their post during this immunity challenge.
0: Oh yeah, no Debbie knows how to hold on to a post.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's Fire Pirate 101, right Paul?
3: That's right. That that's her job, right?
1: <laughs> Darren. <laughs> All right, let let let's, let's get to this challenge uh because yeah, so this is, uh, I think this was the Yao Man Challenge in Survivor Fiji, the Chimney Sweeps. It's essentially an, an endurance challenge where you stand on little footholds holding yourself up uh, against these posts, and then you have to move down to smaller and smaller ones. But I feel like the challenge itself takes a backseat. As soon as Coach comes hobbling in and the, the Shell Silverstein poem essentially embodied in the form of one man, we get Taj's confessional here again. Any 37-year-old man who thinks he's a dragon slayer belongs in a mental institution, and... Yeah, this is, uh, it's all about Coach here. It really is.
0: Yeah, for those, again, it, I I feel bad I have to even describe this because I'm sure most everyone knows the scene or they remember at least part of it. Everyone's lined up waiting for the challenge and coaches is in. Jeff's like, all right, come on in, Coach, back from Exile Island. And here he comes hobbling, you know, like Obi-Wan in the start of A New Hope. He's all old man. He's got his cane. He can barely walk. And Taj just immediately bursts out laughing when she sees how he's overplaying it. And then she's yeah, again she says, This guy is such a drama queen. He belongs in a mental institution. Come get him. And then they all get there and they're all lined up and it's just a very comical shot of four very normal looking people and one guy who looks like a wizard. He looks like Merlin kind of. He's got a cane. He looks like he's dying. His hair is all bedraggled. <clears throat> and he's like uh yeah, coach is like, you know, it was it was tough. I had I had a great experience and I was monastic and I had no food and I had no water and it was amazing. I loved every minute of it. And then without missing a beat he like turns to jt he's like can i have some water (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so uh probes is just baiting suddenly bailing baiting coach asking him oh how hard was it? oh did you did you you fight did you fight the demons did you overcome adversity and then yeah so we go to the challenge now and they have to stand up on these pegs and and balance for as long as they can and and aaron's out first and steven and the tosh and then it it Again, it could not have worked out. Sometimes when reality TV, when the storylines work out, it's just amazing. And it works out where it's JT against Coach. And this is Coach's last stand. An endurance challenge, a warrior challenge against JT. And it's just fantastic here.
1: So you you talked about this in the funny one fifteen, Mario, but I mean, it does come down to Coach and JT. Taj is going to say, oh, don't let your back hurt anymore, Coach. And suddenly Coach remembers all of his afflictions, and this is where the big histrionics start. But do we think that coach decided to do this just because he knew he couldn't win against JT. He knew that JT would last longer than him and he decided to throw it right there, right then. Or do you think, do you think he might've been able to hold out longer, but for some reason thought that this would be the honorable way to go out of the challenge?
3: Uh, the former.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You're asking us to delve into coach's mind. It's a very dangerous place to go, but I have to think it's the first one. He knows he's going to lose. He just wants to make sure he goes out with a bang and everyone knows his struggle. Yeah, he's, his, he's creating a narrative. Yeah. And Probst even says, this is how you want to coach a battle after 36 days? And Coach is like, yes, this is all I've ever wanted. And like Mike said, I don't know. You don't know if this is just editing or what. Maybe Coach was his back was hurt the whole time. But the way they presented in the episode, Taj says, oh, don't press it, Coach. Don't hurt your back anymore. And of course, here comes Coach with the back pain. Ah, ah as he starts doing the Shell Silverstein poem and he's gritting his teeth and yelling and my God, if you haven't watched this scene in a while, watch the music that the editors put here for coach's last two minutes on the pole where it's like, dun, dun. it's like this big, huge, powerful music. And then coach screams and without he falls down and collapses into a, into a little pile on the ground and everyone comes rushing over out of concern for him. Well, well, I mean, you
1: say everyone. Steven's the one that, I don't know if he's, like, feigning concern, but he seems the one that's most legitimately concerned. You can feel Aaron and Todd sort of, like, (laughs) casually walk over to Coach. They're like, all right, uh, we'll deal with this, I guess. The sooner we can get back to camp, the better and get this guy out of here.
0: All right, he wounded his ovary, whatever. Yeah, so we go over there, yeah, so and Coach limps to the bench. He's got a lamp, and he's... My back, my back was spasming those last twenty minutes or whatever. And then (laughs) Probes is like, You want medical to look at it? And coach is like, No, if they looked at my back, I wouldn't even be
3: here. Uh, Taj would still be in this game. Uh, Taj, of
0: course, rolled another big majestic eye roll. She's like, he didn't want medical to look at it because they'd know he was making it up. There's nothing wrong with him. And with that, that is you would say officially the end of Coach, Coach's last stand, but he will have one last little gasp here at the end. But that, for all intents and purposes, is where Coach falls and he hits the ground. And I will say, a lot of people, I wrote it on the Funny 115, I do this all the time, I always have Coach laying on the ground saying, goo! But he doesn't actually say goo in the scene, people have called me on that before. I I know he doesn't say goo in the scene, but when Courtney and Heroes versus Villains references this scene she's the one that says and coach is on the ground going and so i'm quoting her coach never actually says that that's courtney
1: all right so should we get to uh should we skip to tribal council here should we get to the poem because i mean we we knew we were gonna really uh give a lengthy diatribe to coach here but we also have four other people to talk about as well
0: all right so we'll skim through real quick here He's just go back to camp. Coach is hobbling around. Aaron says, This guy's ridiculous. Are you kidding me? Taj is like, He's so full of it. And coach is all walking around fine after a while. He's like, Yeah, whatever. I'm cool. I'm the Dragon Slayer. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So he thanks JT for sharpening him. It's like, I was honored to lose to him today. And this is the way where Steven and JT promise coach they're not going to vote for him tonight. But you know, they're lying. This is really coach's last stand. And uh, <clears throat> let's see, going through my notes here. Okay, let's go right to tribal council. So Aaron and Coach kind of start at it again. Aaron's like, what a martyr. Are you kidding me? That was the most ridiculous thing ever. And, and so Coach, never at a loss for quotes, has another quote. Sometimes men drop what they think is a pebble. Women see a boulder crash or dropping and crashing.
1: Yeah, that's, that's Coach's, like, best five at the Apollo, his best stand-up set. of like, men think a rock is like this. Women think a rock is like this. Am I right?
0: <laughs> Bitches be crazy. Woohoo! Yes. Now he quotes Mark Twain. He's pulling out. He's pulling out every trick in his book at this point. And so it's time to vote. Coach knows he's screwed. And again, uh, you can't make up a character like Coach, as Jeff says. Okay, time to vote. uh, Coach holds up one finger. One more thing. He's got this big old grin on his face, like, oh my god, what is this guy going to do now? And like Sierra rolls her eyes, Debbie face palms, and Coach is like, I wrote a poem. (laughs) So he's going to go out with his poem. And you know what's great is that uh, we have a guy here who can do dramatic readings for us, and he already did one for us earlier. Jay, would you uh, like to yes. do a dramatic reading of Coach's poem? Yes, I would love
2: to do a dramatic <laughs> reading of Coach's poem.
3: How many I'm times have you used this poem in your auditions?
0: Um,
2: not as much as I probably should.
3: <laughs> should I
1: should I put in the, uh, the Aussie Micronesia jury speech, free uh, freeform jazz music underneath? Is it another uh, skateboard on the moon?
2: We should, because you know me, I have to put my own spin on it. So it's not going to be an impersonation of Coach, but you know. We got there too. Are are, are we ready for this?
0: Mm -hmm. Harriet. Harriet. Go for it.
2: (laughs) Harry, That's
0: right. So I married an axe murderer, just in case you didn't get that. Oh,
2: what a great movie. Anyway. With friend and foe, we march to the battle plane. Some to seek success, others to seek fame. We play with honor for the love of this game. And with armor or without, we will toil in vain. So that someday, someone, somewhere, will remember our name. Marcus Aurelius.
1: Thank you. So the, so the rhyme structure is a a a a a a a kind of A-A-A.
0: Well, that makes yeah, sense because that... coach is a type A, 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 a personality. <laughs> and
2: I love the alliteration at the end. So that someday, someone, somewhere,
1: <laughs> <laughs> somebody out there will remember us.
0: <laughs> I do believe you. You switched the word honor for armor at one point. And just I don't want to get sued by coach's publishing company. So just we we noted that with armor or without. Our, I think it's honor. No. Yeah, okay. I Maybe mean, whatever.
2: I had, I'm not had, that a, fully
0: invested. Okay, so anyway, and with that, we lose the majestic Dragon Slayer, Coach Benjamin Wade, as Aaron goes up there and writes simply, Dragon Slayed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we we have talked a slew about Coach, but can we take one second, maybe I'll just bring this up as a discussion point about Coach, do we think that Coach was sort of the starting point of more of this storytelling oriented around one person's antics And i think we've talked about the fact that token cheese isn't necessarily from one person's perspective but especially in the next two seasons we're going to get a very similar type of storytelling where it's going to be a lot about one person and one person's going to get a lot of the focus but i i wonder if this is also sort of combined with what we saw from sugar as well especially from the latter half of gabon which i know he's discussed
0: yeah i mean it's one of those things if I love Coach, but I can say I love Coach because A, I write comedy for a living, and B, I was kind of disinterested in Survivor at the time. Like, I thought, well, this is interesting, at least. I don't really like where Survivor's going, but this is cool. So one would make the argument, and I think you'd be quite accurate, if you really take Survivor seriously, if you really value it as a sport, a serious show, a character study, a, you know, a social experiment, then Coach being on the show was a big downfall of the show, it kind of starts here, where they start going for the, you know, get a load of this guy Can they start, this guy's crazy, let's watch his antics, and so it's like, I think it would probably symbol a downfall in Survivor for you, because the show really doesn't take itself as seriously, kind of starting around here, so I could see that argument, I didn't take it all that seriously to start with, and I write comedy, so I love this, but if you were to say this was one of the dark points in the show, Coach, showing up, I can't really disagree with you, you're probably right, I just, I look at the show differently than you do. Yeah,
2: I think that two things are happening around this time in Survivor history. Uh, I think that number one, I think that what Survivor is looking for is—I'm not saying that their ratings are dipping or or something like that. I'm not—I'm not trying to be a harbinger of doom here and say, well, it's the beginning of the end or something like that. But I think that Survivor. The, the, the producers as a product, as anything, they're looking for kind of a different format. And I think that the fact that they had Sugar and then they've had Coach and then they're going to have Russell, uh, they're they're basically going to try to just fit, fit a narrative around one person because they think that that's a different way to tell a story. And not just tell a story, but also if we if we have one person that we can kind of build this season around, then we can – advertise around that one person and kind of you know go that route and then number two i think they're doing that because the game has now become very strategy heavy and and a lot of the conversations around camp are going to be very strategy heavy so it's like you you only have again the show is evolving and you're having all these characters on there and you still have 43 minutes per episode to tell a story and you it's kind of hard to fit in Everyone's personal narrative and all of the vote splitting and all of this sort of stuff. So they said, well, what if we have all the vote splitting and the idol hunting and all that sort of stuff? And then we just have this one character that we're going to talk about. That's
0: the, maybe that's the formula. Yeah. And again, it gets really more, much more blatant once you get up to the Philip era. Philip really dominates the story. I mean, I guess one could argue Coach dominates it even more than Philip. I always found Coach more palatable because I always thought Coach was just. He's a very interesting psychological specimen. With Philip, I always thought he was just playing to the cameras. With Coach, I always thought there's something really interesting going on with this guy. <laughs> something really interesting going on in Coach's world. So, I don't is... know. It's, I, I, I always found it less, less. Uh, like with Coach, it seemed a little more authentic. As much as you can say that about him, I think he's just an eccentric weirdo. With Philip, I always thought he was doing something to get airtime.
2: Man, that is the thinnest he of hairs you trying to split
0: right there. I, know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to define it. Well, I'm, see, I'm trying to come right out and say it. See, I'm a psych major, and I'm trying to come right out and say it. I'm trying, I, I would love to diagnose what weird things Coach has going on that I don't think Philip has. I think Coach has some really interesting phenomena that I don't want to get in trouble and start naming disorders here. But yeah, it's really interesting because I, I think Coach is legitimately,
1: there's things that are
0: kind of off with him. All
1: right, let's, let, let's get through this for now. I feel like the final tribal council is really the big centerpiece that I'm sure you want to focus a little bit on, but we've got a couple of votes to get through as well.
0: Exactly. Even though, in Coach's final words, he says that Steven was not the white wizard, he was the evil wizard, and we were going to find that out right now. A
1: real reverse Gandalf, if you will. He went from white to gray Ooh. instantaneously. I have two Coach stories
0: I want to tell. Make sure I tell them at the end. I'll, let's get this other stuff first. All right. Finale. Aaron, Taj, Steven, and JT. And it's funny, is if you'd asked me five years ago, who was in the finale of Token Chains, I would say, well, Steven and JT, and then I don't remember where the other two were. So I was kind of, oh, I don't remember Aaron getting this far. Okay, that's cool. So anyway, here we go. So everyone last night voted for coach except for JT. And JT is like, well, you know, I had honor. He's my warrior alliance. I couldn't do that to him. A.K.A. Guess what? I just won coach's jury vote because I never turned on him. And then Steven even says, you know, this might hurt me in the end. JT looks like a good guy. And I look like the guy who turned on coach. That might not work out so well in my favor. So Steven kind of sees where we might be going here.
2: Yeah, okay. it's, a double-edged, it's a double-edged sword with with using JT to kind of talk your way out of problems is that, you know, on the one hand, you know, I think Steven's like, well, maybe JT can be that messenger because people in Survivor kill the messenger, right? So if I make JT be the messenger, then he's going to get killed. But it's like if you're really good at being the messenger, then it's a problem.
1: Yeah, especially yeah. when the messenger is able to use some wiggle room and say, Nah, is it okay, by the way, if I if I vote with coach just because, you know. We want to still be cool, uh, you know, definitely spreading the message to your closest alley of, hey, here's a guy that's going to the jury that I definitely have as a vote right now. It's interesting looking at the final tribal council not to get too far ahead, but going into it, I think the both of the guys were pretty certain that Steven had Tyson, Aaron, and Taj's votes. Uh, so I think both of them made it very clear at the beginning of day 37 here that Coach was definitively in JT's pocket.
0: And then this is where JT points out, you know, it's amazing. Three out of the final four are Jalapows. Like, we came into the merge down six to three. How the hell did this happen? He's like, this is a masterpiece. Now it's three to one. So they they don't even really realize, understand how this happened. But okay. And this is where Steven is going to make a, uh, I wouldn't say a blunder, but something that will haunt him later. Where Taj and Steven start saying, well, we should vote out JT next. Do you think we could do that next? And Steven's like... Well, if he loses immunity today, it's going to be kind of a tough decision for me, dot, dot, dot. And again, this is – Stephen will pay the price for this conversation later. All right, final four immunity challenge. This is the one where they have to do a big tarantula obstacle course. They have to go through and solve all these different stations. And, it's uh, like whoever, it's whoever,
3: cool. made this, whoever made this was the guy who made the zombie stuff back in uh XL Island. Like someone who's really obsessed with Halloween. Cheese <laughs> is going to be the spider season. I just know it.
2: That skull season did really well, you know.
3: Zombies were a huge hit.
2: <laughs> that skull season was so freaking scary it made a guy not poop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it scared him the opposite of shitless.
2: <laughs> it scared the crap back into him. <laughs>
1: I'm so scared. The Bruce Witch Project. <laughs> I've been holding it in for 30 years. But uh, JT wins. <laughs>
0: yeah, JT wins. I have nothing to say about this one. JT wins. So we uh, we go back to camp, and Aaron is kind of screwed. She's like, well, it's three jalapenos against me. Uh, why don't you guys, why don't JT and Steve? why don't you turn on Taj? She's, like, super popular. Everyone loves her. Like, I'm not going to win a jury vote. She probably will. And they're like, you know, you're probably right. <laughs> and so this, is, again, JT and Steven reiterate, okay, maybe we'll vote for Taj tonight, but we'll never, ever vote for each other, right? Right, Steven? Steven's like, oh, absolutely. We'll never vote for each other, JT. I
1: feel, I feel like, I know you said that Steven makes a major blunder. I don't know. Part of me says that I think him deciding to go along with this plan here might have been his biggest blunder in the game, to be quite honest, just because the, the, the mentality that was going on among Jury was apparently that Steven was both sort of JT's, like, I don't know riding sidecar on JT's uh, Harley motorcycle, and that he wasn't. JT was making all the big moves, and also that Stephen was kind of weaselly at the same time. And he definitely did not help that image when he says, "Hey, Taj, remember the person that I've been closest with, my like first ally I ever had on Jalapow? Yeah, bye. I'm gonna stick with this guy and this girl that I met like yeah, two yeah. weeks ago. So bye." And that does not send a very good message to the jury whatsoever.
0: No, you're absolutely right. Stephen has. He, he really in situation, and he starts making the wrong choice almost every time. So he, tribal Council, of course, Coach wobbles in with his cane. <laughs> he's still hobbled, um, and this is where Probes starts digging in at Steven. I, I'd forgotten about this till I watched the season, where Probes comes down, coming down on Steven. where he's like, uh, Steven, is it uh, tough to vote out your friends?" And Steven's like, "Well, I don't, I don't know. I hope I don't have to make a tough decision. I haven't really had to." And Probes is like you know, you're kind of wishy-washy, Stephen. You've never re- really had to make a tough decision in this game. It's always been you're in the minority, so you, you always just vote out someone who fell in your lap, but you've never really had to do anything, right? And so Probe's is, like, getting on his case. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of weird, because Stephen looks awfully wishy-washy when Probe starts digging into him here, and it's going to continue the rest of the episode. I feel like Stephen uh, suffers
2: from something that I suffer from, that, that all these sorts of things. I'm not saying it's an intellectual thing. I'm not trying to say there's that. But I think that a lot of people who have done a lot of things within academia and a lot of just people who do a lot of think tank sort of sort of things they talk out all their options mm-hmm. you know and and they talk out everything and i think that on survivor that is a huge that is a huge liability and, and it's not it, it shouldn't be like when you think about it, it shouldn't be, you know what I mean? Because you, you're just thinking about all your options and you, you, you say everything and you're like, well, maybe I'd have to vote you out. I don't know. But it's like even if even if you have no intention of voting that person out, if you even discuss all the different scenarios that are going on, you have instantly created them to be paranoid towards you. People in Survivor like to be they like to be reassured, right? Like, nope. I'm never going to vote you out. Or you can, me? it's not even crossing my mind when it's like, it's totally crossing your mind. Everything is crossing everybody's mind at all times. But, you know, Steven is going to verbalize it. And I think that I would probably do the same thing if I were ever out there. I'd just be like, all right, well, here are all of our options, blah, 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 blah. And it's like,
0: I'd probably get in trouble for that. Yeah. So in a way, it's almost he's a little too honest. Yeah.
1: I also like how in the final three, JT and Aaron are going to be like, well, I mean, Steven's so well spoken. And it's not exactly indicative here where as you said, he kind of has a case of like thinking out loud, he's, he's, he's going on a Shaquilla. He's essentially soliloquizing his thoughts in the game, which comes off a little bit as verbal diarrhea and definitely comes across, across as wishy-washy to the jury.
2: Right. Yeah. And that's the problem is that when you've got the two, the two headed monster making the decisions, or at least in, in the eyes of everyone, and JT is the golden boy in front. And then you've got Steven in the back going, well, we thought about this and we thought about this. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking about this and, about this, and it's like, well, he's catching the flack then.
0: Yeah, so anyway, Taj gets blindsided here, and she absolutely does not see it coming. She's like, what? We were together, the three of us, this whole time. So Taj goes out. Obviously, Steven is the one who's going to take the hit for it, because Steven's the one she was closest to. And then Taj even says in her final words, you know, if Aaron gets to the end, she'll get my vote. And I'd forgotten that Taj went out at four. For some reason, I remember Taj being final three. Nah, but yeah, Aaron so she agreed. goes out here, and again, yeah. That was the thing. She's someone I think easily could have won this season. Yeah. I mean, just... If luck had gone a little different her way, I mean, I think she she could have stood up to even JT in the jury vote, possibly.
1: And I think she is a very strong character. Again, I know we pointed out throughout the course of this podcast that she's a huge part of the beginning because of the Exile Alliance and the fact that she's sent so many times. Unfortunately, during the merge, she kind of fades into the background a bit, and JT and Steven come alive more as, you know, the, the Pal voices. But I think Taj is such a fun character. Uh she is so animated especially in reactions to coach. She's such a such a like a, a she drops a lot of great sound bites and she's got a pretty good head on her shoulders as well. You know, she navigated out of a place in Jalapao where she didn't really know anybody for the first several days because she kept getting set to exile island, but she was able to really rely on some of these one-on-one connections to not only find an idol but never have to play an idol. That's incredible that despite True. being in the majority And people knowing that she had the idol, Coach was the only one who said maybe we should vote out Taj because she has the idol and we want to blindside her so she doesn't play it. The fact that she didn't need to do anything with it, I think, just speaks to how she was a good player. And it it sucks that we, again, as we spoke about before, will most likely not see her on the show anymore because I would have loved to see Taj come back personally.
0: She's the star of the season for the first couple episodes. She's the biggest character in the first half. I mean, if you don't see her, Coach, probably.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say she's not the most compelling character in the show, and she's not the biggest character. I mean, I think that the JT Stevens stuff at the end is is very compelling and and coming to a head, and, and I think that you're right that she sort of is the the beginning part of the show, if you're not a big coach fan and stuff like that. She disappears in the middle, but I think this is the last this is the last season for me personally where I think that I sort of stopped being a fan of people not not a fan of the show i mean i was still a fan of the show i went all the way through uh, and watched survivor but you know sometimes you you know you watch the show with your heart and with your head you know and and you're you're looking kind of objectively at what's going to happen and and a lot of people do that today and it's even more prominent today with the fact that survivor is more strategy heavy and the fact that we have so much uh internet content about every episode of survivor you know all these Uh, podcasts and everything that that really break down every episode of survivor you know you can really think and dissect everything and i and i think that that people really think with their head now uh towards everything but but there's an element of survivor a lot of times where you just like a person and maybe they maybe you see them winning maybe you don't i think taj definitely was a threat to win but i rooted for taj the whole time taj was my favorite character on the season all the way through i was not that big of a jt guy I don't really mesh well with JT. Uh, I was not a big Steven guy. I mean, I, I thought they were both fine together. I liked the pairing uh, and I wasn't a big coach fan. You know, I was kind of over him at the end. Taj was the person I rooted for. and And it's not like I was crushed that she didn't win, but I was like, Usually the person that I root for cuz I root for Siri, I root for I root for people that usually don't win. And so, you know, at this point I I just had seen so much of the show and and you know, we are many 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 seasons in where I just kind of I think that starting with Samoa, I sort of was like I'm not rooting for anyone anymore. I'm just watching the show and sort of dissecting it, which is sort of a sad way to think about it, but I think Taj is the last person I really rooted for. Hmm.
3: I really agree with your your sentiment about just feeling the end of the season, how Taj was, was the one I was rooting for. And I think probably going into it, I felt like JT was still going to pull it out. But I just had a lot of hope that somehow things would work out for Taj and just the way it went down. It just kind of gave a uh, a little bitter taste in my mouth. So uh, even though I do love this last stretch of episodes of Token Chains, I think stronger for me are the final eight to the final five episodes. and The finale is like, fine, it's whatever.
1: Uh, And she was relegated to only having Jeff Probst uh, misidentify her at the reunion in her picture of people during (laughs) uh, SWV back in those days.
3: There she is in the middle. I'm actually on the end. Oh.
1: Uh, Oh, you all have crazy glasses on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we
0: lose Taj and let's go to the final three here. And we got Aaron, Stephen, and JT back at camp. And Aaron's just going on and on and on about, wow, that was great. We blindsided her. That was amazing. This is so cool. And, JT's like, you know, she's oblivious to the fact that that was kind of emotional for us. She's just annoying. And they're like, you know, Aaron's the most annoying person in the world. So all of a sudden we get the Aaron is horribly and annoying, horrible and annoying at it, which doesn't speak well for what's going to happen to her. So yeah, so they're suffering the consequences. They got to live with Aaron. And this is where Steven again goes to Aaron. Aaron goes to Stephen. I don't know who they go who goes to who. And they plot to take out JT, where Steven says, you know, if, uh, if JT doesn't win immunity tonight, it's going to be a real hard choice for me because I don't really want to go to the end with him and Aaron even reiterates, you know, Stephen and JT—they don't want to face each other. It's clear as day; they don't—they don't, they don't want to face each other. It's bad news for both of them. So she draws Stephen into this, and Stephen is fully admitting to conspiring to maybe vote JT out tonight. And again, Stephen is really gonna—this is gonna hit hammer him real hard later tonight, when, he, when later in this episode.
1: I mean, when Stephen says, "I almost don't want to win the challenge," out loud again, it goes right back to what you're saying, Jay. Like, keep it inside, man. Don't let people yeah. know you're thinking that. <laughs> Yeah. And
0: again, Stephen and JT are all the way to the end, reiterating their final two pact. We're going to go to the end, right, buddy? And Steven's like, yeah, we are. It's going to be amazing. So here we go. Time for Rites of Passage. And I should point out that Stephen even calls it Rites of Passage in the episode. So big props to Stephen. You mean fallen comrades? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and
1: Stephen was a recruit. So you know that like yeah. it's, it's pretty ingrained in his head. He must have binged a lot of old school Survivor up to that point.
0: I was wondering about that. He'd only watched like two seasons, right? That's what I read somewhere that he was a recruit. Yeah, allegedly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So even he knows that it's rites of passage. So
2: you know, I know it's it's uh it's 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 the one that's correct.
0: You know, I like <laughs> to think that yeah, I know that.
2: <laughs> Which one was it again? No, I know it's rites of passage. You weirdo.
0: Although it's funny because even in the in the in the tree mail they say time to pay tribute to your fallen comrades. I'm like, no, stop saying that in the tree mail. You're going to confuse people. All right, so here we go. It's the rites of passage where we remember fallen comrades. I, I have said that. <laughs> All right, and so, so oh, good, it's Caroline and Lena's voice again, and I'm not going to do it because my voice is gone, so sorry. Carolina, Candace, Jerry, Sandy, Spencer, Sydney. Wow, what a murderer's row of dull characters here. I forgot about the Jerry, Spencer, Sidney, Joe line there. Yeah, and then Brendan, yeah. and then Tyson shows up, and Stephen says, Tyson was really kind and really sincere, which are the first two words I'd use to describe Tyson. And then Sierra's there, and then Debbie, and then Coach, and Stephen says once again, Coach never told a lie. And I think there was a a Nietzsche quote here Mm -hmm. where Coach says, like, a Greek tragedy and death I will give others ideas for life or something.
3: I just want to thank Mario for his great podcasting skills. He just literally just regurgitated the boot order and then said, oh, and there was a Nietzsche quote. Yeah, exactly. That's I I could have summed up this entire season just in a little five minute podcast there. <laughs> you know, you didn't even need to really say those first eight names. They're like Lamina level of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's such
0: mixed feelings about the season with how dull it gets and how good it gets at different times. It's it's very
3: Yeah, mixed I'm not feelings.
0: Gonna say, I'm not gonna say schizophrenic because that's actually an incorrect word. That's not technically correct.
1: But we uh, so stop assigning this season with psychological disorders, Mario. <laughs> Would I'll jump s-
3: in here for a second. One thing I was thinking about, too, I hadn't actually thought about before until um, I was I had rewatched the reunion today just to kind of get in the mood for this. And one thing um, that I think is interesting, it's like with a lot of these seasons where they go to really cool locations and Token Sheen's being like, uh, I would consider a cool, unique location. I feel like the location tends to be a really big part of the season, like Gabon, China. Seasons like uh, Guatemala, uh, especially if they go somewhere that's like landlocked, I feel like the location really becomes a part of it. And although Token Chains, I think, is like stunning to look at and is like an amazing location they went to, I never felt like we really got like what is Token Chains or the players' connections to Token Chains. Like we got so much in Gabon about the players, how they interact with Gabon, and like you just felt like. Gabon really was one of the players out there. And I never felt that with Token Chains. We get to this final scene and they're, you know, this closing of the season and they're doing this, you know, remembering everyone. I never felt that with Token Chains. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I've, so I think of uh, the season of mixed things with it. It's really, really cool location, but I never really felt it play that important of a role in the show.
0: You saw the barbecue though, right?
3: Oh, sorry, barbecue. Hey, never mind. I connected.
0: Barbecue.
2: Yeah. Now you got he- it. Do you think, Paul? That's why we go to Samoa for eighteen years afterwards.
3: Yeah, Token jeans <laughs> blew it. It was like Gabon was like a really cool, like really into it. And then with jeans like, "Heh, let's just go to Samoa for the next eighteen years."
0: No, I do agree with you that the the culture isn't that strong. And it's funny because there are a lot of cultural rewards. There's a bunch of ones where they go to villages or do this or go to a spring. But it's like, I don't know if the culture is necessarily that interesting.
3: <laughs> I, I think it's because, well, I think it's there's there's not people saying like you hear people say. Like contestants talk about the impact of Gabon on them or on China on them, like you never get people talk about like you know how token chains is a part of me that I'll never forget, and it's like ingrained in me, so I think that's the hard time the hard connection I'm making I
1: mean, I don't know Could it just be a location thing? I mean, do you really remember in Survivor Amazon of people are saying, oh man the they really the the jungle really got to me there. Could it just be that maybe Brazil for some reason just doesn't have that much?" Emotional significance, unlike Africa or China, what have you?
3: Yeah, maybe that is it because I, I think there's you know there's seasons with island locations where we definitely don't get that. It's just it's unique to think about it at a place that's just so visually stunning and different from the rest of what we see that I think it just stands out as something that you expect from a unique location.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's correct. That's that's one of those things I never really remember much about the the location from this season. All right, so let's get to the final three here—the final immunity challenge. This is one where the—is this the first time in Survivor history they do the little ball machine?
1: Yes, the motion, uh, which I believe was named after uh, one of the challenge guys, Simon Ross, came up with this weird little contraption. Erin calls it, I think, like a mouse trap-like contraption.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You—you you know what she's referring to, right? The board game. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. Uh, okay. I believe Paul, do you still have that in your in the first grade classroom as well with Shell Silverstein?
3: That has been phased out.
2: Can I, can I ask you a question, Mario? Because you're probably the only other one that's old enough to play Mousetrap. Yes. Did you ever actually play Mousetrap, or did you just set the thing up and do the Rube Goldberg thing?
0: I have never played that game once in my life, but I swear I've set that off at least 500 times. Well, because, yeah, wasn't the, right? point,
1: wasn't the point was, like, you were supposed to navigate your mouse to the end of the board, and then you set it up? So if that's the point, you're just sort of delaying the inevitable for, like, half an hour after you set it up.
2: Or isn't the point that you're Which not is funny, supposed that's to very... trip it off?
0: Yeah, it's a very apt analogy. For token chains in general, you just ignore the first part. You only care about the end.
1: Yes, and is Coach the the man who dives into the bathtub? Yes, that's
0: (laughs) him. Wow, I'm surprised you remember that. I don't remember individual parts of it.
1: That's the only one I remember is that the man dives into the bathtub because that was by far the most ridiculous part of the entire thing.
0: (laughs) All right. Alright, so here we go. Final three. The uh, motion challenge where it's uh, Steven against JT and Aaron and the balls roll and spin in different directions and you have to have a bunch of them rolling at once and then uh, whoever's ball drops first loses and again, really cool challenge, very creative and I know they use this a lot in future seasons and I'm glad they did because this is a very distinct one. JT wins! <laughs> JT wins, yeah! Aaron's out first and then Steven and I even wrote in my notes, the, the, the music here is really cool. They have cool music during the challenge and I don't remember why i just remember it's cool so there you go good job musicians all right so jt wins immunity and uh when we get back to camp is this it where steven says oh a huge weight has been lifted off my shoulders now i don't have to choose (laughs) don't say that that's an inside thought
1: but this is why i know i'm preaching to the choir but this is why in my opinion final twos are so important i feel like in a final three season you would not get this it'd be a consensus decision but now you have JT making the decision that really happens in any sort of final two situation in Survivor, which is do I take, you know, the easy money or do I take the person that I sort of, you know, promised that I would go to the end with? And it's a a really weighty decision on JT's part, (laughs) due in part to the fact that when we get to Tribal Council, Steven will admit, like, will really try to lay it on thick when he hears that JT might be deviating a bit and maybe voting Steven out just because Aaron is pretty much a slam dunk vote. They pretty much guarantee that all the Timbiras will vote against her. She might only get Taj's vote, but it's pretty much a six to one guarantee if either one of them bring her.
0: Yeah. And this is where Aaron, she's doing everything she can at this point. She goes to JT. She's like, you know, Steven told me he would have voted you out if he won immunity today. And she's like, what? Aaron's like oh yeah I mean he was talking left and right about it so you might be worrying a little bit about your buddy over there and so Aaron is really doing everything she can and I agree final twos are great again I've been we've all been preaching this for years but like someone's guaranteed to get their heart ripped out at the final three that's why I like it it's just you're guaranteed to have some sort of drama there like I don't really care if you end up with a slam dunk vote at the end I just want that last vote where someone comes so close and they get their heart ripped out because that's always good TV that's my logic all right. So, yeah. So Aaron says, tells JT, you know, taking Steven to the end is dumb. It's like noble, but like, like he's a better speaker than you. He's really good at and eloquent. He can plead his case. Like, I don't know if I'd want to go up against Steven and we're really, it's interesting because we're really kind of setting up a JT loss here. The edit, like, it's not, it's not the way that you think a 7-0 blowout would go, but they're really kind of setting up like, JT, you're about to make a huge mistake. And I think that's anybody else have anything before we get to the final three tribal council? excellent okay so skype has dropped our call so i'm just going to keep talking i'm going to shalingo here for a while <laughs> all right so we go to the final three tribal, final three tribal council jt has won three immunities in a row this is the run that say steven said hey i hope you go on a run that'd be cool if you went on one little later so uh jt is weighing this in his head should i take steven would he have taken me too i'm really kind of concerned about this and and then steven argues uh well, the reason JT should take me to the final two, Jeff, is because we wanted to have a breakfast on day 39. That was always our plan. <sighs> and Probes laughs at him. Probes's like, yeah, that compares to a million dollars, Stephen. It's the breakfast. I think that's equal.
1: I love Jeff just saying, like, Aaron, you don't need to do anything. Steven's kind of digging his own grave here, <laughs> which, yes, you could say a little bit of a Jeff Probes dig moment, but at the same time, Steven is definitely providing himself with a lot of ammunition for the jury to fire back against him in, in the next day. And so in the end, JT does...
0: You could say the right thing. You could say the noble thing. I don't think he thought he was going to lose either way, but he does the right. He does the noble thing, takes Steven, votes out Aaron, and Aaron becomes the final three, the Rob Sesternino place of honor, the last person voted out before the final tribal council. And I wrote in my notes here, we have one of the rare instances in Survivor of two solid, fairly equally matched players at the end, where on paper, it should go either way. I mean, it's one of, the, one of the rare cases where it seems like it might be kind of close, which I know we is ironic.
3: Need, we need a final three. Final two is ruining this show. Yeah.
0: It would blow out. JT just steamrolled him. It was never close. I'm like, but it was close. Maybe until this last episode it was a yeah. lot closer than that.
1: And again, going into that final tribal council, both guys thought it might be like a three-to-three three vote with Sierra being the swing vote. So. I mean, it's a big if, if Steven does a better job of answering his questions at Final Tribal Council. But if he was able to, we could have been looking at another 4-3.
0: Yeah, I'd always argue this is one of the closest times we ever saw in Survivor history to having another Ewell versus Ozzy, which is ironic because that was a final three. But everyone remembers that as a final two because those two were so closely matched.
1: The, the one thing I want to say about Aaron before we move on, because I already sort of mentioned her, like, mini growth arc and how I think she had her, her fun little badass moment when she helps take out Tyson. But one of the things that I love is the irony that Aaron is a hairdresser, but she had some of the, like, most fussy matted hair that I think I've ever seen on a Survivor contestant. It was just all out of the place, all out of sorts 24-7. So I just love the irony that a hairdresser was not able to keep her own hair in line during her time on Survivor. Not only
0: that, it frizzed evilly. (laughs) Alright, so I wrote in my notes here, now for the first time all season, and again, this is what people would have thought at the time, for the first time all season, we finally know what the story of Token Chains is. All along, as you were watching, you thought, is it the Exile Island Alliance? Is it Taj snowing everyone and winning? Is it Coach? Now you realize it's two friends to the end, the Warrior and the Wizard. And it really, at the time, I remember that that was the first time it popped into my head that that was the story of the season. So again, just to, to talk, to kind of diffuse this notion that in history, that has always been Token Tolkien's reputation. It really isn't until the end of the season, JT and Steven. And I wrote, and now comes the part that a lot of fans forget, the super nasty part of the season. Uh, This is brutal.
1: As soon as JT in his opening statement starts off with like, hey, you know what? Steven's tough to follow. You know, I'm not a Yale person like him. You realize, oh, crap. JT has a dark side to him. And it just, oh, it's... It's fun, but at the same time, as someone who, like, loves Steven as well, it it can be really tough to watch. Because even JT at the reunion admits, like, oh, yeah, that was totally an act. But for his part, he does a great performance in convincing everyone else, like, I'm just this aw guy. And, man, my friend's, like, saying, throwing all these nasty things at me. This really hurts right now.
0: Now, I wrote in my notes here, I'm curious what you guys think about this. Compare Steven Fishback to Ian a good guy who's maybe a little over his head by the end of the game and just gets brutalized would you compare those two ian and
1: steven
3: maybe to a lesser extent i mean i can see where you're going with it um mm, i mean i feel like ian was
1: so much more emotionally connected to the game my, my mind with me and always goes back to that was it the final five reward when ian's like tearfully on his knees on the beach begging Katie to accept his apology and for them to be friends again, because he didn't take Katie on that car reward to the overnight getaway. I feel like Steven wouldn't necessarily do that. And I feel like Steven might've had more one-on-one connections with people than someone like Ian, who seemed to be really tight with people like Katie and Tom, but not really to anyone else. But I could see a little bit of a through line where almost, we talked about this with dreams a little bit as well, where, Survivor is an emotionally uh destructive game sometimes and I think we even see it in a microcosm in this like 10 minute period where Steven just realized like wait what is JT doing like is he really sp-? I mean Steven legitimately thought that JT was like spitting on their friendship and that this was all going to come to a relationship that he really treasured was going to come to an end by the end of it all and he was going to lose out on a million dollars I think you really see his heart get crushed over the course of this tribal council yeah
0: the comparison I'm really going for is, you know, I was always fascinated to see what the psychologist's relationship with Ian would have been like after Palau, but I don't think it was that much different from what the psychologist's reaction to Stephen and their relationship might have been right after that final tribal council. I think Stephen was kind of messed up, and I'm just guessing. I don't know. But I think that really hit him hard to a level that I don't think we've seen that in a survivor contestant since maybe like Ian and Palau. I'm, I'm just guessing, but that's my, my assumption. All right, so let's get into this final tribal council here. Let's uh, This is, is going to be ugly. Watch out. Especially if you're a big Steven fan. I know we got a ton of Steven fans out there. This is this is not one of uh, a moment I'm sure he likes watching. All right, so we get their breakfast. JT and Steven, you know, they're all buddies. They're best friends, BFFs. They've been working together all game. They're, Steven even says JT is awesome. Our minds work totally in sync. And then JT tells us in a confessional, it's time to win now. I'm putting friendship aside, which is pretty much what happens. Hmm. So, see, we get to the opening statement and, and JT says, you know, we got this Yale grad versus me. I'm the first kid in my family to graduate college. I don't speak as good as him. You know, I'm, i am admitted maybe it was a gamble taking him in here. And so Brendan's the first one. up. Brendan's question is, uh, what was it?
1: Yeah. Brendan basically says like, Steven, you talked about growth. You know, do you really think this game should reward whoever has grown the most? And you can tell from that outset that, uh, Steven's got a little bit of an uphill battle, here, even though he might be the more eloquent person. Uh, you know, He says like, oh, you know, Survivor, uh, Pride's Outwit, Outplay, Outlast. I feel like that's part of the Outwit thing, and Brennan's like, oh, so you feel like you should be handicapped. And yeah. I-, I say while Steven definitely bungles a lot of this stuff, it's a little bit of a tough battle where you have, I feel like you have on the one hand people like Taj who are saying like, you need to you know, uh, admit that you stepped out from JT's shadow and you were doing stuff on your own. But then you have people like Sierra who are saying, like, no, you need to admit that you were a weak person and that, you know, you were succumbing to some of your more nefarious desires. So it was really tough for him to be able to to garner a lot of jury votes. But he doesn't make things easier with the way he answers some of these questions, especially compared to someone like JT, who seems much more solid.
0: Is this the one where Brendan says, like, if there's a player who's a really good athlete and then someone who's not a good athlete and like at the end of the football game do you do you give the win to the guy who scored six touchdowns or the guy who learned to catch a ball by the end of the game Yeah, jt says that yep so steven's like whoa wait a minute wait a minute here that's not well i'm looking at this game okay so then aaron comes up and aaron basically calls steven wishy-washy she's like at least jt stuck to his alliance like he he didn't change he didn't flip-flop and and JT, of course, here says, Steven is so honest. He never lied to me. I always trusted him. And this is going to, oh, this is going to come back and bite Stephen in a second. All right, next up is Debbie. Debbie said, flat out, Stephen, would you have voted out JT if JT was not immune yesterday? And Steven says, honestly, I don't know. And Debbie's like, I want a <clears throat> clean answer, Steven. Yeah, don't say that. Give me a clean answer. And Steven says, I think I would have taken JT. My fear is is that I would have taken Aaron. And that's, that's not the right answer because he answers both ways again. And they're like, absolutely. And JT gets this angry look on his face and looks down and starts shaking his head like he's so pissed. Like, I trusted you. You were my friend. I believed in you. And Steven is not winning. It's not even that JT is winning. It's that Steve, Steven's is just absolutely shooting him in the foot on every answer here. And JT is going to start capitalizing on it. All right. Next up is Coach, our man Coach. And the jury, I just wrote, jury laughs at him as he walks up. <laughs> and J- Coach makes some reference to iron sharpening iron, whatever. And and then he says, give me some examples of honesty and nobility. And then this is uh, JT. JT. This is this is where Steven really gets buried. JT says, I never voted for you, Coach. Which is right. On the Coach episode, JT never voted for him, and he knew it. And he, Steven even said, that's going to make me look bad, because I did and JT didn't. JT says, I never voted for you, coach. I promised I would take you to the final two. I thought Steven would do the same for me, but I just found out otherwise. <sighs> yeah. And Steven's like, what? Steven kind of looks at him and JT won't look at him back. And Steven, you could just see his heartbreak. His face drops. He's like, uh-oh. All right. So what do we got here? Next up?
1: Uh, uh, Sierra.
0: Oh, Steven's decision to vote for coach comes up. Who was more noble there? Steven or JT? Steven says, uh, I have yet to say a bad word about JT. That shows I'm noble, whatever. Yeah, so Sierra, and his, uh, she, asks, she asks JT, how is this taking the best to the end? Steven is one of the weakest players I've ever seen. And Steven's like, wow. Like, he has no idea that someone would have thought that about him. And this is Sierra, of all people, who everyone just kind of bagged on for being weak. And she's like, Steven's a big nothing. Why, how is this taking the best to the end? He's terrible. And, like, Steven doesn't – does he, he doesn't even get to respond to that, does he?
1: No. he. I mean, yeah. She, you know, she, she starts by saying, like, no, I had a question for Stephen, but he answered it already, which I'm assuming the question was, like, how weak are you? Why are you such a little sissy boy? And I guess he – because apparently he answered it without even realizing it.
3: <laughs> Sierra is so intense in this whole thing. It's like, who is this girl?
1: Yeah, maybe that's why people hated her. Maybe she was always like –
0: all right, so here we go. This is one where really you get to see Steven. All the wind gets pulled out of his sails right here, where Tyson comes up and says, JT, was Steven an asset getting you to the finals? And JT's like, I could have done it with or without him. He just kind of kept me in check. And Steven just looks at him like, are you shitting me? <laughs> like, we did everything together and JT won't even look back at him. Now, at this point, JT's not even acknowledging him. And then Steven, this is the part that kind of breaks your heart. He's like, you know, it it hurts me that he, de- he devalues it like that. And Steven's just visibly rattled. Like he's he's had a game plan. He's got speeches. He doesn't know what to say at this point because they're just coming after him and he has not expected this whatsoever. And he doesn't expect that JT's playing this hard. He doesn't expect that the jury is all coming after him and calling him weak. And now uh, JT asks him, uh, Steven, would you be here without me? Which is turning it around. And just, again, Steven's done at this point. Stick a fork in him. He's He's had it
1: is this the most rattled someone has been by final tribal council since maybe Twyla? It's the most rattled in the sense that I don't think he was expecting it.
0: Like Twyla knew she was going to get bitched out. She knew it. It's the most caught off guard. I think someone's ever been at tribal council that I can think of off the top of my head. Right.
3: Well, because I think it's because too, you have JT and Steven who have like made all, you know, these decisions in lockstep and then for him all of a sudden to show up and he gets all the brunt and, JT gets none of it, like, that's gotta be, like, pretty hard to find out in the moment, like, oh, actually, we liked you better, JT, and, uh, Steven, you're a weasel. Yeah, and Steven's gonna try to fight
0: back here in a second, but it's gonna be too late, with Taj comes up, and she's like, was it hard to vote me out? (laughs) And JT's like, yes, it was the worst, I hated voting you out. And Taj is really mad that Steven voted for Because Steven and Taj, again, they were the, the big couple for most of the game. They were the closest ones. And Steven's like, well, it was always JT's plan. I just went along with it. I gave in on it. And JT's like, that's bullshit. That was Steven's lying. And then this is where Steven's like, all right, fine. We'll drop the gloves. Let's go, let's go, layer our dirty laundry. Let's talk about this. And then JT says, Steven wanted you gone because you're idle. He always wanted you gone, Taj. He's lying to you right now. And Steven's like, oh, come on now. And this is where... Again, it's just painful to watch. I feel uh, horrible.
1: The best thing yeah. is the best part is JT, is this the same guy I brought with me? It's just, uh, <laughs> like, it's so artificial. But again, if you are in this, like, very insular environment where you think of JT as this very ho-hum good old boy, almost like a younger Big Tom of someone who really, you know, uh, is just someone that you don't really think can lie to you if he's saying, like, wait a minute. Am I, is et tu, Brute, in a way? And then Steven's like, "What? no, you've been slandering me all night, which is completely true, but JT is just pouring it on so thick that nobody, and the fact that Steven also brings this up at literally the 11th hour while JT has had this smear campaign going against him for the entire Tribal Council, definitely too little too late here. Yeah,
0: Yeah, he's like, you've been slandering me all night, and JT's like, well, yeah, but at least I'm accurate. And Steven's like, doesn't even know what to say. And then Stephen JT he just keeps twisting the knife like he keep you think it's over and he keeps digging in and he's like JT's like I just feel like a tool I thought I knew you I thought we were friends and he like buries his hand his head in his hands and sadness like he's he's shocked that this person would dare to play against, turn against him like and Stephen's like ah ah like he has no idea what to even say and it's funny as as they go up to the as the the jurors go up to vote. JT still looks pissed. He won't look at Steven. He just looks angry and disappointed and upset. Like, my friend. Look what my friend did to me. It's horrible. We were partners. like, it's just, oh, man, it's a, this is a, uh, it's a slasher movie here at the end. <laughs> just bloodletting.
2: It's, it's the most one-sided travel council I've seen in a long time. And it wasn't one-sided because of necessarily the jury, you know? Yeah. Like, a, a lot of times we've had one-sided travel councils, you know, like, like, like pull out, right, where they're just like, Tom, hi, Tom, Katie, you suck, you know, and, and, and it's one sided and it's nothing to do with the contestants. But, you know, you guys are right. The, the jury came in gunning for Steven. But the thing is, is that then JT just pours it on and you can look at it as a dick move and it's sort of a dick move. But, hey, you're trying to win, right?
0: Absolutely. You know? Yeah, he won. And yeah, he won. It's one of those that there have been 15 jurors. JT would have won 15 to nothing.
1: It's interesting. I actually just saw this uh, argument be read on the Survivor subreddit, actually, about this idea of a social game and how I feel like the typical connotation we give to it is that a social game is basically just making sure that everyone likes you, but it is so much deeper than that, and I feel like JT played one of the best Survivor social games ever, and it's an indication that it's not just having people like you, because it's summarily building relationships with people that will allow you to, when you betray them, to come back and say, nope, I'm still going to give you the money. And it shows how deep that goes with JT here, where it wasn't just getting everyone to, (laughs) for some reason, completely fall in love with them. He cut a lot of throats, but because of his social game, he was able to convince people like, hey, you know what, I, I, I had to get rid of you, but you know what, you're still going to give me the money, right? Because look at this game I play. look at the person that I'm sitting next to. I mean, say what you want to about how much Steven might have helped JT along, but I feel like this really shows how his relationship managing, in particular, was immaculate. Yeah. I mean, he just would have won
0: anyway, and then on top of that, he buries Steven. Like, it's like a... just raise up really high on one side of the scale and down on the other all at one point he just absolutely butchers steven it's just brutal
2: i said in the past that i believe that jt pitched a no-no like a no-hitter in this game and it's not necessarily true in the in the sense that you know he he made blunders and he made a lot of blunders along the way but i think that having steven be be that sounding board for him and using the the intelligence of steven to do so and getting him to the end was great. Getting him to the end, I guess. And then getting him to the end was his physical prowess in winning a bunch of uh, immunities. And then this final tribal council. I mean, we talk about Chris Doherty. We talk about Todd. We talk about a lot of people in final tribal councils that do a lot of jury schmoozing. But this is the other end. It's not just jury schmoozing. It's burying your opponent. And I think that, that JT stands alone in a lot of ways just doing that. I don't think that anyone does it quite like him. I mean, he absolutely buries Steven. And, yes, the jury was willing to was, – was wanting it and was helping him do it, but he he did it. He absolutely just buries his
0: opponent here. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, there's – you cannot – I mean, I, to this day I still see people say – Well, Steven should have won Token Chains. I'm like, I'm sorry, have you watched Token Cheese? No, he shouldn't have. I mean, yeah, he's a great player. He did great. But... At the end of that, if you watch that last Tribal Council, there's no way JT should have lost that season to anybody. He just absolutely turns on the Jets when he has to, and he he makes it not even a contest to the point where it probably was a pretty good contest up until the finale. And then JT just turns on the Jets and just steams rolls ahead of everyone, which is funny because that's exactly what he does in challenges, too, if you watch how fast he is. He turns on those Jets and no one can catch him. That's really the same thing he does to Steven.
2: There's a sports phrase that I absolutely hate, and I hate it when announcers use it, and they, they talk about when someone does it where they turn it on at the end, like of a race or you know at the end of a fast break. It's getting the fifth gear, not just a fourth gear, but they have a fifth gear, and I'm always like, are you serious? Like, that's dumb, but that's what JT did.
0: Yep. Although technically Coach has a sixth gear. He just wanted me to point that out. Of course he does. <laughs> Alright, so with that, we have finished Token Sheens, although I should point out, again, just for funny 115 purposes, there's a really neat a cute little scene, very last shot of the season as Coach is going up to vote for JT. He slings his jacket right there in front of Sierra just to stick it in her face one more time, and she just starts laughing, and they share a little moment. So there you go.
1: Should we talk about as well, I and mean, we won't talk much about the reunion because we've gone so long in the tooth at this point. Do, I feel like, Morrow, you want to talk about the lie detector thing just briefly?
0: Well, yeah, I just want to point out that there's I mean, Coach is such a showman, and you can love him or hate him, but he knows how to get attention. He knows how to make a scene about him. If you haven't watched the Token Chains reunion show, watch it again just for the scene where Propes is going to embarrass Coach by making him take a lie detector test to prove that all the stories are true. Coach says, no, I don't want to do it. Probe starts laughing at him because it's like Dan later, again, go back to Dan. He wants to embarrass him on the national national TV on the reunion show. And Coach is like, well, I didn't take the lie detector because I already took my own lie detector and I got the results right here, asshole. And so he actually flip-flops it on probes, turns it against him. It turns out that Coach passed the lie detector. He says all his stories are true. Again, argue what you want about if lie detectors are accurate or not. But it is such a great moment where Coach turns the table on probes at the reunion show and catches them off guard, and I love him for it.
1: But I also like probes being like, Coach, Like th- we only have a certain amount of time. Because, of course, Coach is like <laughs> grandstanding, like... Uh, in the annals of time the lie detector like you know he had a whole thing prepared about what lie detector and how good john Grobin, one of the greatest lie detectors in hollywood apparently is but probes like kind of give him the hurry up and yeah it turns out at least from the question he read which said you know did coach go down the amazon the answer was yes i don't know if he said if it was true or not but i guess it was and that means that he he passed and that causes coach to go into his whole little posing extravaganza
0: yeah. Well, again, again, my whole background in psychology, I know this left and right. I know people that do lie detectors. I know polygraph operators. A lie detector is only as good as the person taking the test. If you don't believe you're lying, you're not lying. It's one of the things I've always said. Well, OJ passed a lie detector test, too, because he never thought he killed anybody. If you if you honestly believe you're innocent, then of course you pass it. You're not lying. So that's, that's all I'm going to say about lie detectors. If you don't believe you're lying, then you're not lying. And I think that's a George Costanza line at some point.
2: And I'm gonna use this term, and this is just gonna like absolutely kill everybody. Yes, I'm a gigantic nerd. There is a phrase uh in pro wrestling.
1: <laughs> Fifth gear. Uh, oh,
3: no. my ears are perking up. Please continue,
2: Jay. <laughs> back That's in the cool. day back in the day, like in the seventies and eighties, like you know, when wrestling was all territorial and stuff like that, you know, it was very defined as like who were good guys and who were bad guys in the ring, right? You know, the bad guy would, you know, have like the gimmick of like the person from the foreign country or, you know, would come out and insult the fans and they'd all boo him and stuff like that. And what would happen is, is that they're just guys, they're just guys doing a job and wrestling. But what the promotions would have them do is if you were a good guy and the fans cheered you, you couldn't like hang out with uh, guys who were bad guys in, in real life. Like, you know, like outside the arena, you couldn't like go and get, you know, a, a a burger with 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 a bad guy if you were a good guy and stuff like that because that would break the illusion of what was going on, and that's called kayfabe. You know, you don't break kayfabe, and so it, it's this weird sort of uh, uh phrase where like you can't you can't pull back the curtain, even though everyone knows that pro wrestling is fake and that you know these guys are not actually the characters that they're portraying in the middle of the ring. Back in the '70s and '80s, and even somewhat today, you people sort of uphold that sort of, if we're good guys, we're going to hang with good guys and not with bad guys, even if they may be friends in real life. And so that's what coach does. He never breaks kayfabe. He just, you know, goes with his gimmick the whole time. And I, and I I think that's the whole thing is that he, he literally believes all of his stories. Like, even if he knows they're not true, he believes they're true.
0: Yeah. And there's enough of a kernel of truth in them that he can say it's true, and it's again, it's kind of a Nathan for you type of thing. What's the bare minimum I can say to still make it true, and he knows it's still true? Or, it could be a flip side, that he's absolutely correct about everything, and he's an amazing adventurer, and we're just idiots for not believing him. Who knows? I don't know. Very fascinating. I will stop diagnosing people. I know I have a problem with that. All I'm going to say is that I think Sydney has Munchausen's, and I'm going to leave it at that. God. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway... That pretty much wraps up our uh, coverage of token chains. Do you have anything? Oh yeah, no. Oh my god, it was long.
2: <laughs> oh my god, it was long, and oh my god, we're at Russell Hans.
0: We're at Russell Hans. Oh, this is a—it's a double whammy. We're going to lose Mike Bloom, and we're going to gain Russell Hans. It's like—it's like the world's worst marriage. Like, I lose a daughter, but I gain a son. Whatever. It's horrible. It's a horrible trade-off.
1: Well, let's explain sort of where the Survivor franchise is at this point as well. Is that you know Micronesia? huge fan acclaim. Everyone sort of has an invigorated passion back into the series. And even though I think we've talked up Token Sheens and Gabon the past several months, they did not play terribly well. I will say that overall, I think Token Sheens played pretty well to the audience. I think JT was a very popular winner. I think people like Steven. I think people love to hate Coach and Tyson. I think, you know, the, the internet fans that were acclaiming for an old school season, they sort of got it here. But I think that the general acclaim for the show since Micronesia was pretty low. Say what you want to about Russell Hans. He brought word of mouth back to the show, I would say, after sort of a two season hiatus. Again, Make of that what you will. It's a double-edged sword in that regard. But the next couple seasons are going to be about Russell. But Russell is going to be... I've heard at least a handful of people say that once they... They hadn't watched Survivor for a while. Once they heard word of this guy named Russell Hans, they got back to the show, and they've been stuck with it ever since.
0: Yeah, no, I have to say something as a, as a small asterisk to that. I hear this a lot.
1: Well, Russell brought the fans
0: back. He brought the ratings back. He brought Survivor back. If you actually look at the ratings... His seasons are lower rated than all the ones around them. There's no truth whatsoever that the ratings came back because of Russell or they were even higher. They actually went down in Russell's seasons. And it's very consistent. You can see it in Samoa, you can see it in uh, Heroes versus Villains, and you can see it in uh, the other one, Redemption Island. But in terms of word of mouth, you are absolutely correct that he was all that people were talking about. So it's an interesting thing. He brought in new viewers. But I think he also chased away viewers at the same time, but it really changed the landscape of what the Survivor fan base was for a little while to the point that I literally, like, I'm like, I have to come back out of retirement and start writing about Survivor because the wrong type of people are writing about it all of a sudden. All of a sudden, there's all this stuff about Russell's the greatest thing. This is what Survivor is. He's the next level of player. There was never a good player before Russell. And I'm like, dude, I got to come back and at least try to counter that. There's so many people writing this. It's crazy. So it was a very definite Change in the fan base that happened right around there. But I will always say the ratings don't actually go up. You can look at that.
2: The ratings don't go up,
0: but it's
2: not even just word of mouth, it's crossover into mainstream. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm. People you know, that never watched Survivor before were coming in all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole different fan base all of a sudden. And boy, yep. did it boil my blood sometimes.
1: <laughs> but that being said, though, I, I also remember uh mario correct me if i'm wrong here but you actually on a rewatch like give a lot of high acclaim to samoa don't you
0: i don't think it's a bad season in my book i actually uh my book uh when it was worth playing for now available on amazon but uh in my book i actually listed it as my top my 10th favorite season at the time which i have since changed because we've watched historians and i realized palau is amazing and exile islands a lot of fun so those are much higher than samoa now but i don't think it's that bad a season but admittedly, selfishly, I will say it's got some fun stuff. It's got some quirky stuff, some funny moments. It's better than it gets credit for. But the fact that it ends with Russell in tears not winning absolutely makes me love it. So it's a little selfish that I love it for that reason. But I really don't think it's as bad as its reputation. I think there's some fun stuff in there. It's it's,
2: it's a weird season. And, and I've heard you say this before, Mario. It's, it's a, you know, you're always like, look at it from the galoos perspective. Yeah. Which... I agree with, and if you do, it's it's a different season. It's so hard to do, though.
0: It is. It's tough. You know There's I mean? a lot of stuff behind the scenes. You have to read between the lines. There's a lot of stuff that comes out in interviews or just things the players are saying. You have to kind of notice what they're saying between the lines that changes the way you watch the season. I will say, and we'll get more into that in Samoa.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get there, and in but this is one where you know I talk about always about how you shouldn't necessarily listen to people's narratives when they come off the show and, you know, I always feel like there shouldn't be needs for secret scenes and all this sort of stuff. You sort of need it for Samoa because they edit it so unevenly that they're not, I mean, I, I you could argue that in any season, they're not necessarily giving you the true story, but in, in, in Galu, it almost seems like a cover-up. You know what yeah. I mean?
0: It's I've always said, and I will be saying this endlessly as we do Samoa, all Samoa is, is a commercial for heroes versus villains. They love this guy, Russell, so much. They want to hype him for Heroes vs. Villains. They know he does well in Heroes versus Villains also. They're just going to use that season as a commercial into the big one, which is Heroes versus Villains. And I've always argued they kind of throw away that season. They just throw it in the gutter because all they want you to care about is Russell going into their big 20th anniversary show. I
2: also don't want to necessarily spoil everything, but, you know, we're a, we're a spoiler podcast and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I always love the... Because cause isn't the timing there, like, am I getting this right, where, like, they filmed Samoa, and then they filmed Heroes versus Villains, and then, you know, as, as Heroes versus Villains was winding up filming, like, Samoa was airing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. This, this is the first time where they start doing the, like, let's film the two seasons within, like, a three-month period back-to-back.
2: Right. So when Russell is there at the finale of Samoa, Heroes versus Villains has already happened. Correct. You know, and it's funny when you look back on it, because this is maybe just my personal belief and all that sort of stuff. But I get this feeling that like Russell was sitting there at the Samoa uh, finale, knowing that he probably didn't win Heroes versus Villains. And he's like, well, at least at least I got this one. And then he didn't get this one. You could just see him sink. And it's not just that he sunk because he didn't he didn't win the season, but he's like, God, I didn't win either of them.
0: Yeah. It's there's so much to say about those seasons. I'm trying not to hold my tongue here, but yeah. yeah, it's there's it's an interesting again. Sometimes our better podcasts are not the seasons where we love. If we sit here and just love it, it's like, oh, this was great, then it's not really that interesting to listen to. There's a lot to say about Samoa. And some good, some bad. It's all over the place. It's just so much to discuss, so many things to talk about and bring up, and the the fan reactions, and the angry fights on the internet. And again, I was wrapped up in a lot of it. I got in a personal fight with Russell at one point, and I've never been in a fight with a survivor before. And I got dragged into all this, too. It's just crazy. So there's a, there's a lot of just to talk about here. So, yeah, I'm trying to hold off. But, yeah, we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah, why, why don't we end this podcast? Because, man, we've been here a while. Mm-hmm. All right, do you guys have anything else to say? Because I, ha- I have to finish with my coach story. This is my favorite. I haven't told this one very much before. I'm Jay
2: Fisher. I'm muting my mic. <laughs> no.
0: All right, you have to stay. All right, here we go. My coach story. So I would written the funny 115, and it was known that I was a fan of Coach. I'd written all this stuff about him, and I'm always worried. I'd never heard from Coach. I'm like, this guy, if he ever reads this stuff, he's going to kill me. He's going to murder me. Because I don't interact with a lot of survivors. I kind of lurk back here in my hole, write something on the internet, pop back into my hole, and then I, that's about it. And I'm like, when this guy reads some this, these articles about it, me, he's gonna about him, he's gonna murder me. So, one day I hear out of the blue from Coach has a little assistant, and it's not his assistant coach. It's just some fan. I don't even remember his name. There's some weird guy, some super fan who followed Coach around. He was like his assistant. He like literally scheduled Coach's personal appearances and stuff. He was like Coach's flunky i don't even know how to describe it just some random super fan who had attached himself to coach and he's like uh dear mr lanza uh mr wade would like to meet with you I'm like no no i don't i don't want to meet coach i'm a little scared of coach i'd rather not and he's like no he he's been very fascinated by the fact that you've written articles about him he'd really like to fit you into his schedule next time he's out in los angeles i'm like oh my god i'm gonna meet coach and so it turns out coach is coming out to la he's gonna hang out there for a while he's rented a limo and he's going to drive around the city, and he wants me to join him in the limo, and we ride, ride around, and he wants to talk to me for like three hours, just me and him in a limo and this little flunky guy with him. And I'm like, this sounds like a mob hit. This is how a mob movie starts. I'm getting in a limo with a crazy person, and we're just driving around L.A., and I'm like, what are we going to talk about? And he's like, oh, I don't know. We'll just talk about stuff. He just wants to know you and meet you. I'm like, is this fucking Goodfellas? What is this? And so I tell my wife, I'm like, well, I have a chance to hang out with Coach for three hours in a limo, and we're just going to talk about stuff. And she's like, are you going to wind up like a sex slave somewhere in like Cambodia? How's this going to end up? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I'm a little frightened of this story. I don't know where it's going. I don't leave the house much. I'm just a little league dad. I don't go out in L.A. and hang out with celebrities. So it was all set for me to meet Coach, and they were going we were going to meet at a bar, and it was me and the assistant and Coach. And I chickened out at the last minute. At the oh. last minute, I'm like, I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to end up dead. I don't know where the story is going to go. This is before South Pacific or Heroes versus Villains. I don't know much about Coach. I just know token Cheens that he's a little out there, and I've written so much crap about him. And I'm like, this is not going to end well. So I chickened out, and to this day, I regret that. I really want to know what would have happened in that limo ride with Coach and his assistant to the coach, the super fan, Flunky, as we just drove around L.A. and talked about life. So that is my one story, my regret, my biggest regret ever as a Survivor fan. And then later I found out that he was a big fan of mine and he loved me and he just wanted to hang out with me. But I was so scared that I was going to end up dead somewhere. Bullet in the back of the head. Bullet in the back of the head like Joe Pesci.
1: He would have had you take the monastic approach with him. He would have driven you out (laughs) into the middle of the Mojave Desert and you would have just starved there.
0: (laughs) We would have been sharpening each other and stretching each other out in the (laughs) desert. (laughs) So that is my coach story and my one regret as a survivor rider over the years. I did not take them up on that offer. To ride around in a limo, sight unseen, with some assistant super fan guy. So there you go, that's my coach story.
2: Well, I'm glad I'm not famous, because, <laughs> I mean, I can't say no fast enough to anything, so.
0: <laughs> but what if, what could have been determined from that the, speech? The, we could have the, talked the, about the mysteries of life.
2: You know, so you know, the fact that I'm not famous enough or or a personality enough for someone to call and say, "Hey, some, you know, some survivor would like to ride around in a limo with you for 3 hours." I'd be like, "Boy, that that's a no."
0: You know, that's It'll, that's an absolute no. <laughs> you know, give thanks for that every day, Jay. The more you know about the survivor fan base, give thanks for that. All right. I think with that we have finally wrapped up Token Chains. Although, before we go, we do have to settle this matter of Mike leaving here.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's a it's a bittersweet moment. I'll be completely honest. I mean, I, I I honestly would not be where I am today without the historians. I mean, I mean, I know I had to go through all the legalese. I know you guys when I signed on, you gave me this like really lengthy. I don't know if it was like a contract or something that I just sort of like signed it just because I figured yeah, it's a really exciting opportunity. I might as well just sign it and not necessarily look at it. Uh, But I figure, like, everything's squared away with that, right? I'm not a legal guy, so I'm not entirely sure if there's anything going on there.
0: Yeah. First off, I mean, you are correct. You would be nowhere without the historians, and I'm glad you acknowledged that. So, you know, Jay, me, and Paul, we've prepared a little song. I know Paul's really been looking forward to it. We're going to do a little Mm send-off for you. Mm. But I will say we have lawyers on the show, you know, as you are aware, we're not just some four jackasses sitting in a house doing a podcast. This is a business by this point, we have lawyers and stuff. And I had them check your contract and it was actually was a 10 year contract. You signed not a five year contract. What are you kidding me? I'm sorry, me? Paul. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mention that. So really Mike, you are legally obligated to still be our friend for a couple more years. You are legally uh, for with allowed to write some articles for Parade magazine, as long as you don't disparage us in some way. But in truth, we own your ass. And if you leave this show right now, I will sue you so hard, you'll be crying harder than Steven at the end of Token Sheens.
1: Wait, wait, wait a minute. So I'm I'm checking this. I'm checking our historian's email and I'm looking at the, the emails that are being exchanged. You said you had legal counsel. Is is this c Grodel at Aol.com? Is this your legal counsel?
0: Totally, yes. You absolutely that's her. C Grodel has Shanghai blindside hashtag blindside that Karen Grodel has once again come back to haunt you. You will be staying on, to- on Survivor Historians for per- perpetuity. I don't even know what the fuck that word is, but you'll be staying here for a while. You're not going anywhere. Parade oh. can't have you. We're keeping you. Oh, I,
3: gotta be kidding I was so looking forward to this to finally being like you by myself again with you two and not having to compete with Mike but yay, he's back.
1: You better tell Aaron Paul and you better, you better, better tell the dragon kid from North Dakota as well yes
3: oh god well you'll know, we'll be lucky if i show back up on the show mario <laughs> after this stunt
0: well, you oh. should see your contract montana boy
1: you'll be here till you die you're, you're here you're on until game changers at least exactly uh well i mean uh, if i have to be kept here as a podcast prisoner i can't think of a better group of guys to talk about and I'll admit, I'm, I'm a bit of me is excited to re-explore some Samoa, if if not to have Shambo invade my dreams for the time being until then. So, Karen, can't believe I'm going to say this. I guess it's a blessing in disguise that I am uh, staying on the Survivor Historians. Yeah, just don't throw any sticks in the fire, Skippy.
0: All right. Just to just to clear up, if we weren't pulling your chain. Mike really was going to leave the show at the last minute. We kind of worked it out that he can stay here and do parade at the same time. We don't think it's going to be a conflict of interest. So this wasn't a shtick. We really did think he was going to leaving at the last minute. We kind of persuaded him to stay. He is going to stay. So, yes. And also, Karen Grodel hates his guts. So that yeah. part's true.
1: There. Yeah, there. It's a, it's yeah, a lot of truth contained in there. Exactly. Just like Coach.
0: Exactly. Just like Coach. So paul paul's dream has come true that we now have the temp i can no longer call you the temp i think you're the perm at this point so welcome to the show perm
1: uh all right i'll have to to go to the salon then aaron's gonna have to do me up if i'm getting the perm
0: all right so we've gone almost four hours let's sign off here we uh again we appreciate all you guys for listening to us we uh have a, a very dedicated fan base and it's really grown over the years like we've we've uh just our, our, I've seen our numbers recently. Just the word of mouth, people telling people about us, their friends about us. It's amazing. So, again, as they said on uh, Mystery Science Theater back in the day, keep circulating the tapes. All I can say is keep spreading the word, let people know about Survivor Historians. We will be here for a long time. We were originally thinking maybe a hanging up pretty soon. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we kind of uh, re-energized ourselves with token chains and uh, Mike being able to stay. So. I think we should be on for quite a while. Again, if you have any feedback, comments, if you have any good North Dakota or Montana jokes, you can send them to SurvivorHistorians at com. And uh, <clears throat> if you're a patron of our podcast, you can hear Paul's farewell song for Mike That Never Happened. He'll record it for you in private. So I think that's it.
3: With some horses that may or may not be provocative.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed out on, on those noises. Darn. All right. So I think we should
0: sign off, unless you have anything, unless you guys wanted to cross the four-hour mark here, like uh, Roger Bannister, or the four-minute four mile. and am going to cross the barrier here.
3: I don't think I'm good. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. As always, thank you for listening. I am Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher.
1: Iron sharpened. I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm back, baby? Question mark.
3: Uh, I'm Paul Osselson and I just hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, Betsy falls next season. <laughs>
0: And just as a teaser, I'm really, really trying to see if we can do a coach interview here. We haven't done an interview with any Survivor since uh, Chris Doherty. I have a couple ins with coach. Maybe I'll get to ask him about the limo story. I don't know if he remembers that, but I'm really hoping we can give you a special uh, episode in between here in Samoa. So with that, I will talk to you later. Thanks a lot, and we will see you later. Dragon Slade.
3: Don't hurt your back anymore. Don't. Oh.
0: Oh man